October 3, 2023, and this is the um, Alameda County, uh, sorry, City of Alameda. We're going to go into uh, closed session as soon as we call the roll. We did have a quorum. I saw Councilmember Herrera Spencer. Um, Madam Clerk, could you check? I think she might have just gone into room 391. I'll note for the record that it's 5.06, and of course we know that we have a really full agenda, not a lot of items, but items with a lot of public speakers. So out of respect to the public, out of respect to our staff, and of course respect to my council colleagues, I do like to start the meeting on time. Oh good, all right. Madam Clerk, you can come. Uh, actually, Ashley, I'll let you call the roll. Ashley, no, you can call the roll. Ashley, stay right here and call the roll, please. Uh, yeah, all right. Uh, roll call, just go, Laura. Okay. Thank you. Council, uh, Vice Mayor Desag. Here. Council Member Jensen. Here. Mayor Ezzy Hashcraft. I'm here. Okay, we've got a quorum. So um, do we have public comment on the closed session items? We do not. All right, with that, I will close um, public comment on closed session items. And it being 5.07 now, I do want to get started. So Madam Clerk, would you please introduce the items that we're going to adjourn into closed session to consider? 3A is public employee performance evaluation pursuant to government code section 54957. Position evaluated is city attorney, even Shen. Uh, 3B is conference with legal counsel existing litigation pursuant to government code section 549569A. Case name is Brennan et al. versus City of Alameda et al. Court is Alameda County Superior Court. Case number is 22CV024994. 3C is conference with labor negotiators pursuant to government code section 549576. City negotiators is city manager, human resources director, outside counsel Ed Kreisberg and Deputy City Attorney Employee Organizations or International Association of Firefighters Local 689 under negotiation are salaries, employee benefits, and terms of employment. Thank you, Madam Clerk. And with that, the Council will adjourn into um, closed session. We are going to start with item 3B, B as in boys. So um, whoever the staff is on that one only um, with Council um, back in room 391, please. Thanks, everyone. and we are calling this meeting to order. Welcome everyone. Tonight is Tuesday, October 3rd, 2023. This is the City of Alameda City Council meeting. We have just returned from closed session and I'm going to ask the um, City Clerk, Clara Weisinger, to please report out. Will you start and I'll finish okay. <laughs> reporting out on um, actions, if any, that were taken in closed session. Great. Um, item 3B, which was existing litigation, um, the Brennan case, uh, staff provided information and council provided direction um, by three eyes with um, Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft voting no and Councilmember Vela absent regarding 3C, which was um, conference with labor negotiator. Staff provided information and council provided direction by four eyes with Councilmember Herrera Spencer voting no. And uh, the mayor will report out on the public employee performance evaluation of the city attorney. 
Thank you. And yes, the um, uh, council conducted the review of our city attorney, Ibn Shen, and uh, we unanimously gave direction to staff. And with that, I will adjourn the um, closed session and I will call the regular city council meeting to order. We're going to start with the Pledge of Allegiance and Council Member Daysog, Vice Mayor Daysog, because you're feeling better and you're upright this, <laughs> this meeting. He was really under the weather last time from home. Um, would you lead us in the pledge? Sure. Thank you. Please rise as you're able. Ready, begin. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. Thank you, Vice Mayor. And um, before the um, clerk calls the roll, I want to note, and I think, yes, you can see her. So our city manager, Jen Ott, who's just over my shoulder, um, is attending a, a city manager's conference in Austin, Texas. So she's, she's joining us. I think Austin's probably an hour or so ahead of us, but she is joining us for the meeting uh, on the screen. So with that, Madam Clerk, would you call the roll, please? Vice Mayor Daysad. Here. Council members for Spencer. Present. Jensen. Here. Bella. Here. Mayor Ezzy Ashcraft. Present. Five present. All right. Thank you. Do we have any agenda changes, Madam Clerk? None that I am aware of. Me nope. neither. All right. Well, we do have three proclamations. Sometimes we don't have any proclamations, and we sometimes just have them in the record, but these were all three really significant topics, and so I will go through them as expeditiously as I can. But. The first one is um, for a proclamation declaring October 2023 as Lesbian, Gay, Bisexual, Transgender, and Queer Plus History Month, whereas the month of October is dedicated to recognizing the important role of lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, and queer plus individuals in the social, legal, and political history of our nation and to highlighting the extraordinary community contributions of the LGBTQ plus community throughout our history. And whereas during this month long observance, we commemorate two historically significant October dates. The first March on Washington for lesbian and gay rights took place on October 14, 1979. And the first national coming out day took place on October 11, 1988. <coughs> Bless you. We also acknowledge another historically significant date yesterday, October 2, 2023, when Governor Gavin Newsom appointed LaFonza Butler, a black lesbian, to complete the U.S. Senate seat held by the late Senator Dianne Feinstein, who died last week. And whereas knowing and understanding LGBTQ history is essential, for communities to understand the full fabric of humanity that comprises our society. And whereas our continued advocacy for and acknowledgement of LGBTQ plus history is also critical to altering the tragic reality that LGBTQ plus youth are four times more likely to attempt suicide than straight youth. And whereas LGBTQ plus History Month is a call to action for communities to stand united against prejudice, bigotry, intolerance, hate, and discrimination, and fight for equality, progress, civil rights, and human rights. And whereas, as President Joe Biden stated in 2023, 
We honor and celebrate generations of LGBTQ plus people who have fought bravely to live openly and authentically. And it is a reminder that we still have generational work to do to ensure that everyone enjoys the full promise of equity, dignity, protection, and freedom. Now therefore be it resolved that I, Marilyn, as the Ashcraft Mayor of the City of Alameda, do hereby proclaim October 2023 as LGBTQ plus History Month in the City of Alameda and call on all residents to join me in recognizing the historic and continuing contributions of the LGBTQ plus community and to celebrate with me at Alameda Pride, which takes place this year from October 13 to October 15, 2023. Details to follow. Thank you. And then we will move on to a proclamation declaring October 2023 as Filipino American History Month. And I am proud to sit here on the dais between two proud Filipino American individuals, Vice Mayor Tony Desog and former Vice Mayor and Council Member Malia Vela. You know what, everybody, thank you. That I know you're being courteous to applaud. Um, we don't applaud for a number of reasons um, to keep the, me the meeting moving along. And as I recently learned at a forum that I attended at the League of California Cities annual conference, it could be, um, it could stifle communication because if there's applause over some issue, somebody who's opposing that issue might say, oh, I'm not gonna get up and speak uh, because you know I might get booed or something. We don't like booze either. I'm proud of my council colleagues too, and I, I am touched by your recognition of them. So the proclamation. On October 18, 1587, more than a century before the Mayflower crossed the Atlantic Ocean, the first Luzones Indios, as Filipinos were known in those days, arrived in Morro Bay, California, after sailing across the Pacific Ocean as sailors on Spanish galleons. And between 1906 and 1935, the first large wave of Filipino immigration to the United States began as Filipinos were recruited to work in the agricultural industries, canneries, and on sugarcane plantations. And whereas during World War II, approximately 200,000 Filipino soldiers, including thousands from California, fought under United States command to preserve the liberty of our country and win back the liberty of the Philippines. And whereas between 1941 and 1959, a second wave of Filipino immigration began as nurses, students, fiancés of World War II military personnel, veterans, and many Filipinos who had served in the United States Navy settled in Navy towns, including Alameda, where they cre created flourishing communities. And whereas in 1965, a third wave of Filipino immigration began after enactment of the Immigration and Nationality Act abolished national origins as the basis for immigration, allowing for much needed Filipino medical professionals to come to the United States. And whereas October was first recognized as Filipino American History Month by the US Congress in 2009, during this month, Alameda recognizing, recognizes the lasting and significant contributions of Filipino Americans to our city and our nation as educators and artists, politicians and laborers, veterans and judges. Every day, Filipino Americans continue to enrich our cultural, economic, intellectual, social, spiritual, and political lives. And whereas in 1996 in the city of Alameda, 
Tony Desog became the first Filipino-American elected to the Alameda City Council. And in 2016, Maria Vela became the first Filipina-American elected to the Alameda City Council. In 2017, Alameda resident Benjamin T. Reyes II was appointed a superior judge for Contra Costa County, becoming the first Filipino-American superior court judge in Contra Costa and the second Filipino-American superior court judge in the Bay Area. And in April 2021, Rob Bonta, Alameda resident and former Alameda City Council member and former state assembly member, became the first Filipino-American attorney general in the state of California. Now, therefore, be it resolved that I, Marilyn Ezzie Ashcraft, mayor of the city of Alameda, on behalf of the Alameda City Council, do hereby proclaim October 2023 as Filipino-American History Month in the city of Alameda and encourage all Alamedans to learn more about the history and rich contributions of Filipino-Americans. And then we add, end on a bit of a somber note, but a very important note um, with our last proclamation. Oh, there, can you? <laughs> um, my right-hand woman. Um, so this is a proclamation declaring October 2023 as Domestic Violence Awareness Month. Whereas October is National Domestic Violence Awareness Month, in the United States, one in four women and one in seven men will experience domestic violence in their lifetimes. Whereas domestic violence can happen to anyone of any race, age, sexual orientation, religion, or gender. Domestic violence is a pattern of behaviors used by one partner to maintain power and control over another partner in an intimate relationship. These behaviors include physical and or emotional abuse, instilling fear to prevent a partner from doing what they wish to do or forcing them to do things they do not want to do. Whereas domestic violence can happen to anyone at any point in a relationship, it affects people of all socioeconomic backgrounds and education levels, and in many cases, traumatized children are the silent victims in homes where domestic violence occurs. Whereas in 2022, the Alameda Police Department responded to 206 domestic violence-related cases across the island. APD representatives are members of the city's domestic violence task force that works with other agencies to coordinate domestic violence prevention and intervention services to help end the cycle of domestic violence. And whereas the domestic violence task force, which also includes Alameda Hospital, the Family Violence uh, Law Center, Alameda Family Services, Alameda Point Collaborative, the Social Services Human Relations Board, Girls Inc. of the Island City, Alameda Boys and Girls Club and Building Futures conducts outreach activities during Domestic Violence Awareness Month to help create a domestic violence-free community. And whereas while progress has been made through the efforts of courageous survivors, advocacy, and legislative action, Breaking the cycle of domestic violence requires a focused and coordinated community response to help build a culture where abuse is not tolerated and where survivors are heard, supported, and protected. And I want to thank the city clerk for projecting the contact information behind us. Whereas we express our gratitude to the remarkable people and organizations that offer care and critical services to survivors of domestic violence, including Building Futures, if you or someone you know is experiencing domestic violence, 
You are not alone. Help is out there. It is a phone call away. So please call Building Futures 24-Hour Crisis Line. It, the number is 1-866, and on your keypad, a way out, or 1-866-292-9688, or visit their website, bfwc.org. Take a screenshot, save this information. Um, it is there for you. So now, therefore, be it resolved that I, Marilyn Ezzy Ashcraft, Mayor of the City of Alameda, hereby proclaim the month of October 2023 to be Domestic Violence Awareness Month in the City of Alameda and encourage Alameda residents to seek help if you're experiencing domestic violence, assist victims and survivors, and support the efforts of advocates and service providers working to end domestic violence. Thank you, everyone. That's the end of our proclamations, and thank you for your um, kind attention. All right, with that, Madam Clerk, we will move on to item number four, oral communications non-agenda. Do you wanna tell it? I've yeah. talked enough, <laughs> give them the instructions, please, thanks. Thank you, yes. Everybody um, remote, there was another Zoom up today, update today. We always happen to have them on council meetings. Maybe they're just every day. Um, so please make sure you're, you have the most current version of Zoom. Uh, if you have any trouble, you can always call in. Uh, the telephone number is 669-900-9128. And then you just need to enter the Zoom meeting ID, 875-3960-0763. Uh, there's instructions on the city's webpage on how to participate as well. And um, pub, you know, people in, in the room, you just complete a speaker slip. So um, we have one speaker in person under oral communications, uh, Brian Kennedy. Welcome, Speaker Kennedy. Good evening, everybody. Tony, welcome back. You're looking better, dude. Glad you're feeling better. Hey, want to make an announcement. Uh, this week uh, is the week that petitions are coming out for the recall effort against Alameda District Attorney Pamela Price. Um, this is being uh, initiated by business owners throughout Alameda County as well as victims of violent crime that Attorney General Price is not prosecuting. Um, case in point, about a month and a half, a two-year-old child was riding in a car south on 880. Uh, the family got caught in a crossfire between gangbangers. Two-year-old child was killed. Um, they were arrested, the gangbangers, and Pamela Price reduced the charges against the gangbangers, which is also going to reduce their sentence if convicted. The parents of the child are naturally outraged. And her reason for doing this, and this is not the only case, is restorative justice, because she thinks too many people are going to jail of a certain demographic. So she wants to change that, in essence, implement an affirmative action quota thing for uh, convictions, which is ridiculous. She's a far lefter. She actually took money from George Soros, which ought to tell you something there. Um, she's also guilty of um, nepotism. She hired her brother, or excuse me, her boyfriend for a six-figure job in the uh, district attorney's office, which is reminiscent, um, Malia Vela, that means to remind people of something, um, of the Black Lives Matter crew down where they were hiring their family and friends and making a fortune off all the donations to them, Patrice Cullors and uh, houses and family members on the payroll. Uh, nepotism. Malia, Malia, that means you hire your family members for cush jobs. So uh, what can we do about it? Well, uh, we're going to try to get her replaced. Go to uh, recallpamelaprice.org. We've got till March 5th. We need 70,000 signatures. More information to follow. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker um, is remote, uh, Ryan Lalande. 
at Lalonde. Welcome, Speaker Lalonde. Also, school board member, right? Yeah, thank you. Um, just two quick things. Uh, tomorrow is International Walk and Roll to School Day. So um, I'm encouraging uh, students and families to walk or roll to school safely. For, um, for many of these families, it'll be the first time doing so. So I encourage people who are uh, navigating close to school during their commute to look out for um, students who are <clears throat> navigating the roads for the first time on their bike or walking. And um, we have over 130 schools in Alameda County that are participating this year. And locally, the festivities will start at about 7.40 a.m. Um, and go to 8.30 p.m. at our elementary schools. Uh, it's a great way for us to become better educated on how we don't have to be such a car-centric community and how our students could get to school safely. And then the second thing is, is tomorrow is also the 31st annual citywide college night um, from six to eight at the College of Alameda Gymnasium. Uh, 16 different universities and colleges will be present. So if you're a family or a student that is starting that uh, college hunt, this is a great time to go out and, and, and interact with our UC schools, University of Oregon, Washington State, and the University of Nevada. Um, thank you for this time. That event is also free, so please uh, don't worry about any of that. And we look forward to seeing folks there, and thanks for the time. Thank you. Our next speaker, Shelby Sheehan. Welcome, Speaker Sheehan. Yes, hi. Um, tonight, I, uh, right now, I want to speak. Oh, I'm so sorry. What happened? I'm not sure. Let me it, see if I can find I her I just again. unfroze my iPad, so I think oh, everything Oh, let me see if I can get her back. I don't know what happened there, but I okay. somehow Todd Hickman came in and she went out. I must have clicked something. I need to now. There you are. We can hear you now. All right. Thank you. Um, so I'm going to speak tonight on the PICA item from the last meeting and uh, the improper appro approval for the uh, exterior fencing and the uh, allowance for the exclusive use of PICA of the entire four acres. Um, the rentable space is limited to only about 20% of the exterior parcel and also any fencing on that item violates the public trust. Uh, my concern is that when the city attorney was asked about these provisions by council member Spencer, um, he made erroneous statements about the historic land use regulations, including an utter failure to inform the public about the applicable land use regulations in the Tidelands Trusts. Uh, just to remind everyone, the city attorney has a statutory duty to accurately advise the public and act as a check on improper government action. That's according to uh, several California uh, government codes. Um, therefore, the city attorney should have disclosed the what the applicable, sorry, that's a hard word for me, the applicable regulations were for the Thailand's trust the Historic Preservation Ordinance and the Town Center and Waterfront Specific Plan, as well as the requirements for review by the Historical Advisory Board. All of these protect the public's rights to the surrounding open space, including the seascapes along West Tower to the Seaplane Lagoon that this fence would encroach upon. And it was very shocking to see that um, these issues went unanswered and no other member seemed even the least bit interested, yet the rest of the council still approved the lease. So I question their conduct, and I would ask that the uh, item be called back. Thank you. 
Thank you. Our next speaker, Todd Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Hickman. Yes, I really appreciate the first speaker. Excellent speech and recall is in the air. I really appreciate a good recall. Um, the last speaker talking about PICA and the encroachments um, that does violate the public trust, particularly when you steal our view corridors. Such short sightedness from a city council. The view is everything on the point and you continue to allow uses that destroy the view. It almost seems like that's your objective is to destroy the views, to put all that money and all that effort into cleaning up the area on Alameda Point and then to block the views, it is unconscionable. So um, again, council, you should be ashamed for your conduct on that. I'm also very ashamed to see the way the um, council meetings continue to degrade as far as the public trust, the Brown Act, and um, the mayor's constant interjection, cutting people off, interfering with people's thought process. Um, her need to comment on every commenter's comment. That's a violation of the Brown Act. You can't comment on public comment. If you want to do that, let's turn it into an agenda item where the people get to speak and the people get to debate. So when you constantly cut people off, even if you give them their time back, you steal their thought process and it puts the people at a huge disadvantage. It was shocking to just hear you talk about clapping. You didn't just learn that at a recent concert. You learned that in my email from last July where I talked about you allowed a certain group to clap after you admonished um, a veteran and a minority for clapping. There, there seemed to be no other basis for your decision on who could clap and who could not clap. That's just my interpretation and that's what it appeared because um, again, there was no other reason why you would allow one to clap and one not to clap. Um, so I'm glad you're getting the control on that. Um, additionally, everybody needs time to speak and when they're interrupted erroneously constantly and constantly comments are made, you disrupt the public process, you have hijacked it, you have stolen it from the people just like you've stolen our view. Thank Act. you. Our next speaker. That was our last speaker. All right. Well, with that, we will close public comment and we will move on to the consent calendar. Madam Clerk, do you want to explain the consent calendar? Sure. Um, the consent calendar, uh, the members of the public can speak uh, once on the entire consent calendar um, and members of the council um, can uh, request an item be removed and then there's lower speaking time. All right. So um, let's do this. Let's see if we have any items that council members want to pull and then um, we'll I'll look for a, a motion to approve the balance of the consent calendar. Councilmember Harris Spencer, anything you want to pull? Well, I didn't raise my hand. Uh, maybe I like am. You might be ready to speak. I am happy to respond though. Um, so I will be registering a no vote on 5E and 5H and I will be pulling item 5I. What was the first one? Five. Five E. E is in. I'll be registering a no vote. Okay. And. And five H. H. I'll be registering a no vote. No vote. Okay. And I will be pulling five I, which is the trailer on Gene Sweeney Open Space Park. Got it. Anything else? Not at this time. Okay. Any other pulls, Council Member Vice Mayor Dayzard? <laughs> Yes, just quickly, I, I will be uh, voting no on 5H as well. 5H, okay, so thank you for just registering your no vote. You. Let's see, that's H as in happy. Okay, and uh, Councilmember Jensen, did you have your hand up? But not to speak, okay, all right, anything else? All right, 
So if I've got this correct, Madam Clerk, we have pulls on item 5E as in Edward, 5H as in happy. No, excuse me, uh, registering no votes is what I meant to say, not pulling, but just registering no votes, correct? correct. Okay, and then just one item to pull, which is 5I. Yes. Okay, so. And we have speakers. And we've got speakers. Okay, so, um, so we'll do our vote after the speakers. Okay, so hold that, but we, um, yes, okay. Good, good. So, um, speakers, let's call our speakers. Okay. Shelby Sheehan. Welcome, Speaker Sheehan. Are you there? Hi there. There you are. Hi. So, yes, I'm uh, speaking on the um, Alameda Food Bank, former parcel now proposed to be for All Good Living Foundation. Uh, just like the... Uh, PICA lease proposal, the um, discussion and the description and all these other neato things were filled with errors, factual errors. And so my current question of why that the city attorney is letting factual errors in that material impact the uh, legalities of these items. For example, um, the uh, assistant city manager Amy Woldridge could have told uh, the public that the food bank was an approved use. It's not a non-conforming use. Um, he could, uh, the city attorney could have also said that um, they, the staff report aired in the end date of um, the use of the parcel. The parcel has been out of use for over three years. Um, Andrew Thomas and uh, Alan Ty um, knew but refused to disclose that there is no non-conforming use uh, permit for uh, the Alameda Food Bank, and even if there was the grandfather clause, which they failed to mention completely, has already expired. I believe that was all misleading so that, that this uh, non-conforming use could be approved, and um, they don't need, I don't know why they would need to use that parcel as a closet. Um, I have made a public comment about it if you want to look at it more, and um, it's completely illegal. It should be given back to Gene Sweeney for the use it was intended. And uh, don't, this should not be approved. Thank you. Our next speaker. Danny Musso. Welcome, Speaker Musso. Welcome. Hi. Um, my husband and I own the property at 3227 Fernside Boulevard. And I'd like to speak regarding um, item number 5G, your final tract map approval um, for 8570. Uh, particularly, we'd like to address the permanent public access easement. Uh, this morning, I sent a letter to all of you, hopefully that you received through the clerk's office. Um, and I won't go into all of the details, obviously, given the time constraints. But in general, um, our property, along with 3229 Fernside Boulevard, uh, has one of the new public access pathways that was built approximately six months ago. And the final tract map is proposing a permanent public access easement over the submerged lands that the city wants to sell for us at a $10,000 price tag. Um, we would very much appreciate you guys considering uh, voting no on the permanent public access easement for a variety of reasons. Um, most importantly, there doesn't seem to be any 
desire for a current um, development of that area. And this would be something that will significantly reduce our property values as well as impede any sort of repair or replacement of any current docks that we have, which we do. Um, so we potentially suffer a little bit more in terms of negative impact on property values. The other thing is that the public pathway that's already done and was done very nicely, quite honestly, isn't getting very much traffic. So before the city considers, I think, spending a lot more money developing, you guys might want to take a look, um, I think, at some of the issues that we brought up in the letter that we sent to you. Thank you. Um, okay. Uh, it, uh, Get more speakers, yeah. Yes. Um, I will go ahead and announce that I did a quick sidebar with the city attorney and acting city manager, assistant city manager. We will pull that item to hear um, the report on that. So that is 5G. Okay. Okay. All right. And let's go to our next public speaker on the consent calendar, please. Ruth Lampert. Abbey. Welcome, Speaker Abbey. Uh, in the room or on the. Okay. <laughs> uh, uh, thank you, um, Madam Mayor, members of the City Council. I'm Ruth Abbey. I I'm, I'm calling in to support uh, 5I, which is the lease for the All Good Living Foundation. Uh, we have been partnering with them. The Community Action for Sustainable Alameda and All Good uh, Living Foundation have partnered on a number of projects to support families in Alameda, uh, particularly during the COVID period. and. Um, I really think that this project is uh, appropriate for that site. Uh, I read the um, information in the council packet about how you know future development of the park is not impeded, but it will take time to develop that part of the park, and uh, and the uh, the the lease can the notice can be uh, given to the, the leaser um, at any point um, with six months notice. And I really think this is a very appropriate use. They will clean up the site and provide amenities to our um, families, teachers, students, uh, who really benefit from their um, fundraising and from their donations. So I would um, encourage you to support the lease at that site. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Chris Tam. Chris Tam. Yes. Welcome, Speaker Tam. Good evening, Mayor Ashcraft, Vice Mayor Desog, and City Council members. We'd like to address the urgent need for the trailer space at 1900 that way. We have exceeded our current space at Twin Towers Church. We have two small rooms that were sufficient prior to the growth of our programs have seen in the last year, specifically the expansion of our community closets and the addition of sports programs. We have expanded free community closets to additional campuses and plans to continue to do so until every primary and secondary school in AUSD has one. This expansion means more donations are being received, organized, and distributed. These additional donations cannot be accommodated at Twin Towers Church. We have launched our sports program and it's grown quickly. Donated sports equipment needs to be stored for our golf league and mentorship program. In addition, donated equipment is cataloged and distributed to students in need, as well as local sport programs. We currently handle golf clubs, basketballs, lacrosse equipment, chessettes and more. In addition to community closets and sports programs, we continue to support our McKinney-Vento students with shoes, clothing, and toiletries. We are lucky to receive donations on a large and larger scale. However, Twin Towers cannot accommodate this growth. We are dedicated to improving the trailer and surrounding area. We have plans to paint 
both inside and outside of the structure, as well as beautifying outside with plants and maintaining a generally clean and pleasing appearance. Thank you for your time and have a great night. Thank you. Our next speaker, Todd Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Hickman. Hey, what a great cause this is, All Good Living Foundation. However, it is questionable why they would need a closet in the middle of a park. It is an open space. It's the people's park, the people's view. Um, this is akin to blocking off the people's view with shipping containers um, along West Tower Avenue and the rest of the um, Alameda Point. This seems to be a council that likes to impede the people's view and drag down the enjoyment and property value of everything around them. I, I just can't understand why you would do such things. Um, isn't there a shipping container somewhere that all these clothes could go on? Isn't there another fabulous spot on the point that doesn't impede people's views and is not in the middle of a park? Um, a very, very tough issue. Great, great cause. However, this is the wrong place. So I'd urge you to dig deep on this one. Look at your conscience and say, do you want to steal more people's visuals um, from the people on the point and make it look um, even um, worse than it has to? Also, again, we have another consent calendar that is chalked up with agenda items. I do not know why this continues to happen at the city of Alameda. Um, it is wrong. The consent calendar is supposed to be very routine things that don't really need a vote and don't have any debate upon. And this is just chalked up with controversial issues that just should be agenda items. So once again, why doesn't the city just get a grip on this and stop all this um, and make a true consent calendar that is a consent calendar with very routine items and put the agenda items on the agenda so that way the people can speak. When you behave like this, it appears that you're deliberately trying to steal the people's speaking time, which ties right into my public comment and all the things the mayor does to backdoor people and comment on their comments and control, try to control the dialogue. This is the one place every two weeks that the people have a voice and the people have some power. So please Please, please, Council, quit trying to steal it from us. It's our Thank time. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, so, Chris Tam, uh, there was two Chris Tams, and both hands were up, and I thought it was just a, a Zoom issue. So, I'm going to call the other one because I had lowered their hand, and I apologize. But if it's the same Chris Tam, you can only speak once. Okay, yeah, we get one bite of the apple, but in case there are two people at the same right. phone number, okay, let's see what it what, what it's all about. Hi, my name is Dr. Sabumi Woods. I have been working with Chris Tam for. Um, at least five years before I was working with him before COVID. And I can tell you that the All Good Living Foundation is essential to Alameda and Alameda County. He is presently helping my school where I work in Alameda County, which we service a large population of Hispanic, Hispanic and African-American students who live below the poverty rate. We do not go to school in Alameda. My daughter actually attends school in Alameda. I used to work at two schools in Alameda as a truancy officer. And I can tell you that All Good Living Foundation does amazing things for a whole lot of people. And no matter where they sit, they will be able to do the work that they're doing. But having a place is, is a must. I know that they were over on Crab Cove for a while, and that was an amazing space. And it would be great if they had a space that that was that big. Um, the trailer does what it does. And if you do not have a space for uh, All Good Living Foundation, you will see the impact of that decision. 
as again, I will say that I know for a fact that All Good Living does amazing things for families. Um, I was around at Christmas time giving out, he gives out food to families throughout the year. He gives out Christmas gifts to many children at Christmas time and all year long he does things to make a difference in the lives of these children and families who otherwise would not have these resources. So wherever you decide to put a trailer or to build closets or whatever it is you need to do to make sure that this place stays standing, I think that Alameda should do that. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Akessa Bakala. Welcome, Speaker Fakatha. You will correct me if I got that wrong. Apologies. No problem. Good evening, Mayor Ashcraft and City Council members. My name is Akessa Fakava, and I'm the pastor of Twin Towers United Methodist Church <laughs> and here in support of the lease proposal for All Good Living Foundation for the property located in 1900 that way. That they need more space to store the donations they are receiving is a good indicator and speaks to the effectiveness of the work that All Good Living is doing, that they are growing the much needed support of McKinney-Vento Act Alameda students and teachers. So I would strongly and really just ask that you please, I encourage you to support the lease for a site for the All Good Living Foundation. Thank you. Thank you, Reverend Fakava. And I look forward to meeting with you this week. Uh, our next speaker. Uh, Donna Fletcher, Fisher, I mean, sorry. <laughs> Fisher, Donna Fisher. Uh, okay, welcome, yeah. Speaker Fisher. <laughs> Thank you. Can you hear me? Um, I want to yes. talk. I know one speaker a couple minutes ago removed 5G. I want to bring it to everyone's attention. We have now been waiting over eight years on this, as many of you on council and the assistant city manager know. At this point, it is a routine item. It keeps coming on, and then a little thing kicks it off. We are the property that is not a public access. The city relinquished all rights five years ago it is on the map correctly as a view corridor no public access um and we have spent unlike the others where they were turned into parks and the city spent money we spent over thirty thousand dollars just fixing sinkholes on the prior theoretically city maintained area we now want to start working on the seawall and thought this would finally happen the city has no access the city can't make it public you've relinquished all rights we want to know if our property or the two on this um, were 3341 Fernside can be put back on. Otherwise, how long will this take? We can't let the seawall crumble away while the city keeps putting this on, approving everything. And this was approved by city council. And um, I think you guys are all aware of that. And um, no more public access. The city relinquished all rights. We've paid $30,000 to get up to the water and we're waiting to work on the seawall. Thank you for your time. Thank you. Our next speaker. That was our last speaker. Okay, with that, we will close public comment on uh, the consent calendar. And let's take our motion to approve the balance of the calendar with the exception of um, 5G and 5I. And we'll record those two no votes on um, E and H. Yes. Okay. Who will make a motion? Um, so moved. I move uh, the balance. Okay. Uh, Second. Okay. We have a motion by Councilmember Vela, seconded by Councilmember Harris Spencer. 
All those in favor of the motion as stated, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Any abstained? The motion passes unanimously. Okay, so let's take the pulled items in the alphabetical order in which they uh, fall on the calendar, so on the agenda. So I just wanted a little clarification. I'm not saying, you know, reopen it, go back, but just to, to have a, a little explanation of what, what this item is, because some of us possibly weren't on council when this came up before, although I'm sure everyone's read their material. <coughs> so um, who, uh, is that you? Um, because you were um, assistant city manager and acting city manager, you were actually the recreation and parks director when we were in the thick of this, right? C correct, you, you, I'm sorry, but you, you were, so 5G, correct? I am on 5G. So, um, yeah, I'll give you a, a quick history. Um, so in 2016, council approved transfer of 99 submerged parcels as part of the title canal transfer and directed staff to conduct a public process on three pathways on Fernside plus three more on East Shore. Staff conducted that public process and council approved a plan for those pathways. Um, and council also approved in 2019 landside easements for two of the pathways um, with, um, and as one speaker mentioned, one of the pathways was uh, relinquished and has a scenic view across it. Um, in 2022, in September and October respectively, the planning board and city council approved the tentative map for these six submerged parcels that abut the pathways. Um, and those will, um, these are the ones that are, are we're discussing tonight. Um, and there's a seventh uh, in the tentative map that the city will retain that's, that's between the residential submerged and the midline of this estuary. Um, the tentative map staff report that came to the planning board and city council was approved, did include a description of a scenic view, emergency access and public access across the four um, submerged parcels um, that abut the, the public, publicly accessible pathways. Um, and just also to mention that the sale of those parcels, of all six of these parcels, will come back to city council and is not actually on the um, part of the motion tonight. The motion tonight is for the, um, for the final map. Thank you for that. Council, do I have any clarifying questions um, before we look for a vote? Council Member Harris Spencer. Uh, thank you, Mayor. Uh, thank you, Assistant City Manager, for your explanation. My question goes to, we did have a caller, um, and I believe that may be the only property owner that has objected to this proposal. And can, can you confirm what address that is and if there are other, any other property owners that have expressed concerns or objected to this? Uh, the I'd have to confirm the specific address. I know it's on the one on High Street, uh, and it's the part uh, they own the parcel closest. So I believe it's three two two seven Fernside. Um, Are you talking about Ms. Musa? Yes, the three two two seven Fernside. Right, the the Musos. Um, their adjacent neighbors at three two two nine had previously um, put their names to a letter that the Musos sent to council, but have they have not uh, registered anything with that staff has heard um, for this particular item. And we've not heard uh, from any of the other neighbors any concerns. All right, so, but they did, the one at 3229 also supported uh, the concern of 3227. Is that correct? 
during the tentative map, but for the final map, we've not heard anything right. from them. I appreciate that information. So my preference would be to separate, to bifurcate the other addresses from that one, um, and, and uh, because I would prefer spending more time on that concern uh, and separating from the other uh, addresses. <clears throat> because I appreciate, right, right, we had another caller that does need to push it through. So I appreciate that, but I don't know that we need to, uh, this is on consent. I don't, you know, personally, I think it would have been appropriate since we do have a concern of someone that lives, uh, possibly two that live at one of them, right? They share that one. Well, so it's the same, it's the same uh, access point, the 3227 and the 3229. Yes, they, they would have. I'll go ahead and just jump in and say I would not su uh, support a motion to bifurcate. We have spent years on this item. City Attorney, you look like you had something to add. Uh, yes, I think Mr. Roush and I agree that because this is a final map that covers all of the properties, um, the council can't really pull out one particular property and vote it differently. You could give staff direction to just change the map altogether. I mean, the map has to be voted all at once, either approved or not approved, but it, it, it really can't be voted address by address because the final map is one product. So I'd like clarification then. So. Uh, in order to do that then, does it have to come back or is that some change that could be made from the dais? If, if I may, Madam Please. Mayor. Oh, continue, uh, yes. It, it cannot be made from the dais. These maps are being, uh, they're engineered maps. Um, and so uh, if the council disagrees with the way the maps are being drawn, um, council would have to send it back to staff um, so that a new uh, properly drawn map could come back to you. And how long would that take? Could it come back at the next council meeting? No. No, that, that is posting on, uh, that agenda is posting this Thursday and the map has to be drawn by an outside firm. Thank you. Do I have a motion to support? Oh, of course, sorry. Uh, and oh, does the city manager, are you, were you wanting to add? Sorry. I'm yeah. gonna, I'll I'm move my iPad so I can see you, yes. Sorry, I was just going to say that we'd have to check, but I might also have to come back through the tentative map process and not just be able to change the final map. So that that's a much lengthier process of going through the planning board and council again if, if we have to bring it through that tentative map process. Thank you, City Manager. Uh, and now to you, Councilmember Jensen. Just, um, I just wanted to clarify that the um, it, these maps are not parcel by parcel. They're not, uh, the maps, there's several large um, parcels that includes several homes, a number of homes in each parcel. Is that correct? Um, Mr. Rash, did you want to come to the podium and use the, <laughs> I'm trying to read those expressions, but I'm falling short, so <laughs> enlighten us. Mayor and Council, Michael Rausch, Special Counsel for the City of Alameda. Uh, I've been working with uh, the Assistant City Manager uh, on, this, uh, on this project, and I've had some discussions with uh, at least uh, two of the property owners, well, actually one of the property owners, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Uh, Musso. Uh, the issue is that the final map, consistent with the tentative map that's been approved, has this uh, public access easement uh, over uh, four of the parcels that would be, uh, submerged parcels that would be then conveyed to the property owners. Two of the parcels uh, simply have a, not simply, but they have a scenic uh, view easement over them, consistent with the pathway that kind of leads up to where that, uh, that easement is. If the council approves the final map tonight with those easements, we will be bringing back to the council 
the sale of those six parcels to uh, the adjacent property owners. Those property owners have indicated that they have some objection, uh, not just to the easement, but to the price of $10,000. The $10,000 was the number that the council approved when it sold 84 other submerged parcels to residential uh, property owners adjacent to the, uh, to the water. So the council would have an opportunity at that time uh, if it wished to do something different with that price uh, to take action or it could give direction tonight uh, to count to the to the staff because that item is discussed in the agenda report that is anticipated that the $10,000 will be uh, collected from these property owners. So if the council has an interest in having staff have further discussions with those property owners, we will do that. Otherwise, we will bring the item back presuming a $10,000 sale, and the council can then uh, uh, decide whether it wants to do some or all of that at that time. I hope that answers your question. Thank you. Councilman Mary Spencer. I wasn't sure if she's done. <laughs> Thank you. I'm okay, sorry, were so, you raising your hand to call on someone else? Um, so can you clarify then that from your uh, perspective, uh, the issue is the price as opposed to wanting to purchase it in regards to the um, 3229 and 3227 on Fernside? Yes, uh, the, the concept is that each of those property owners, those two property owners and the other four, would be required to pay $10,000 a piece to the city uh, in order to get the submerged parcels. Um, my understanding is that uh, at least the, the Musos and possibly others have objected to having to pay the $10,000 because those parcels, unlike the other 84 parcels, are not encumbered by either public service or public access or scenic view easements, and that's their rationale for we are different, therefore we shouldn't have to pay that full amount. Uh, the council hasn't really addressed that issue. If the council wishes staff to have that further discussion with those property owners, we would. If not, we would simply bring the item back consistent with what we did, uh, what the council did on the other 84 lots. May I continue, Mayor? You may. So um, for those, could you um, identify who, who you are? Sorry. Just so oh, the public did, knows. I'm sorry. I just want to make sure. So he, you're, he's our city, he's one of our attorneys in the city attorney's office. Correct. So um, in regards to when when it comes back then, uh, you, you do agree that they are different types of parcels than the other, the 80-some that uh, we already have addressed? They certainly would have uh, easements on them that the other parcels did not. Um, the question is whether or not simply having a scenic view easement and having a public access easement is a, a sufficient uh, infringement on those property rights to warrant a less price than $10,000. And that's a, that would basically be a council call in terms of whether or not the council felt that that was a sufficient infringement where either no price, no price should be paid or something less than 10000 But this will come back before us when this item that's comes That's correct. Back. And, and we will discuss within that agenda report, and I say that because I got about three-quarters of the way done, that uh, giving reasons why, uh, at least on the staff side, that we feel that the $10,000 is appropriate but there's a, you know, the property owners have a different point of view, and I think they would want to be heard on that issue. All right. And you will at that time then share the, the differences of why, what the differences are, and then your opinion. Sure, that's part. Of, that'll be part of the agenda report, certainly. All right. 
Uh, thank you. So I'm happy to move approval given that it will come back in being inclusive in regards to that staff report. All right, so we have a motion from Councilmember Harris Spencer to adopt all the items, and we can do it all in one motion, correct, Madam Clerk? Correct. In um, item 5G, and I believe Councilmember uh, Jensen is seconding, correct? Yes? <laughs> all right, all those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed, any abstentions? That motion passes unanimously. Okay, now we go to our second pulled item, and that is 5I. Madam Clerk, would you introduce that item first, please? Final passage of ordinance authorizing the city manager to execute a 59-month lease with All Good Living Foundation for the property located at 1900 Thou Way, Alameda, California. In accordance with the California Environmental Quality Act, this action is exempt from further environmental review pursuant to CEQA guidelines section 15301, existing facilities. Thank you. Um, I'm going to call once again on our very able assistant city manager, acting city manager and former recreation parks director, Amy Wooldridge, to just give us a little overview of this item. Sure. Would you like Please. me to give you an overview or just answer questions? You know, questions probably, because I think we heard a lot about this and had lots of questions last time. So sure, let's entertain questions from the council. Any questions, Councilmember Harris Spencer? You pulled this item, didn't you? I believe I saw Member Jensen's arm. I, I'm going to start. I'm going to start with the person who pulled the item. All right. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so I did pull the item. Uh, my first question is: uh, Can staff confirm that this parcel is on Gene Sweeney Open Space Park? Uh, yes, that's correct. Thank you. All right. Um, and uh, can staff confirm that they did not have any uh, discussions with the board of Gene Sweeney Open Space Park in advance? That's correct. All right, so um, we did receive a letter um, from two of the board members that are not in the country at this time. Uh, uh, we did hear from one of the board members, some of you may know, former council member Doug DeHaan, I think, believe he was also a vice mayor, who serves on the Gene Sweeney Open Space Park board and he had requested within his letter that this come back to allow time to have Gene Sweeney Open Space Park uh, board members uh, weigh in on this as it is on the park property. Uh, I have uh, submitted some pictures in advance I'd like to share with all of you so that you're aware of what we're talking about here. Um, could you, there's one that has a bigger view. So that's the side view. So this is the trailer, a module trailer that is on Gene Sweeney Open Space Park. You'll be able to see the bike route coming in, and it's on uh, Webster at Atlantic. And this is, so this is what we're talking about. And then you may continue, please. All right, so this is one side of it, and you'll see how trash accumulates around here. Uh, and it's hard to clean up because of that fence and, and whatnot. So next picture. Uh, this is from the street view. It's right next to uh, these, I believe, townhomes, and then that's where your bike path goes through across. Uh, next picture. This is the part of the signage of Gene Sweeney Open Space Park. So we have a beautiful sign. Next picture. Okay, and uh, when you're riding your bike, uh, it's west, and this is the uh, north view. You actually see open space. 
you see that I, uh, I will submit a very uh, uh, pretty view of open space on the one side. What you see on the other side is that trailer and what accumulates there. Um, I believe that completes my pictures. So I wanted to share this because I did not support this before. I was saddened to learn that there has been no outreach to the Open Space Park board members about this park. Um, uh, so I continue to have concerns. Other concerns that I expressed was this was uh, formerly occupied by the food bank. Uh, they apparently have essentially abandoned it at some point. Uh, and then they decided that they could go out and handpick who the next occupant will be, which is this All Good Living uh, Foundation. There was no public process to handpick who will, in fact, be in that trailer if, in fact, it's going to remain there. However, the city, through this lease, will be charging them $1 a year for 59 months. Um, I personally think it was imperative that uh, there be a public, if in fact, I think there needed to be a discussion whether or not we actually want to keep that trailer on open space. I actually believe it was supposed to be demolished whenever we move forward with the park and that there were, is supposed to be a community garden near there, but I think that we needed to have the public discussion of do we want to keep that trailer there or proceed with demolition and uh, try to figure out you know, what actually supports highest and best use for open space park. I do not believe it was appropriate to let not have a public for $1 a year, I think, as part of government, it is imperative that we have a public process then of who the tenant will be if, in fact, we're going to keep it. Um, regard, and we have many nonprofits in our community that serve our community. And so I think they should all been, if we're going to keep it, they should have all been allowed to apply a pub, through a public process. And then, like we treat other um, properties of the city that we make available for $1 a year. And I think that this sadly has uh, subverted our transparent processes, including not even um, including the Gene Sweeney Open Space Park Fund uh, Board as part of this discussion. Thank you. And just for the sake of clarification, um, uh, Ms. Wooldridge, I do believe Gene Sweeney Open Space Park is a public park. Um, do we not have a Recreation and Parks Commission that oversees our various parks? Yes, we do. So what is the board of directors of Gene Sweeney Open Space Park? Uh, the, 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 it's the Gene Sweeney Open Space Park uh, Fund, and they are a nonprofit 501c3 in the community. They have a board of directors, um, and the Recreation and Parks Department works with them on certain certain aspects of the park, for example, they um, manage they get volunteers for volunteer cleanups. We work quite a bit with that. Um, the city, the rec department, also works with them um, in regards to things like bench donations and picnic table donations. So that's um, been their role. Um, in addition, when I was recreation and parks director, um, I worked with them on uh, the initial design of the park when we were doing the master planning and the more detailed planning. I recall that. Do we need their permission for um, renting this trailer on city property? Or maybe that's a question for the city attorney. Uh, Madam Mayor, the council does not need this particular group's um, consent to proceed. Okay. So um, uh, 
I'm, I see your hand up, Tracy. I'm just, I, I, this really triggered something to me, so I'm gonna start um, first, and then I will go straight to you, Councilmember Jensen. So what we're talking about is a trailer that used to be the food bank that is now going to convert over to storing objects that you heard described that are made available to students in our schools. Students, when you heard the term McKinney-Vento, those are students who are homeless, even in Alameda, even in AUSD. Students are homeless. All children should be on an equal footing, on a level play playing field. When they go to school, they should have the same clothes, supplies, backpacks, pencils, regardless of whether they have a roof over their head. And so I um, am, am just Taken aback, the photographs that you were shown of trash alongside the trailer, All Good Living Foundation hasn't even taken possession yet. Um, maybe that's on us, the city, to clean the trash up, but this isn't about view corridors. Um, this is, I just think this is um, an opportunity that we should be so grateful that we have this nonprofit in our community reaching not just to the schools across Alameda, but even around Alameda County. There is a great need, even in this land of plenty, and Alameda is a very comfortable middle, middle class city. There are those who are suffering, who are um, without homes, who are food insecure, housing insecure, to help the children. I mean, if you can give children a, a strong foundation, uh, you are just paying it forward. So um, I am fully in support of this item. And Councilmember Jensen, over to you. Um, thank you, Madam Mayor. I did um, also wanted to comment on the pictures and um, ask for input from the Assistant City Manager. And I wonder whether in discussing the occupancy with All Good Living, was there any um, discussion of the issues around the upkeep of the site? Uh, yes, as, as uh, Mr. Tam mentioned in public comment, they plan to paint the building um, and beautify the general area. Um, and, and, and I'll just add to that, Councilmember Jensen, that um, currently there's some minimal uh, use of the trailer, um, but when you don't have an active area, we have, we use this, uh, this is in parks all over the place. If, you, if it's not activated, it is more likely to attract unwanted behavior like graffiti and trash and things like that. And once an area is activated and there's people and they're using it and they're caretaking it, um, that's when those, those unwanted attractive nuisances uh, are abated and go down. And um, if All Good Living Foundation were not, had not been offered this trailer by the Alameda, Alameda Food Bank, would there be another, uh, would some, uh, is there other um, organizations that would be moving in or? Are you aware that the I'm not the aware food of, bank? Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I, I'm not aware of any that are interested. Um, so uh, no one's come forth with expressing any interest in that in that space and the city or in that trailer. Wouldn't have any authority to allow another use of that trailer itself, right? The city owns the land, and the trailer is owned by the food bank. So it would be the food bank's uh, choice what to do with the trailer. Um, they would need our consent of who council's consent of who to who they give the trailer to if the trailer is to stay in that location. And um, I actually, uh, and I also appreciated some of the comments regarding the notification to the, um, to the Gene Sweeney um, Open Space Foundation and um, as well as the, the our uh, Parks and Rec Commission. 
And I know that we're, that this has been moving forward relatively quickly because the food bank had identified All Good Living and All Good Living is running out of space. So I'm supportive of this, but I just want to also point out, um, as you shared with me earlier, that this will be a six-month lease with the organization. And if anything comes up, if, if the, the aquatic center or other areas or there's something that is not working with this, we can, we can um, have the the space the the tenant removed and do tell the food bank to remove the trailer at any after six months notice is that correct yeah just to clarify one thing is it, it it's a it's a four-year 11-month lease with a six-month termination clause for no cause so you're correct that okay. if we end up deciding to we we find some funding and do something with the park and want to utilize that space the city would have would be able to give six month notice to um, all good living and they would be required at that point to um, it'd be their responsibility not the food bank because the food bank would be giving it to them so it'd be their responsibility to remove the trailer thank you You're welcome. all right any further comments or motion vice mayor Desa? uh yeah well thank you um uh i appreciate uh the uh letter submitted um by the co-chair of the uh, gene sweeney open space foundation uh doug dehan former council member um, uh, he does raise an interesting point. Um, I think the way that I look at this item is first and foremost, um, I think uh, the choice of all good living, to me, it, it sounds like um, uh, a great service uh, that will be rendered um, to uh, especially families in need. Um, and I also you know, have no qualms with the uh, $1 a year lease. Um, and I, and I do want to draw attention to the fact that um, it's a 59-month lease. And the reason why it's a 59-month lease, um, looking back at the previous um, staff report, is because we want to remain within the um, parameters of the state land, uh, state land, um, uh, uh, sur surplus, lands, um, uh, surplus Lands Act. Because if we went to 60 months, not 59 months, if we went to 60 months, um, that would trigger the Surplus Lands Act and make us have to make this site available for affordable housing. So for that reason, if we look back at the previous staff report, um, what is clearly indicated is that this is a use that will not exceed 59 months. Um, and in fact, there is the possibility that it can go less should the planning process move forward. Um, so I think for all those reasons, um, I think we, the city of Alameda, are um, uh, safeguarded in terms of you know, how that area is going to be um, planned. Um, but I think the fundamental question that uh, former council member, former vice mayor Doug DeHaan is asking of, I think his fundamental question is just to um, uh, save time. Because, uh, you know, we really, they, the Gene Sweeney Open Space Foundation has been good partners. Um, I frankly see no problem in just holding this off for one month um, to get the input from the Gene Sweeney um, uh, foundation to the extent that they're interested in, in, in providing us um, input with regard to you know wh what ideas that they have um, for this um, area um, and then you know we will duly note it and when the planning of the swimming pool which will happen slightly away from here when this planning of the swimming pool um, occurs then we can see how um, uh, if it, it is out possible 
um, the idea is that the Gene Sweeney um, Open Space Foundation and and the Alameda Parks and Recreation Commission, you know, whatever ideas that they have in place. Um, and the reason why, so, so I think, I, I find no qualms with just holding this off for one month, unless there's a legal issue that, that says that we need to make a decision uh, um, uh, tonight. Um, you know, no, 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 there, there's no pain, there's no loss in it, because um, I, for one, um, am very supportive of what's before us. I am su supportive of the substance of, supportive of Chris Tam, um, he was on my tennis team. Um, um, <laughs> And uh, you know, supportive of, of uh, the, the project that he has forward, um, and uh, but you know, um, I, I think the reason, in my opinion, the reason why we don't want to do nothing is because you know that could mean you know the the empty building that we have there now that could be subject to the types of you know graffiti that happens now and then. Um, and so, you know, as um, assist, um, Assistant City Manager um, Woolridge indicated, you know, in, in, in putting uh, All Good Living, we activate the space and hopefully, you know, put a lot more eyes in the area and, and make the place a lot more enjoyable and inviting. Um, but I see no reason in waiting one month. So I would move that we wait one month and bring it back. And in between, um, that you know, we uh, gather input, um, whatever uh, the um, uh, Gene Sweeney Open Space Foundation has to um, provide. Um, and that you know, if the Parks and Rec Commission also want to uh, give input, and then we just come back and put this on the agenda one month from now and then uh, move forward. That would be my motion. And I um, am going to um, just chime in to remind people this is the second reading of this ordinance. Yeah. And so, while I think it's lovely that people are able to vacation in Europe, um, they have access to email, because that's how we got the email. If they wanted to provide their input, they could have provided their input. But I just think, on balance, this is the more compelling need. But I'm going to call on Councilmember Herrera's, um, Vela and then Herrera Spencer. Councilmember Vela. So I have a couple concerns with us conferring with a non-public uh, board, basically, about uh, real property negotiations or um, items like that. I, I, I do have concerns about um, waiving privilege and, and other things. And we also have friends of the park, and we don't typically confer with them on real property issues relative to our parks. Um, or, or things like that, and, and this has been agendized. It was publicly agendized. There isn't um, an allegation that it was improperly noticed or that it was, you know, and, it, and my understanding is that I think um, it had previously also been agendized on closed session um, before that. So there's, there's been, and, and again, no challenge to whether or not it was properly noticed. So I, I do have some concerns with us creating a new carve out that creates issues where, wherein we create fiduciary, uh, where we violate our, our fiduciary responsibilities in, uh, as council members. Um, I, I also think that because there's provisions in here that allow for the different changes and the concerns that I heard being raised in the email um, really had to do with uh, you know implications with the pool. I, I think just like any other private citizen is able to come to the meetings and express concerns about 
a contract or, or um, a lease that we're entering into. I think we, we've heard the concerns. I think there there are provisions in the lease that actually address the concerns if the if the city needs to take back the property. And there isn't anything happening with the pool that wouldn't be solved with a six month uh, notice, which we have as a provision. So it, um, it, it also, if we need to amend the lease, we could bring it back to amend to address the issues with the pool. If that wasn't the case in here um, and we didn't have that clause, I could understand taking another month to kind of hear out the concerns, but I think the concerns are actually addressed. And so other than wanting to change who the tenant is, um, I, I don't understand what we would be doing. And frankly, I don't want to continue with having this um, trailer there vacant um, and not going to good use when we have somebody that's willing to go in and not just use the space, but use it for something that benefits our constituents um, and and improve the space um, in the interim. So, I, I would support moving forward with the second um, the second reading of this tonight. Is that a motion? Yes. Okay. We have a motion. Do we have a second? Second. Okay. And um, we'll have discussion. Councilmember Herrera Spencer. There was a motion on the table, which I was going to second before you called on another motion. Uh, so, I wanted to clarify. Um, the person we received an email from, Doug DeHaan, is not in Europe. He's he's local. The, there are other board members of the four. Two of them are out of the country. Um, I also wanted to clarify that. Um, so so of course I agree with uh, Vice Mayor Desog to hold off on this. Um, um, uh, Assistant City Manager Woldridge, do you have any idea how much money this uh, Gene Sweeney Open Space Fund has contributed to the park over uh, the years? I don't have that off the top of my head, no. So as a profession, so they have, uh, many of you I think volunteer at the park under their leadership. Um, they have been great stewards of the park and um, I do think as a professional courtesy, it was appropriate to include them in the discussion. Uh, Councilmember Vela, then Vice Mayor Desa, Councilmember Vela. So I'm, I'm going to respond to that because there were actually allegations at the first reading of pay to play and that by definition is pay to play in terms of giving them priority access that we wouldn't give private citizens normally. Um, and I think Friends of the Park have also been great stewards and partners um, in, in, in terms of contributing. But I also think that we, we have a public process and that's in the name of transparency and we, we follow that process and we agendize things properly. So I, you know, I think we encourage people to continue to volunteer and, and to be partners, but I also don't know that we waive certain things relative to transparency or process or allow a private non-public entity to weigh in on private or on public property outside of what we would normally do. That would concern me. Thank you. Vice Mayor Desai. Well, thank you. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not asking <laughs> for negotiations uh, between um, um, Gene Sweeney Opens Park Foundation or anyone with the city over uh, the use of this uh, site. And your All time is up, Vice Mayor. Oh, All those in favor of the oh. motion, please signify 
Um, oh, we need four on that one. Okay, so we need four votes on this one. So, um, uh, oh, wait, 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 wait. We have um, Assistant City Manager Woldridge. I, I just wanted one clarification um, in case it's helpful. There were a couple comments to the City Aquatic Center. And just to be clear, um, the, the Cross Alameda Trail is really a bifurcation of the design because the soil contamin contaminated soil on site was per state regulations, burrito wrapped and buried under the trail. So that trail cannot move. So all of the city aquatic center and the community garden and the associated parking lot will be north of the trail between the trail and the business park. So I heard a couple references about the city aquatic center design potentially affecting this parcel and it won't. It is, it is in no way, shape or form connected to the city aquatic center design. It could be another different future park purpose that could be planned in the future, but not as part of the City Aquatic Center. Okay, um, Councilmember Velli, did you have something else to say? I didn't have your I, hand, I, was that? No, I'm happy to give uh, Councilmember or Vice Mayor Daysog an extra minute. I um, okay, I say if we give an extra minute to one, we give an extra minute to the other sure. uh, Councilmember who has one second left. Uh, but we need a vote of four to pass that, correct? Okay. Do you have a motion to give one minute, if they wish it, to both Vice Mayor Daysog and Councilmember Harris Spencer? Second. You made the motion? Made the motion. Made the motion. Jensen seconds. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Any abstentions? Okay, that passed unanimously. Okay, uh, Vice Mayor, uh, one minute back to you. Thank you very much. Um, appreciate that very much. Uh, you know, all, all I would suggest is that you know we vote on my motion first, and to see if we have you know three votes there. If we don't, then we go to the next motion. Um, you know, at the end of the day, we state our piece and we try to convince our colleagues. Um, and because uh, you know, as I said, there is merit to the proposal that's before us. Just to for clarification, Madam Clerk, how many votes are needed for postponing for a month? Three, only okay. three. And just for clarification, postponing for a month is really postponing for more than a month because by the time you would schedule a motion, by the time you would rewrite a staff report, by the time you would bring it back, but... Um, I, can I get yeah. clarification? And, and again, for the postponing, are we asking for a non-transparent process wherein a private board gets to engage in negotiations? Because that, I, I would like to hear from the city attorney about that because that would... Concerning, yeah. Well, <laughs> perhaps I can add to the question? Sure. Uh, my, my, I'm just saying gather information, not negotiate. Just, you know, what, what, what do you guys have to say or what does anyone have to say? And then come back and share that information. That's it. Okay, but once again, this is the second reading. This item has been out there. People don't need to come and stand before us. They could send emails. Um, we've gotten a bunch of them from all these good people out in the audience waiting to be heard. Um, so I am just hard pressed to understand why they waited until the 11th hour um, to come forward, if it was such a significant item, they weren't paying attention. And I also second my concern with what um, um, Councilmember Vela raised. Good point. You know. Oh, thank you so much. Um, and the good night. Um, Good night, and that, my friends, is the First Amendment in action. Anyway, um, we're trying to move along. Council Member 
Uh, do you still want to make that motion? I, I do. Um, uh, so. Right. Uh, okay, but let's find, um, we gave Councilmember Harris Spencer a minute. Did you want to say anything further? Uh, I'm happy to second his motion. All right, we have a motion by Councilmember Daysog, seconded by Councilmember Harris Spencer. All those in favor, um, please signify by stating aye. 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 Opposed? No. Uh, no. No. Okay, that motion fails. Um, want to make another motion, Vice Mayor? I'll second a motion. <laughs> you will second a motion. Uh, who's making the motion to approve this? Move, move approval. Okay, but it's moved by. I'll second with a quick comment. You know, I. Vella moved, and <laughs> Dasek's going to second with a comment. Go ahead. Um, the the points raised by former council member Doug DeHaan, I understand, um, but I think when I'm looking at this project and the safe the safeguards that I believe are in there. I think they're 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 there, um, and so we can still um, plan this area, and we have the options to to yank um, the site uh, if we so choose because we want to you know do something else. Um, that's the six month um, trigger thing that we have. So I will support this. Great. Okay, we've had a motion to support final passage of the ordinance, and we've had a second motion by Vela, second by Daysock. All those in favor signify by stating aye. Can I make a comment on my vote? A really fast comment. We've got really I, no, upset I, my people comment, out there. Absolutely. I just want to suggest that um, as we move forward with the other projects at Gene Sweeney Park that we um, make an effort to ensure that the Gene Sweeney Open Space um, Organization as well as our own Parks and Rec, of course, um, Commission will be involved in those decisions as well. That is your comment. We honor vote, yes. your comment. It's not part of the motion, but thank you. Okay, all those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Opposed? Opposed. The motion carries four to one. Thank you. Okay, with huge apologies to everybody out there for item 7A, we're moving on now. Madam Clerk, and while staff makes their way forward, Madam Clerk, would you please introduce item 7A for us? Recommendation to review and comment on the Port of Oakland's draft environmental impact report for the terminal modification and development project at the Oakland Airport and on city staff's draft response letter. All right. Okay. And uh, welcome and introduce yourself yes. and take Good it evening, away. Madam Mayor, uh, members of the City Council, Alan Tai, Acting Director of Planning, Building and Transportation. Um, so tonight we are here to discuss with the council the Oakland Airport Terminal Modernization and Development Project. Um, specifically, we are uh, seeking council direction on the comments um, on the project related to the uh, environmental process under the California Environmental Quality Act. Um, the project sponsor is the Port of Oakland, and most of you might be aware the Port of Oakland operates a seaport across the estuary as well as the Oakland International Airport. Before I dive into the issues, I'd like to just give the council and public a quick background and history. Um, the Oakland Airport has been established for close to 100 years. Throughout its history, Alameda and the airport has had some bumps um, in our relationship. Um, in the 70s, the um, airport sued Alameda over our plans to build housing at Bay Farm Island, the Harbor Bay Isle community as we know it today. Um, in 1990, um, Congress passed a very important law called the uh, Airport Noise and Capacity Act, acronym is ANCA, and basically what that law did was it centralized all of the uh, airport noise regulation authority uh, with the FAA at the federal government level and really limited local government um, ability to enforce or enact any noise laws. Uh, in 2000, around early 2000s, the city, um, the Alameda community um, sued the port 
over their airport development plan. Uh, that lawsuit ended in a settlement, as did the 1970s lawsuit. Um, but over the last 20 years, um, our relationship, I would say, has improved. Um, and, and it's been a collaborative process with the community as well as support um, based on the uh, framework that's established in the settlement agreements. Um, the, the settlement agreements provided an airport noise office, a staff to um, produce quarterly compliance plan and monitoring communications, um, as well as uh, a number of uh, stakeholder forums for the community and the city to express our views and concerns with the airport operations. Um, I would say today, um, the, the port supports, uh, you know, we have mutual interests in many matters affecting our community, ranging from flood protection to climate adaptation to estuary crossings, um, and they provide up to 1,500 jobs for the city of Alameda. Um, I would also say that the, um, the airport noise program is a voluntary program because of ANCA, um, but uh, through the collaborative efforts of the city of Alameda, the community, and the airport, we have gotten 90% uh, plus compliance rates, meaning the pilots are voluntarily following those voluntary procedures. So with that background, um, I wanna just quickly explain why the port is pursuing this project. Um, the facilities at the Port of Oakland, primarily the passenger terminals, are considered old by industry standards. Terminal one, um, it, was, it was built over 60 years ago. Terminal two um, was built in the 80s and, and reaching 40 years old. Um, and there, the, the, the port sees a need to really improve facilities for uh, more efficient passenger processing, customs processes, as well as reconfiguring cargo um, facilities. The port anticipates that um, the passenger growth at Oakland Airport will pretty much double over the next 13 years. And specifically, the, they are proposing to demolish Terminal 1, build a new terminal um, closer to sort of the roadway as you enter the, the airport as you know it now. Um, with the new terminal, larger terminal, they are adding 16 gates, increasing the, the gate count from 29 <coughs> gates to 45. Uh, but the improvements will create new ticketing counters, uh, security, baggage, uh, processing, circulation, customs. Um, there are also new parking lots, uh, proposed satellite parking lots, some closer. I will have a diagram that will um, show this in a little bit more detail. But overall, I would say that the Oakland Airport is a regional facility. It is important in serving not just Oakland, Alameda, but the greater region, and is a big part of the region's economic development, as well as a major transportation facility. So overall, uh, improvements at the airport are, are good. Um, this map shows the airport, and the highlighted areas identify the locations where uh, the construction will primarily occur. The, the, there's a laser right here. Okay, so the larger uh, highlight here is really the terminal area and where most of the construction will occur. I also would like to point out that there are satellite parking lots proposed, the nearest being the Maitland lot, which is a 2,000 uh, car parking lot um, for the public. And I will revisit the slide in a moment. Um, I want to explain to council the environmental review process. 
Um, so CEQA requires a public scoping session that occurred with this project in the spring of 2001 and the city through staff had provided comments on the scoping and mainly our comment then was, hey, make sure when you study the project impacts as required under California law that you clearly disclose and explain impacts to the Alameda community. In July, a draft EIR was released by the Port of Oakland. Um, typically, it's a 45-day review process. The port is providing um, a 90-day period. That 90-day comment period ends October 16th. Um, for the city, as long as we are submitting a comment letter in writing, we would have established our legal standing in the process. Uh, after the, what, so what happens after October? After we submit our comments, the port is obligated to take all the pu public comments received, uh, respond to it, and then release what's called a final EIR. So the final EIR consists of the draft document that they've released uh, this year, this summer, plus all of the responses to the public comments. And then the port, uh, board, of, uh, port board will be uh, reviewing the final EIR, taking more testimony, and then making findings and taking action on, on certifying the document. Um, there is a round two to this because the project is, uh, is an airport. It is subject to um, the Federal Aviation Administration, federal government approval, um, the, and, and under the national and, Environmental Policy Act, NEPA, uh, the FAA will also be the lead with the port to produce another environmental document at, uh, according to NEPA requirements. So we anticipate that to be happening in 2024 next year, um, although that's not spelled out in, in any of the port's project documents today, but given that their proposed construction timeline commences 2025, it's reasonable to believe that that process will occur next year. So there will be a round two, I believe. Uh, here, I just want to uh, uh, recognize and highlight the contributions of the Citizens League for Airport Safety and Serenity. This is CLASS, a local Alameda community group that has been uh, a partner for the city over the past 20 years and also a big role player in uh, advocating for safety, health, welfare um, for everyone living near the airport. Um, the city staff has engaged class in preparation of the uh, comment letter that is uh, before you tonight. Um, and we anticipate continuing working with class um, to, to share notes on this project. In terms of the EIR uh, comment letter that is before you, um, staff has reviewed the EIR documents and our concerns are mainly qualitative. This is kind of, the, our comments on this ER might be a little bit different than some other EIRs, like a housing development ER, for example, where the actual data and numbers are very critical. Um, reviewing this document, initially we see, we question some of the assumptions made. For example, they, they're claiming that the existing airport can accommodate all of the growth that's already stated. But they're also at the same time saying, no, their facilities are somewhat lacking, and therefore the project need, you know, you need the project to modernize. But where does this, how does the six, number of 16 additional gates fit into that growth? Is it true that the baseline assumptions are adequate? So those are the, those are the comments that we are making. And, and we believe that those assumptions drive the remainder of the analysis in the IR related to uh, the number of flights and noise, um, and, and we also kind of question the, we have questions around 
the metrics around how they studied noise. They used a, an average standard versus when when we perceive airplanes, it is about it is about um, the the event. Here, um, I just want to quickly point out that we have near air procedures uh, under the noise program, and um, the proposed project might might have might interfere with the noise program and and we are uh, raising those concerns um, in, in the letter. So finally, for, as a recommendation, we ask council for direction on the letter. Um, this satisfies our form, the formal process, but at the same time, as a public age, two public agencies with a working and established relationship, we also ask the council to direct staff to start negotiating with the port on an MOU, and the MOU would cover the items um, that Mr. are listed. Mr. Tai, I need to stop you just because your 10 minutes uh, ran out. However, we just gave council members another minute to finish their comments. I'm wondering how many minutes you'd like to just wrap this up. I can finish in less than a minute. This is my last slide. Okay, when I, I would be willing to give um, Mr. Tai two minutes if I have a motion and uh, four votes. Move uh, to give uh, Mr. Tai two more minutes. Second. It's been moved by Councilmember Vela, who seconded? Uh, uh, seconded by, Council, uh, by Vice Mayor Daysog. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Any opposed? Abstentions? Take it away two more minutes. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, so so um, really, it's, it's, uh, the record staff recommendation is really kind of a two-prong approach. One is we want to satisfy the legal requirements to submit a letter under, under the California Environmental Quality Act. But at the same time, we, we like the council direct staff to, to leverage uh, the existing relationships we have the port to talk about entering into an MOU. Um, that would be a process outside of this formal secret process, but we currently have a willing player. We've approached a port already. The port uh, is willing to come to the table to discuss how we could formalize an agreement. And, and some of the ideas of what we would ask for in the agreement would be one, really to memorialize the airport noise program. Currently, the EIR and none of the project documents um, even mention that there is a noise program. And so we do want to understand how this project intersects the noise program. And we would really want to see the port's commitment um, to, to working with the community and the city on continuing the noise program. Um, and then in the MOU, we also would like to uh, up update any metrics or procedures that have evolved since the 20-year settlement agreements have been established. Um, and the other, uh, I, I would say the, the final re request from staff or council is um, we would like to start negotiations as soon as possible prior to the port's completion of the final EIR. We, we want to be able to have clarity around um, the project and the port's commitment to, to our noise concerns. So really, in terms of next steps, um, after tonight's meeting, city manager and city attorney will, uh, will review the letter. Um, the city attorney's office in the process, is in the process of um, um, consulting airport next experts to do a peer review of our letter we as well. We need to leave it there. Thank you, Mr. And that Ty. really completes of my Yeah, But my don't go report. away because before I call on the um, bazillion, no, it's 20 plus speakers, um, I, uh, I will open the floor to any council clarifying questions and I know that the public would really appreciate if we keep our questions brief, but 
Your call. Who's up first? Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you, um, Director Ty, or Acting Director Ty, for your Director. presentation. Um, my question goes to can you give us the names of the airport experts that were involved in this opposition, this response? Uh, the draft letter? Yes. Who the are state? the airport experts? Uh, well, so so um, we have not gone out for uh, outside counsel, um, but that was that that's something we are planning to do with the city attorney's office and the city manager's office um, after we hear public comment tonight and the council's direction. And would that be so? Then would it come back to the public after those if there are any changes? No, um, the letter needs to be submitted by October 16th, um, but the peer review is something that we plan to do over the next two weeks. So is there a reason why no airport experts have been involved in the city's response? I would say we have been talking to, uh, we have been trying to identify airport experts. It is a highly specialized field. There aren't that, we've, we've spoken to various consultants. Some already work for the port. A lot of vendors already work for the port. Um, but we believe at this point that um, there, there's somebody that, that can help us. Okay, and if uh, we wanted to oppose uh, the expansion, uh, what would, how would this look differently? How would your letter look differently? Um, I don't know that it would uh, look that much differently. The letter raises substantial claims about the methodology in the EIR. Um, I, I would suppose, uh, if, and, and if we were to oppose, I, I, I am assuming council member is, uh, I don't wanna make the assumptions, but, but um, if we were to oppose um, at the final EIR, um, and I see the mayor. Uh, Mr. Tai, apologies for cutting you off in mid-sentence. However, I see the city manager's hand up, which I, it's hard for me to remember to look down at my screen, so it might hey, have been no, up there for a minute. So um, uh, let's hear from the okay. city manager and we'll go right back to the questions. Ms. Ott, over to you. Yes, great, thank you. I just wanna say a couple of things. One is that we are, we're happy to have a outside council take a look at our letter, make sure that we haven't missed anything, but I do wanna just acknowledge that um, Acting Director Ty has been serving as a staff member of the Airport Noise Forum for many years. We have staff that are highly trained in CEQA compliance, both in the city attorney's office and the city manager's office. So I just wanna acknowledge, and I think a lot of, as you heard from Acting Director Tai, is that the fundamental assumptions that they're not um, you know, looking at the impacts related to the growth, I mean, that is the kind of fundamental question that is in the letter. We think that is really kind of fundamental to our comments. Um, and kind of drives all the other analysis. And so we do think we have raised some of the major key issues that we expect the port to respond to as part of their final EIR. So I just wanted to add um, some, some additional comments there. Thank you. Back to you, Councilman Harris. Well, thank and, you. And maybe back up for Mr. Tai. So Mr. Tai, I don't know if you want to add anything else. I don't know if, the, you know, I, lose, I actually lose track when I'm interrupted like that. So I'm not sure if you have, were in the middle, you were in the middle. Uh, I, I think City Manager Ott had touched upon the question um, re regarding outside counsel. All right, so then I would like to swing back to the city manager. So my question in regards to why didn't the city already retain experts, airport experts uh, to participate in the EIR process as, um, uh, as we, we are running out of time then to bring it back to the public with any changes? And for that answer, I'm going to call on our city attorney, Eben Shen. 
Madam Mayor and Council Members, I just want to clarify that with respect, I know there's been a lot of conversations about what experts, um, you know, who experts are and who we're hiring. I, I just want to speak at least for the City Attorney's Office that we are um, prepared to engage in um, at least additional um, airport uh, experts that are legal experts. Um, I cannot speak to what um, other types of experts that the council member may be referring to. I, I just want to be clear that you know there are a lot of different experts out there. Wh whether the council member is looking to hire um, you know, scientific experts versus legal experts, um, I cannot speak to that. But I want to be really clear that we are going to hire, um, or at least we're looking to hire legal uh, 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 experts that are. Um, that have legal expertise in reviewing EIRs, and of course, uh, those attorneys will rely on, you know, uh, you know, statistical and scientific inputs from staff and from whoever that provides them, uh, you know, the the data to review the analysis, and they will certainly do the legal work. So I appreciate that, but uh, it will not come back to the public again or to council for review prior to submission. Is that correct? I defer that to the city manager. Yeah, well, there's no, it, we have to submit comments by the 16th, and so that won't, but we do, if the direction of the council is for us to retain, you know, in, in the time that we have before the 16th consultants that can provide additional technical analysis, we think we've identified the major kind of issues with their analysis, which is that they're not evaluating impacts related to that growth. Um, but we can bring someone on as quickly as possible. Also, I will say is that nothing stops us from submitting additional record after the 16th, before the final EIR. Um, and we would expect the port, given our partnership and collaboration, to respond to that additional record. If, if the council directs us to do that, we can hire consultants that may may not we may not be able to have them review every the technical consultants review everything before the 16th. But we could do that and then submit that to the record before the final EIR. Um, and that timeline, we are able to do that, and we could also do we could also bring that back to the council. So, is the staff's position then that we don't need to submit our a full comprehensive response prior to this uh, date of the, I believe, the 16th? I think staff feels like we have raised significant issues with the kind of the fundamental assumptions of the EIR that the port now has to respond to. We also know that they're willing to come to the table with us and negotiate an MOU to address those issues, to address potential solutions to codify our existing relationship in a way that it hasn't been codified. And so we think that, um, you know, we think we've addressed those major issues and raised them. Um, but if the council wants us to provide additional technical analysis, like looking at looking at the appendices related to noise or air quality, and you want us to do that, um, then we're happy to do that. And we'll get that in the record as quickly as we can. If it's prior to the 16th, then we'll put it in there. If not, then we'll submit it to the record after. And we would expect the port to collaborate with us just like they have on, on throughout this and over the last 20 years. Is it staff's position that uh, the community's concerns in regards to currently how the airport functions uh, with our community, that they do address the current concerns of our public? I mean, I think I can, Acting Director Tess actually goes to the airport forum. I mean, he can better re represent what those meetings are like and what the community says at those meetings. Yeah, One way in, Mr. Tai. Right, if I may, um, council member, I, uh, there's just a wide spectrum of issues, and I would say it, it's, it's not 100% of the issues are addressed, um, but with regard with the, to the technical consultants, um, 
We see the role of the technical consultants being able to uh, assist staff in our negotiations with the port on the MOU. Thank you. Nothing further at this time? Okay, any other clarifying questions before we go to the public? I have a lot of questions, but... Perhaps after public comment or... I mean, if you have any questions you want to ask, go right ahead. Thank you. Um, thank you for the presentation, um, Director Chai. I appreciate all the work that went into this. I, um, my clarifying questions are about the Airport Noise and Capacity Act. Um, this has been has been illustrated. You mentioned that it prohibits the airport from limiting runway usage, or that's been um, that was in some correspondence that we received. I, I, I actually, I should say, would you agree, or or could I um, make the could I say that the Airport Noise and Capacity Act prohibits the airport from limiting runway usage. It gives that authority to the FAA. Uh, it, I, I, Council Mayor, I, I would say that um, it, the port cannot limit runway usage based on noise concerns. Certainly, if there was a safety concern, then yes. Like, if there was a big pothole, then yes, but. And so this, the, use of the north field um, limited use of the north field and use um, primarily by non-commercial flights is because of a voluntary program yes and um primarily i think some some of those arrangements were pre-existing but it's not because of any legal requirement or legal prohibition to use that i runway. i would also add that um the north field runways are generally shorter so, so the runway lengths, the facility itself limits um, the types of aircraft and the capacity. So South Field is the longer runway and where you would have um, more flexibility with the types of aircraft. That's helpful. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to ma make any points, but I'm going to continue with the question. Um, if all the technical issues are not addressed in, the, in our letter or in letters from, from Alameda, the city of Alameda, if all the technical issues that we're concerned about aren't addressed or if we don't send a, a very robust letter outlining every possibility, which I understand was um, something that we submitted in the last EIR for expansion, we, we had provided a much more um, extensive comments. And, and I just bring this up because I want to understand if, if we don't do that now, if we, we have a three-page letter and there's, there's a lot that is outlined here that is um, relevant that I'm and shares my concerns, but could we in the future take action or, or a comment or um, or litigate against something that was not, that we didn't comment on initially? Um, and do we want to also have the city attorney weigh in on I this? I would like to say yes, we can continue to provide comment, and in fact, the port has invited that open dialogue, um, but I would defer to the city attorney to answer the question about the litigation. And while the city attorneys decide, is it Ms. Selena Chen coming up from the city attorney's office? Welcome. Hi, good evening. Selena Chen, Chief Planning Counsel for the city attorney's office. Um, so under CEQA, if any party raises comments um, during the comment period, that allows um, us to, to raise those comments in litigation. Obviously, we can. Um, bolster the record after this initial comment period ends, we can submit additional studies if that's 
something that the council directs us to do. Um, the difference is the port is required to respond to any comments that the city submits before the close of the comment period. If we do submit something later, the port may, but is not required to respond. Thank you, that's very helpful. Um, and I, let me see. And uh, Councilor Jensen, let me just check. I thought I heard that the city manager had her hand up. City manager, did oh, you have your hand up? Yeah. yeah, okay, Never mind. Continue, please. Thank you. The, um, I, and then I heard, I, I just want to, to um, I, as this uh, item was being introduced, the agenda report, I think, um, I think Director Ty said that the, we're questioning the assumptions um, in this letter and that is part of our public comments and um, so I just wanted to know if we are questioning the assumptions and I, I see this that that in our letter it says that the state assumption that the passenger freight activity will increase whether or not the project proceeds and so my um, question to you director Ty is whether this assumption we're assuming that this project will not result in the usage of currently restricted runways and whether we are questioning that assumption in this letter. No, I think what we, were, uh, what we recognize is a fundamental issue in the EIR is they assume that um, future, I think the simple way to put it is that future air traffic is, and is, is kind of a market demand issue and really out of their control. And they kind of simply say, this is an FAA subject matter. And so this, that's, that's kind of the main thesis that we have, um, that we, we would like the Well, I appreciate to that. And we can, and, and, we can I, and I, as I see, we're commenting on those assumptions that they're making. But, um, and this is very much closer. I'll talk more during my, um, during discussion. But this is close to Alameda because those assumptions that we, that, that the port is saying that we can't make any any promises about any usage and um, that's not up to us that is going to depending on where that goes that it will impact the community of Alameda especially those that are that are adjacent to those runways so that those are my um, clarifying questions thank you thank you any other clarifying questions before we open public comment okay madam clerk We've got a lot of people who've been patiently or maybe not so patiently waiting, and I don't blame you, but we're going to get started now. So tell us how you're going to do this, because I think we have some in person and some remote. Tell yes, us, tell the us vast majority are in person so far, and um, I will start by calling the first three, um, and then I'll go to the couple of remote, and then I'll go back to calling uh, a few in person so they can get ready. Um, the first is Michael Robles-Wong, fo followed by Matt Forfarzen, and then Kate Lenhart with Michael up first. Okay, and um, Mr. Rebelswan, come on up. And everybody knows you're a veteran here. Uh, bring that microphone to wherever you need it in line with your mouth so that um, so we can hear you. Welcome. Thank you, can you hear me? Yes, sir. Uh, thank you, uh, Mayor and the Council and uh, staff. Um, I have prepared uh, notations, but I'm gonna go away from them because you've actually made me angry listening to this presentation. Uh, I will start by saying that I am the president of the Costa Brava Homeowners Association. Uh, some of my comments that I'm going to make are personal, and so I'm not going to attribute them to uh, any of our uh, members of, of the board or our association. But uh, our association is opposed to the expansion of the airport for uh, health and safety uh, reasons primarily. And uh, really the draft response that the uh, city has shown us so far is wholly inadequate. Uh, 
I spent uh, my time for the last 20 years uh, involved with HOA uh, business on Bay Farm. And uh, clearly some of the staff people, and you, none of you live on Bay Farm. You don't know the level of noise and the distrust that we have of the Port of Oakland because they don't play, they play by their rules. They don't play by our rules. And we suffer for that. We hear it. And what this is going to do, this expansion of 16 gates, is going to send the jetliners, the airliners, over us, straight over the main part of the island, and they're going to turn right on the west end. And if you don't think that people are going to be upset with the sound of that, of that just alone, not just talk about the air pollution, uh, all the other things that can happen, the traffic congestion we're going to have, then you're fooling yourselves. And you're fooling yourselves if you think that having an MOU with the Port of Oakland, that they're, they're going to they're play the, with the Queen's rules. That's not going to happen. So that's my personal comment. I say this because the people who trained me when I first got into the HOAs was Red Weatherall, Walt Jacobs. You guys know them. They've been around a long time. God rest their souls. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker. Uh, Matt Porvarzin. Yes. Welcome. Thank you. Good evening. <clears throat> my name is Matt Porfarzane, and I represent CLASS. Um, I want to thank the mayor, the council members, and the city staff for their support throughout the years regarding the airport and the, its related uh, issues. Uh, we have been talking about the expand, expansion and the modernization of the airport in the uh, uh, I want to say that we are not opposed to uh, modernization and uh, upgrades. What we are concerned with is the extensive expansion that is planned. So uh, CLASS has focused on several key areas and hired consultants in various areas uh, in order to address those. But CLASS has not hired consultant to address them all. So that's what I'm here to request the city to consider hiring additional consult consultant to, to assist with the preparation of their comments. However, as discussed before, you can submit a preliminary comment and later on add to it, provided you write a sentence there that uh, we, will add, we will add additional comment later. As an example of, uh, of uh, the consultant we are recommending is for traffic. What would happen to the traffic when they are planning to add additional 55% more, I mean, in terms of gates, and also uh, about 60, 65% increase in uh, passenger that's going from 12 million to uh, 24 million almost, all right? And that's going to be substantial. And then we also would like uh, that uh, you, uh, we, we talk about the, their master plan, the Oakland master plan. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm that sorry my Mr. Porvazani, your time yeah. is up. Thank you. But you can, of course, submit your comments in writing if you haven't already. Yes, I have them. Shall I okay. do them? Thank you. Thank you so much. Our next speaker, Kate Lenhart. Welcome, Speaker Lenhart. On, uh, online or in person? In person? Um, oh, maybe possibly she left. the okay. speaker who left. Okay. Alfredo uh, Terrazas. Speaker Terrazas, come on up. Do you want to call the next two uh, speakers so they can kind of okay. 
a slide toward the aisle. Okay, S Sam Glasner and Jess uh, Mabagos. Thank you, sir. If, thank, thank you so much, sir. I'm going to call on this speaker now. Good evening. Good evening. My name is Alfredo Terrazas. I've lived in Harbor Bay since 1989, um, but I'm a Bay Area resident for my entire life. I remember when San Francisco wanted to expand its uh, terminals, all of San Mateo County, all of San Bruno, San Bruno Mountain, South San Francisco were opposed to it for a good reason. San Francisco did the smart thing. They built out on the bay, even though the bay conservation people were very opposed to it, and that's why you see the dual runways that's, that San Francisco has. I like the positions that you're taking and the questions that you're asking. Uh, Council Member Jensen, you asked the right question when you asked about why were subject matter experts not consulted prior to today to come up with the response to the EIR proposal that was sent out. That was a real good question that you asked. We're not prepared. And I'm urging you to understand that you're at a turning point with people at Harbor Bay. This is not an issue where reasonable people can differ on. It's not an issue about a roundabout. It's not an issue about the Hagenberger 5000 that we see on McCartney Road in the morning for people catching the ferry or leaving the ferry. We're talking about the quality of life for people on Harbor Bay. This past week when the North Field was being used, I would have challenged any of you to have a door open, a window open, and try to have a normal conversation with your spouse or your kids. You simply can't. This is a quality of life issue that is going to impact us dramatically, and it's going to affect us and our property. I urge you to stay strong because there is going to be litigation on this. I'm not going to hide it. It's something that you already know about. It's very highly probable that there's, that there's going to be litigation on this. Insist on those things early, offer alternatives early, but stay firm, particularly with the Port of Oakland. Thank, Thank you. Thank you so much. Our next speaker. Sam Glasner. Okay, um, audience, I'm going to, you know what, I'm going to repeat and I'll take time to do so. Please, no applause. The reason might be is that there may be people who are opposed. We don't want to stifle anyone's opinion and we also want to take time to just hear our speakers. So, good evening. Good evening. My name is Sam Glasner. I'm a resident of Bay Farm Island and I'm here with a number of my neighbors uh, to express our opposition to the uh, airport being enlarged. Uh, the first thing that I would, I would like to point out is that the gentleman who spoke first acknowledged that it was the Port of Oakland that wished to do the enlarging, not the residents of the East Bay. So I don't know how much public uh, input beyond Alameda has been sought out. Uh, but I also want to address um, a couple of topics. Um, I'm a retired physician, and so I'm interested in the effects of health on the community, and I've, I've looked into a few studies uh, around surrounding uh, people that live in the proximity to airports. One study that I'm looking at now found that an increased exposure to airplane noise uh, was associated with a significant increase in insomnia across all age groups, but particularly in children between the ages of 5 and 17. Uh, this study also found that there were increased diagnoses of cardiovascular disease, substance abuse, mental health emergencies, um, and insomnia that I already mentioned. 
Another study uh, concluded that uh, children's cognitive skills were adversely affected and that uh, undisturbed sleep is necessary for good daytime performance. Aircraft noise can, destroy, can disrupt sleep. There were also a couple of studies done around SeaTac and Boston Logan Airport. Um, I'm not going to have enough time to go through all of them, but a greater percentage of infants born prematurely or with low birth weight, higher hospitalization for asthma, stroke, and chronic obstructive pulmonary disease, heart disease, diabetes, unintentional injury, chronic lower respiratory problems. The effects on uh, air pollution and traffic are obvious. You don't need a, a doctor or a scientist to tell you that. But this is not going to improve the life of anybody on Harbor Bay. And once it's done, it's not going to be able to be reversed. Thank you. Our next speaker. OK, all right. I'm, I'm going to make that announcement every time. And it's going to keep us here later. So out of respect for everyone who has so patiently waited, I would ask, please, no more applause. And if this continues, I'm going to call a break. So let's try another speaker. I'm, I'm not sure if uh, Jess Mabagos was the one that left. Yes. I okay. think he was. OK. Um, next is Kerwin Allen, Emma Kung, and Flora Sao. All right. Oh. <laughs> Good evening, Speaker Allen. OK, let me make this. Can you hear me OK? We can hear you just fine. Good evening, Madam Mayor, esteemed council members. My name is Kerwin Allen. I've lived on Bay Farm Island for 27 years. I'm also the president of the Cantamar Homeowners Association, part of our dues pay uh, help fund class. Uh, I'd like to say that uh, I did read the, uh, pretty much the entirety of the draft EIR. I'm not sure if all of you did. I understand if you didn't, you're busy people. Uh, and I also read the letter um, in response from the, that's been drafted by your staff. It's, it's very nice, it's a very nice letter. Um, but, uh, but I think it falls short of the forcefulness that is required to respond to what uh, the airport is attempting to do. Um, as uh, great John Adams once said, it's war damage, you're gonna have to irritate some people sometimes. <laughs> so, uh, but I, I, am, I understand the complex relationship between the Port of Oakland and the city of Alameda, where in many ways we are partners, so I understand that. I would just encourage you to be more forceful uh, in your response to make sure they understand that you represent all of the residents of Alameda. I'd also like to quickly point out that there are experts that could be brought to bear. There are traffic experts, air experts, uh, aeronautical experts. I would certainly like to have heard from uh, jet aircraft engine manufacturers to find out what's next on the horizon. I'd also like to point out that you know, the city, uh, the Port of Oakland says, oh, you know, what can we do? Uh, it's, it's all inevitable, you know, it can't. That's, that's baloney, quite frankly. The airport is a landlord, and the airports are their tenants, and they can enforce, um, to a certain extent, I mean, obviously, FAA is a partner, but they can enforce a lot of rules that would make things easier. I, I'd like to conclude by saying um, that a lot of our residents, where we live, they're terrified. And I do not say that lightly. They're really concerned. They have small children. There's industrial fallout every day from the airport. They want to protect their children's health. Thank, thank you. Thank you for your comments. All right, our next um, speaker is? Emma Kung. Emma Kung. Kung. Welcome, speaker. Hi, I have lived in Harbor Bay since 2004, and I've noticed a huge increase in the noise and the pollution since the next gen flight pattern changed and it's 
it's become quite unbearable. It's 24-7 noise. My house is coated in a black dust, and I do have young kids, and insomnia is a huge problem. My 13-year-old is here. He sometimes gets doesn't get to sleep till 3 in the morning. Same with my 10-year-old. It is affecting the kids, and yeah, I am terrified for them. We can't take a 60% increase. I don't see how we can take any more increase. It's, it's bad enough as it is. Thank you. Our next speaker. Flora Sal. Welcome, speaker. Good evening. <laughs> and speak right into the microphone. Come um, Yeah. So I sent an email to Trisha and Tony Desog. Um, I'm sorry, Trisha Herrera-Spencer, um, that included videos that I took over the past week of the flybys that we're experiencing, because I assume that many of you would want to see what we're talking about. It, the, the flights that come over are very low and go, and we're, I'm all the way in Casitas, HOA, but taking the video, it, it's very loud and it's very close to the buildings. So I, and I, the one of the videos I sent was at six, like 15 or 650 because it woke me up and I usually don't wake up uh, in the morning from, with, from the noise. But what I would say is, is that, um, you know, it's not just the, when we're looking at the impact on Bay Farm, I think sometimes that Bay Farm is seen as not a part of Alameda. And I would just like to remind and hope that you are looking at focusing on this very important issue. Because at the end of the day, I mean, you have uh, two elementary schools, a middle school that are in the direct line, in addition to the businesses and a ton of residents, as well as at least three major preschools that house a lot of children that are all in that flight path. If anything has taught me over the last week and even earlier this year, whenever they do any maintenance, they shift all of them over to the North Field and that goes right over the HOAs. And when those happen, you know, we're looking at how close they are. It's not gonna Thank take much for, for them to comments. Rent. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, we'll go to two remote, uh, James Johnston. Welcome, Speaker Johnson. Hi, my name is James Johnston, and I live in Alameda near South Shore. There's a couple of points to this letter that I'd like to see added. And first of all is that California is building high-speed rail. We also have existing Amtrak service that could be expanded, and this is an alternative option that is completely ignored by the EIR. 90% of the flights departing Oakland go to destinations that are currently served by Amtrak, and 46% of them go to destinations that will be served by California high-speed rail and Brightline West electrically powered by renewable energy. So that means that high-speed rail will be equivalent in a capacity to building this airport expansion. So we don't need to expand. You can read a detailed analysis of this on the Stop Oak Coalition website, but the EIR doesn't even mention high-speed rail even once. Even though the Port of Oakland isn't involved with building high-speed rail, common sense says we shouldn't ignore it. Instead of adding more flights to Los Angeles, let's add another Amtrak train. They sell out regularly as it is. 
The second problem is that the EIR totally ignores and does not count the emissions of aircraft at cruising altitude and considers it to be out of scope. It only looks at greenhouse gas emissions during taxi takeoff and landing. Yet common sense says that cruising is where the vast majority of emissions will occur. The EIR says they don't have control over the aircraft emissions and that they are unavoidable and they don't even count them. Really, they can choose not to expand. That's how you can control it. But by saying that the air traffic will grow at the same rate by not expanding, an obvious lie that defies common sense, um, they can then use this lie to say that expansion won't affect growth of greenhouse gases and then reach their preordained pro-airplane conclusion. That's absurd. I'm a renter here in Alameda. Family sometimes asks me, have you ever thought about buying an Alameda? Yes, I have. But I ask, do you like playing musical chairs? Because anyone owning oceanfront property right now is playing that. And I love this city too much to see it go underwater. Thank you. Our next speaker. Madeline Sadek. Welcome, Speaker Craig. Oh, Madeline Sadek. Welcome, Speaker Sadek. Good evening, Madam Mayor, uh, Council members, and city staff. Madeline Sadek, President of Alameda Chamber and Economic Alliance. And we are the voice of businesses. So we represent all sizes and types of businesses. Many of our businesses are life science and advanced manufacturers, that is, which is the fastest growing two sectors in the city. And they have team members and they have clients that travel through the Oakland International Airport as it is very convenient to be close to Alameda. As a chamber, we know that having a successful commercial international airport, it is vital for our city and the businesses that we have, which is very important and it's outstanding point. And I also know that recently there was an announcement that Alameda represents the second largest city in Alameda County for port generated jobs, which is 1,520 Alamedans call the Port of Oakland their place of business. As the chamber, Alameda Chamber is very excited that we're having hopefully to be going through the modernization of the airport, which is going to be a great use for the city and the users. And as you all know, the airport is basically a great engine for the East Bay re region, and it's a great economic alliance also. So I think uh, we like to support that. Thank you so much. Thank you. Our next speaker. Um, I'll call the next five in person. Will Hastings, Paul English, Neil Wilson, Jessica Carter, and Larry Freeman. With Will up first. Welcome. Hello, yes, I'm Will Hastings. I live on Bay Farm with my wife and eight-year-old daughter who attends Earhart. Um, and I'm really concerned about the uh, prospects for my young daughter's health uh, due to the expansion of the Oakland Airport, and not just hers, but also all the children who live and go to school in the vicinity of the airport and might be impacted uh, by the expansion and the increase in air pollution. Uh, so I humbly ask for the council's assistance in this matter to um, uh, to do what you can to oppose the expansion of the airport, um, or if that's beyond our power, to at least ensure that every uh, possible measure is taken to protect the health of children and residents in the area. That's all. I'll keep it short. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, Paul English. Welcome. Hi, I'm Paul English. I'm a resident of Alameda. I work for the Public Health Institute in Oakland. 
Um, I just wanted to uh, strongly urge the council to, to oppose the uh, expansion of the Oakland Airport. Um, I wanted to echo the, the comments that uh, were made previously um, by a physician earlier that um, the, the public health impacts of, of this expansion has been not really addressed by the staff report, nor was it really addressed head on in the, in the draft EIR. And, uh, you know, it's not only Alameda, but there's also East Oakland that's impacted and the workers at the airport. And so the draft EIR states there'll be significant and unavoidable impacts from in increased air pollution emissions from the increased aviation activity. So what we really need to know is we, you should um, insist that the Port of Oakland conduct what, what is called a formal health impact assessment. This would quantify how many additional asthma cases will occur in Alameda, how many additional cancer cases will occur in Alameda. This is information we need to know to protect the public health of our citizens here. Um, I would um, that also note that there's a significant and unavoidable chronic non-cancer human health hazard effects for airport workers that is mentioned. Uh, it was mentioned earlier that there's 1,500 Alamedans that are employed there, but they are, um, there's gonna be um, effects on their health from this increased aviation activity. And finally, the increased greenhouse gas emissions. These are gonna continue to prime climate-related hazards such as heat events and wildfires, and we'll have local, regional, and global adverse effects on public health. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Neil Wilson. Welcome, Speaker Wilson. I'm Neil Wilson. Excuse me. I'm Neil Wilson. I'm the president of the Garden Isle Homeowners Association. Um, for those who are not familiar, Garden Isle is the first HOA at the end of Northfield. The problem is Northfield that I want to concentrate on. Okay, in 1989 and 1990, we put new roofs, which were, they were Hypalon, which is a white roof. These roofs start, started deteriorating within a few years. Um, we noticed these, because they were nice and white, they had this black soot on them. We had it analyzed why our roofs were deteriorating, and we had to replace them ahead of time. And what this suit was, it was jet fuel the whole problem. Um, as long as we're on air quality here, um, I've looked at the EI report. Um, these monitors aren't relevant. We need, a we need an air quality monitor on Bay Farm Island. Okay. That said, I want to talk about noise, another pollution. Um, a lot of people don't know the microphone that measures the, st the sound levels is located at the Garden Isle um, Clubhouse. Um, I would really like to, to do these um, noise levels on September 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and 25th to be checked. I know you, we have experts on noise. We have all these experts. What I don't need, though, they have their place. I don't need an expert. We couldn't use our clubhouse for four days for meetings. I could not hear a person across the table from me. I don't need an expert for that. I'll conclude there. And Mr. Wilson, if you have some written studies, can you give them to our um, assistant clerk 
I just printed out the EIR reports and stuff. But you, were you referring to something from the clubhouse? Can, the clubhouse? Can you just repeat the dates? Oh, yeah, the dates when you couldn't hear. Yeah, but could you come speak in the microphone so we can all hear you? Sorry. <laughs> You're going to get your steps um, in today. There was a, um, a noise alert issued, and this noise alert was September 22nd, 23rd, 24th, and 25th, four days. There was like a plane taking off like every five minutes on the north field. Um, I live right by St. Albert's Church, and they go right over my house. And even at my house, um, we'd have to stop a conversation it was that bad because you know, you, you can't have your windows open. I mean, it's ridiculous. And I think this um, shows what could happen in the future. Yes. He said uh, by St. Albert's Church. You know where St. Albert's yeah. Church is out on Maitland? St. Albert's Church, corner of Holly and McCartney. Yeah. Mac Maitland, McCartney. I know where it is. I know where it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. Thank you. And then did, if you have information for the, that you want to submit to the clerk, we'll get it into the record. But if those are just your notes, you don't have to. It's up to you. Sure, I mean, if, if you want it, you can have it. Thank okay. you. Thank Appreciate you. it, Madam Mayor. Our next uh, point of order. Uh, I couldn't see the clock going. His, I don't his know. time was up. His oh, time I'm sorry. Okay. Oh, yeah. He, yeah, yeah. I, Jessica Carter. Welcome, Speaker Carter. Good evening, everyone. Um, I'm a resident of Bay Farm Island. I've lived there for about 13 years. Um, I live there with my partner and school-age kids. I don't have a lot of new comments to make. I think just really want to um, emphasize and second a lot of what's been said here tonight. Um, I really appreciate actually how much um, time and good thinking is being put into the response of the city of Alameda by staff and the council um, to the Port of Oakland. Um, there's certainly a whole climate change impacts, uh, you know, that piece of it that we could look at, but my primary concern really is the health and well-being of our local communities, Alameda and beyond. Um, I think I really appreciated what a few of the folks tonight said about, um, well, staff, first of all, really identifying that the analysis is insufficient and is based on assumptions that are inadequate um, of the, the, the growth in operations uh, by the expansion, but also just of the, the very real impacts of noise and air pollution. And there are a lot of newer studies coming out about the long-term health impacts of noise pollution. And I think a lot of us, I know there were some of the anomalies recently um, with some of the work being done in Northfield being used, but I think on a day-to-day -day basis, growth of this scale is really challenging. So. Thank you for your consideration. Thank you for representing um, all of us as Alamedans. And I, I do hope that the letter, the final letter could be a little more um, assertive about these impacts. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker. Larry Freeman. Welcome, Speaker Freeman. Okay. Good evening, Mayor Ashcraft, Vice Mayor Desog, Council Members Vela, Spencer, and Jensen. I'm Larry Freeman, Editor-in-Chief of Alameda Neighborhoods News, with a question, actually three questions for your public record, related to the city's draft letter from, city, from the city manager and so forth. I respect and support that the council does not answer questions in this forum. I will forward my formal inquiries to you through your city channels and hope that you will add to the public record in the name of transparency and in the interests of your constituency, either individually and or through a designated spokesperson, it's my job to accurately report what you say or report that you did not respond or declined to comment. Uh, these questions I drafted here because of interesting information that came out. Question one, 
How can the city explain not seeking expert-based scientific and technical data in preparing this letter? Question two, and this is to the council particularly. Based on this letter's dearth of scientific data, does it not strike you as substantively lacking in legal force, much less political force? Question three, do you really want to rely on, and I quote, bolstering the record later on to which Port of Oakland is not required to respond? Thank you for this opportunity. Thank you. Our next speaker. I'll call our next four. Um, Jason Sue, Rick Lewis, Celia Wang, and Alan Levine with Jason up first. Welcome, Speaker um, Sue. Thank you, the city mayor and the city members for your time uh, tonight. So um, I'm a researcher at UC Berkeley, focusing more than 15 years on the impact of air pollution and noise on people's health. So we also do uh, a lot of environmental impact assessments. But the one I have saw is basically a joke. No technical aspect. Okay, you have two monitoring stations, or three, or two, right? For air quality, NO2 and PN2.5. One is located at Sunny Andrew International Road. And another one is Mr. at Lake, Lake, Lake Merritt. Uh, yeah. Another one at Lake Merritt, that's nine kilometers away. So four kilometers away and nine kilometers away. But when you measure the impact of air pollution like NO2 that's, or nit nitrogen oxides, at most 500, uh, 500 meters are gone. So you are using more than five kilometers away to assess the air quality impact on us. That's basically impossible. That's one thing. And also the, uh, the impact assessments use the emissions to represent concentrations. Those are totally wrong. People absorb or they get into the lungs are the concentrations, <coughs> not the emissions, right? So the, the, that, that the um, impact, environmental impact assessment, I don't know who did that, but that's totally wrong. Um, for, not, uh, for, for air pollution, most of the air traffic has more than 100 micrograms per cubic meter. That's if you transfer to PBB, uh, parts per million, that's more than 50. But you use the Oakland, uh, Oakland or, or also San Andrew, that's never, for any traffic, roadway traffic, power English can know that more. You will never go beyond 30 now. So you are not emerging. Your time is up, sir, but thank you. Thank you. Rick Lewis. Oh, and sir, um, Mr. So if you wanted to submit your comments to the clerk here at the desk, do, do you want to, do you have some written comments? Do you want to submit them to the clerk? Is there any way I can contact her in the future? I can provide all Go, go over, or Miss, go over to Miss, Mr. Sue. Mr. Sue, if you go right over to Miss Zeba, she's wearing the glasses, she'll get your information. I'm sorry, come on up. Hi, my name is Rick Lewis, and uh, I've lived on Bay Farm Island for 30 years. I oppose the expansion due to noise. Uh, anybody who lives there will tell you it's ungodly. The last couple of days or last week when they had the flybys, you couldn't think. That's one. Two, I would suggest that the uh, comment date needs to be pushed back 30 days back to October 16th. Three, although um, I, I don't really represent Golden Gate Bird Alliance or FAR, Friends of Alameda Wildlife Refuge, I am a member of those entities. 
And um, so being that, I'm also the person who discovered the nest of the nesting bald eagles in Alameda. Oh. Uh, and uh, we also have California lease terns at Point uh, Alameda Point. And so I would also t ask us to take into consideration the wildlife on, in Alameda. It's a great place to live for both humans and the birds and other animals. The noise is unbelievably disconcerting. It literally rattles the panes of my windows in the house. And to have this uh, suggested that it, is, that it is going to be an everyday event rather than an off and on very infrequent event, not sustainable. I can guarantee you that, and I've already been talking with my wife about moving. There's no way I could handle that every day, and I don't think most people could. So uh, I think there's a couple of things that ought to be done. The, we really ought to have some response from people in the environmental community, and they ought to extend the, the comment date by 30 days. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Celia Wang. Welcome. Hi, um, my name is Celia Wayne. I live in the Cantamar HOA community on the south side of uh, Bay Farm Island. I was appalled to read in the executive summary report that the Port Oakland would uh, conclude that the proposed expansion would have less than significant impact from the substantial increase in aircraft noise, or do they have the, any mitigation measure in planning? In their draft EIR report, it states that per the Caltrain regulations, 65 uh, decibel is the, uh, the threshold of the acceptable noise level for a reasonable man residing in the vicinity of the airport. Airports are responsible for achieving compliance with these regulations. Furthermore, in their own report, according to FAA, if a noise increase is determined to be a significant impact to any of the surrounding noise-sensitive properties, mitigation would be required. Just earlier this afternoon between um, 1.55 and 2.35 p.m., I sat by my front door entrance and used a sound meter app on my phone to detect the noise level of the planes departing from the Oakland Airport runway. Using the plane finder's um, website, I was able to monitor in real time what planes were on the runway and about to depart. I recorded 13 airplanes over 40 minutes. The average maximum decibel reach was 67. Some reach as high as 70 and 75 decibel. All 13 of them in a short duration of 40 minutes. And today's not even Friday. As an additional note, I have also measured the decibel inside my house in my children's bedroom. The average noise detect can be as high as 60 sometimes. The, um, I'm gonna jump right in because of the time that I kindly asked the city council to make a strong call out on the noise impact um, of a discrepancy with a poor Oakland, that the current noise level is already in violation with the Caltrain regulations. Further analysis, analysis should be assessed. And um, I will submit the rest. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yes, and you can definitely submit the rest to the clerk. If you need the address, did you already get it? Okay, talk to Ms. Ziba. Our next speaker. Alan Levine. Welcome. Hi, council members, mayor. I'm Alan Levine, I'm a resident of Bay Farm Island. Um, the Oakland Airport is not a good neighbor. They don't deserve to get an expansion with the way they act. And I'll give you some examples. 
I have filed over 1,000 complaints for noise over the last five years. I get back a very nice letter saying this flight was not in compliance and nothing changes. The same flights over and over again fly overhead. When we had the recent repairs of the main runway, runway 30, they were flying out of runway 28. I noticed that large planes were flying off the short runway. I contacted noise management saying, why not use the left runway, uh, run, uh, 28 left? And said, that's a good idea. Called traffic, uh, the air traffic control, and they said, well, the pilot requested it. So where's the, where is management doing anything for us? When I suggested, well, why not have them take off of, take off of runway left, runway 28 left, and veer left over the business park? No response from the air traffic control. I noticed that a number of flights that were in compliance because they were lifeguard flights were flying to places like Cabo, Aspen, Hawaii. And when I asked, do you audit these flights to see if they are truly a medical emergency? Mm. I got back a link to what are the physical and medical requirements of becoming a pilot. For years, the airport has promised that flights during the day taking off from runway 30 would veer left over the bay as soon as they can. That was five years ago. I've seen no, no uh, implementation of that act. Uh, I'm out of time. No, you not. have the leverage now. Now is the time, for, because any act of, of omission, not getting the airport to commit to something and having the penalties if they fail to do it, will, will, they will take advantage of it and just ignore anything uh, that, that Alameda deserves. Thank you. Thank you. You had five seconds. Okay, our next speaker. Becky Kusak. Welcome. Speaker Kusak. There he is. No, I think. Yes. 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 <laughs> we try to be efficient. <clears throat> Hi, I'm Becky Cusack. Um, I am a business owner in Alameda. I own a real estate company called Eastside West. Um, I'm also a Harbor Bay resident, resident have been since 1984. And um, recently, uh, my kids think um, the Blue Angels... Ms. Kusak? Recently, yeah, we want to hear you. my <laughs> kids think that the Blue Angels are always in town. They're so excited because they go running out the back door like, the Blue Angels are here. I'm like, no, no, it's not October yet. It's just the airplanes. It's very, very, very disruptive and loud starts really early in the morning. Sometimes it's like they're taking off right over the house 11 o'clock at night. And I'm very concerned about all of the health and safety and all of the issues people have spoken about. I'm also very concerned about the Alameda property values. And I think that's something that hasn't been touched upon that is a huge, huge issue because when I show a house on Harbor Bay and one of those planes goes over real close to the houses, those buyers are not super excited about that. And if it gets worse, it's going to impact our property values. And to hear they're going to go over the main island, hit the west, and make a turn, it's going to affect not just Harbor Bay, it's going to affect our whole island. And we, I don't really want our property values to take any more hits. And our property values affect our property taxes, which is money back into our city. This is a big deal. And I think a lot of people are worried on Harbor Bay about what this is going to mean for their values. So I really want us all to take a look at so many of the things. Talking about experts, I feel like nobody's asked me anything about property values. I think it's significant. So it wasn't on that list. And I think it really should be. So thank you for all you're doing. We trust that you're going to come through for us. Thank you so much. Thank you for your comments. Our next speaker. Akash Mehta. 
Welcome, Speaker Mehta. Do you want to announce maybe the next two so people know to? The rest are remote. Okay, gotcha. All right, welcome. Hi, good evening. Uh, I'm Akash. I'm resident of uh, Bay Farm Island. Um, new resident compared to the rest of the people here. Um, regarding the existing point about uh, the data of flights being, existing flights being full or not is something we need to evaluate and see whether they're actually being needed for expansion and not for future requirements is something I request the council to check. Um, the improper handling of takeoff direction is already happening and its uh, adherence is voluntary basis with, with the pilots. I have a neighbor and I speak for other neighbors in my community as well. Um, who, her daughter was born here. Um, she's about two to three years old now and she cannot bear the noise of planes when uh, the repair work happens. She has, they all have to pack up and leave when every time the repair work is happening on the main runway and all this, the smaller runway is being used. Um, I invite observers to go to any public park in Bay Farm Island during the north uh, field use and um, see the, the kids holding their ears tight uh, whenever that is happening and it's, it's creating a lot of problems as people have already mentioned the, the windows and all uh, and, and uh, rattle very uh, furiously and even me myself I work from home and I cannot, I have to mute my mic every time a plane goes by. It's very hard to work from home. Uh, uh, planes, international ones, especially ones, uh, you can imagine jumbo jets. These are bigger planes. International flights means more passengers. That also means ancillary traffic. Uh, people dropping their, their, their uh, family members or, or Ubers or cars racing down Maitland and Harbor Bay to catch the flight. Uh, that is also an ancillary problem of expansion we should also consider. Um, I also want to know uh, if there are any studies being done for expansion of a, or building of a new airstrip that points away from the existing airstrip and not uh, expanding the existing airstrip. Thank you for your comments. Next speaker, Madam Clerk. Todd Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Hickman. Yes, I wasn't going to speak on this issue, but to hear all this pain, the most concerning part is the um, city's lack of proper science and proper um, defensive techniques to protect these residents. It just seems like the city doesn't care about the residents, about their views, about things that are important to the people. But when it comes to business, the city, you know, bends over backwards to get shipping containers stacked up against buildings and turn 180 foot view corridors into 60 foot corridors. So um, I, I've heard some some conspiracy theorists talk about how the city's trying to destroy property values. Um, so I really hope that's not true, but this just appears to be very poor form. And um, some of the effort put into pet projects of council members should be put into protecting the residents. Thank you. Thank you, our next speaker. Maggie Kang. Welcome, Speaker King. 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 Hi, yes. Um, can you hear me? Yes. Yeah. Um, this is Maggie. I am a resident of Bay Farm as well. Um, I I just wanted to bring up the point that um, I think, and this is by no means any disrespect, but since the the council board is, or the council members are not um, representative of Bay Farm. Um, themselves as as residents, I think I think you should all feel a little bit more compelled 
um, and concerned, really, after hearing all of the comments today. Uh, uh, on our behalf, um, you should be compelled to represent us, to um, get behind us and feel the, the pain that, um, that we are feeling over here. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we pay property taxes, we vote you vote for you, for you guys. So I just wanted to um, add that. That's thank it, thank you. All right, thank you. Our next speaker. Uh, Diego Gonzalez. Welcome, Speaker Gonzalez. Thank you, Alameda City Council members and staff. I'm Diego Gonzalez, I'm Acting Government Affairs Manager for the Port of Oakland which manages and operates Oakland International Airport. I'd like to thank you all for your work in reviewing the DIR. As you know, we've extended the public comment period past the original 60 days to 90 days. We've been committed from the beginning to a full environmental process and a partnership with all our regional neighbors. As many of you know, the Oak Noise Forum has been a vital resource and conduit for advocating for noise reduction measures to the FAA for over 30 years. And along with the port's advocacy in Washington, we're committed to long-lasting solutions for all of Oak's neighbors. And port leadership have also pushed for the most innovative and most impactful technologies for the reduction of emissions, from electrifying all baggage handling equipment at our gates, instituting zero waste measures at our concessionaires, to the first agreements with airlines for the deployment of sustainable aviation fuel. Our goal is to become a zero emissions port and we'll need everyone's help to achieve this goal. So we invite anyone wanting to participate in this EIR process to submit comments by October 16th, 5 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. If you, you can do this by visiting oaklandairport.com slash terminal development. You can also view the draft EIR as well as past recordings of public meetings and other resources on the project website. So we look forward to being back at council for airport updates soon. Um, thank you again. Again, the website is oaklandairport.com slash terminal development for more information. Thank you all for your time. Thank you. Our next speaker. And that was our last speaker. All right, with that, I'm closing public comment. It is 9.51. We went way over my usual two hours before a break um, time. So we are gonna come back at 10.05, 10.05. I am starting this meeting. Nine minutes. Okay, we have less time. We'll come back at 10 o'clock, 10 p.m. Okay, we're starting up at 10.
All right, if I could get everyone to sit down, please, and come to order, thank you. All right, true to our word, it is uh, 10 o'clock and we're back so well. And I wanna thank everybody, there's not, I don't blame them, most of the members of the public have gone home, but if anyone's listening, thank you. Um, those comments were um, really um, very helpful and eye-opening. So, um, we are now in uh, council deliberation time. So, um, council member Vela. Um, so there was a lot of uh, comments and questions around uh, the experts, both uh, in the live public comments that we got and in, in a number of the communications that the council uh, received, the, the written uh, communications to council. And I uh, just had a question to city manager Ott about um, what you know? What staff is looking at in terms of uh, hiring an expert to to make some comments and to uh, assist ahead of that October sixteenth deadline? And um, if we've tried to engage any of the experts that we utilized back in two thousand one, um, who are familiar? Yeah, we're so we are. Yeah. Can you hear me? We are we're happy to engage consultants. We have not done that. We did look. We did. Um, recently seek out to see some of the consultants that we've received from the community. Some of them either work for the port or aren't available, um, but we're happy to get cons consultants on board and see what we can do to supplement the record before the 16th and then continue working with them um, so that we can continue to supplement the record after the 16th and prior to the final EIR. So we're happy to do that. I think based on the comments I, I heard, we would focus certainly on air quality noise, um, and traffic. Thank you. Um, one other thing, I know that there have been some recent studies around the um, the impact of uh, aviation uh, fuel uh, and uh, the correlation with lead poisoning in uh, children and um, lead contamination. Um, if we could also add that in terms of something that we add to the comment, um, I would appreciate that and, and also something that we're tracking. I know we listed toxicity in general, but I, I think specifically based off of these new studies, if we could also focus on the, the lead contamination element um, for a couple of reasons, but one, it's within typically within a mile of airports, and so, um, you know, that, Alameda being small geographically, um, and I know there were a lot of comments about how this is a Bay Farm and Harbor Bay issue, but realistically with the flight patterns and, and um, the, the, the air patterns here, I do have concerns about not just um, the immediate impact around uh, in, in Bay Farm Island, but also on the East End um, in particular. Um, the other, uh, you know, I think we there are a number of schools that are impacted. I actually think it's more than what was listed because those were just the, I think, um, public schools. We also have a couple private schools out there as well as um, our our TOTS program at the parks. Um, and you know, I've I've witnessed it. My my son attended uh, the TOTS program in in um, uh, Bay Farm Island, and certainly. Um, the noise that you can hear in the classroom, even with the retrofitting and the double pane windows and all of that, 
um, is pretty significant and how low the planes are going, um, both when they're coming in. I know that folks are focused on, the comments are really focused on the takeoff, um, but we are seeing impacts in terms of um, the planes coming in to land as well, especially when they fly really low during different weather events. Um, I did have a question about um, the, um, you know, whether or not we can also ask for um, or request or even um, move forward with installing monitors um, in, uh, in a number of locations in Alameda rather than just, uh, especially on the air quality side um, and on the noise side, um, I think adding, I, we have several, um, back when I was on the airport noise forum, we added a couple more, um, but on the air quality side so that we have some um, in, in, um, in Bay Farm Island and also on the main island. Um, that would that would be appreciated. Yeah. Um, and, and then, then just, just yeah, sorry, just go ahead. As a note that it, that is we do have that mentioned that in the letter, and we can be yeah. more as some of the comments mentioned. We can be more forceful in the language mm -hmm. and kind of talk about this more in terms of demands um, than requests. And so I, I did yeah. hear that loud and clear too. So and just for clarification, Vice uh, Councilmember Vela, you're talking about having the port install monitors, correct? Correct. Yes. correct. And I, I do think that we need to make that a condition rather than just a, a, an, a request. I would say that you know it's one of our conditions for moving forward because I think it's going to be very difficult to get the studies in place and to enforce if we actually don't have the monitors. And considering that they're the ones that are asking for the expansion, I do think that it's important that they're a, a, a true partner in this and, and hopefully um, you know, one would one would hope that they would agree to install those. But I don't think we're going to get it if it's just a request. I do think that we have to make it a little more forceful in terms of making it a condition. Um, and and I, I, I do think that we have to have them in a couple of places. And I would I would hope that it's a mutually agreed upon location at a bare minimum, rather than the port deciding we're going to put it here. This is these are the locations that we're going to we're going to put it. I would like to have some say in the placement of the actual monitors, and I would like to have an expert weigh in on that. Um, you know, I, finally, I, I would just say I think you know I, I appreciate the port that that the port has expanded um, or extended uh, the the public comment period. I do think we have to do our due diligence here. I'm, I you know. I think many of us use the, the airport. Um, I use the airport uh, often. Um, there is a convenience factor. It stops being convenient when it becomes so large that, um, you know, San Francisco, um, there is a difference when you're flying out of San Francisco International Airport versus flying out of Oakland. And part of that has to do with the size and, and just kind of what you're, you're working on. My hope is is that there's also some studies relative to, and, and I appreciate that they want to modernize. I hope that they modernize, and, and I'd like to be a partner in what that looks like, but that there is a little more kind of uh, analysis of configurations that can work um, that really would divert planes away rather than have encouraging them um, to have a flight path over. And I understand that you know there's a lot of considerations that, that went into this. Um, this proposal, I hope that there's considerations around, you know, limiting the direct human impact. Um, and I think we have to advocate for our residents relative to that. I certainly don't want a situation where we become, you know, not to knock other cities, but there's a huge impact when you're in places like South San Francisco. And even though there were payments to make sure that people have uh, certain kind of noise limitations and things like that to their houses, it 
really there is no way to, to mitigate it um, once you have that level of expansion. So I'm hoping that we can also make some comments relative to that. I know we kind of politely touched around it, but if we can make it a little more clear in terms of, you know, having more um, more opportunity uh, relative to the direct impacts and then spelling out what, what we would define those direct impacts to our residents to be. And I know from the noise forum that, you know, talking about flight paths, it starts impacting, you know, if you offset something that it impacts the people in the hills or it impacts people in, um, in you know, inland and there's other considerations, we're not the only community. I just don't want to bear the brunt of it um, because we're being, you know, trying to be really polite in kind of how we're, we're communicating things and then other communities come out um, a little more forcefully and saying, hey, these are the things that we absolutely need for our, our, our residents and then we, we bear the brunt of it. So, um, you know, I understand that expansion is needed, but I do think that we have to advocate for ourselves to kind of mitigate the, the harm. Um, and so I would support a little more um, kind of stronger language around those mitigation efforts. Thank you. Thank you. Um, who wants to go next? Vice Mayor, and you've actually been um, appointed to be the representative on the airport noise firm, right? Uh, yes. Um, well, thank you. Uh, Oakland airport expansion is the most important matter facing residents of Alameda, given the strong potential for negative impacts on our quality of life. More important than Alameda Point, or estuary area redevelopment. The planned development of 900,000 square feet of new terminal space at Oakland Airport on top of the already existing 630,000 square feet of terminal space represents a profound negative impact on the quality of life of all of Alameda, not just zip code 94502. So it is imperative that we leverage the draft EIR process to get Oakland Airport to scale down from its proposal of 900,000 square feet of new terminal space. In reviewing the draft EIR before us, I find that Oakland Airport has failed to adequately explain the necessity and failed to adequately explain the impacts of the addition of 900 square feet of new terminal space on top of the already existing 630,000 square feet. Let me begin by first talking about the so-called necessity of the proposed new 900,000 square feet. In the draft EIR, Oakland Airport says that the projected number of passengers by year 2038 of roughly 24 million passengers in total. The Oakland Airport throughout the draft EIR says this future total amount of 24 million passengers can actually be accommodated by the already existing 630,000 square feet of terminal space. On page 437 of the draft EIR, Oakland Airport writes, as documented in appendix D, OAK, in its current layout, could accommodate the projected demand through the use of remote hard stands. In other places, they talk about the possibility of remodeling the existing terminals. 
Now let me talk about the inadequate analysis of the impacts of the new 900,000 square feet on top of the already existing 630,000 square feet. So in the draft EIR, Oakland Airport says the new 900,000 square feet imposes no new significant impacts because whether the terminal remains at the already existing 630,000 square feet or goes from 630,000 square feet and adds another 900,000 square feet. In either case, roughly 24 million passengers can or will be served, according to Oakland Airport. But that's where Oakland Airport's analysis is flawed. By my calculations, the introduction of new 900,000 square feet term of terminal space consisting of 16 new gates would itself result in approximately 9.8 million new passengers. So at build-out, by my calculations, it's not 24 million passengers, but 24 million passengers plus another minimum of 9.8 million. But the analysis that really counts for purposes of the draft EIR comment period is the analysis by airport planning experts. That's why we, the city of Alameda, need to dramatically change course within a space of days. We need to submit analyses and testimony of experts in the field of airport planning, testimony from experts in the field of airport no noise planning, and we need to submit testimony from experts from the airport legal analysis field. Let me put it this way. When we submitted our comments to the draft EIR in 1997, when Oakland Airport was undergoing its first round of expansion, we submitted, along with a staff report, expert testimony amounting to at least 100 pages. And yes, I was on city council in 1997. What city staff has prepared before us tonight's agenda is in essence a one-pager with six bullet points and no in-depth analysis. Qualitative analysis, you heard. With all due respect to our staff, and I admire and respect their professionalism, the, what's before us tonight is simply not adequate. Let me end by explaining why expert testimony is imperative. We must raise detailed substantive comments provided by staff and experts as part of the draft EIR. In turn, Oakland Airport will provide responses as part of their final EIR. If we, the city of Alameda, have problems with Oakland Airport's final EIR responses, we could then, if we so choose, pursue litigation because we raised the technical expert testimony during the draft EIR process. Expert testimony provided after the draft EIR comment period, as you heard earlier tonight, Oakland Airport is not required to respond to, so it might not be helpful in court. But let me be clear, talk of litigation at this point is far too premature. So it is imperative that we move forward in these few short days in getting expert testimony onto the record as part of the draft EIR. Um, it's imperative for the residents, not just of 94502, but all of um, the city of Alameda. Thank you. Thank you. Who wants to go next?
You want to take it up again, Councilmember Jensen? Um, sure. Thank you, um, Councilmember Desog. I know that you're experienced both on the City Council and um, working as uh, in planning big projects is very useful and, and helpful to me to um, better understand this this project. I have, uh, I, as I asked, and I, I voiced some concerns in, in my questions of earlier, and I want to continue with that, that I um, am, and, and in those questions, I, I was trying to get to the issue of current compliance, what we have um, seen basically, and what we see in the, in the EIR is that the, the EIR is based on future levels of activity, of passenger activity and cargo activity that is forecast to occur by the Port of Oakland. And as we also see in the, in the EIR, this is going to happen according to the EIR regardless of whether the project happens or not. So there's going to be more passengers at the airport regardless of whether the airport modernizes or adds new terminals or um, makes any changes. And I bring this up because I'm concerned about the compliance with with existing agreements, settlement agreements. We, um, I understand that there was a, a expansion by the the port in 2001, 2002, and at that time, as we just heard, the city had submitted um, a very extensive comments about that expansion. And I, I also note, um, I'm, I did a little bit of research, and the, the passenger level in 2002 was about a little less than 13 million passengers, and, and this past year, 20, 2022, it was about 12 million as well. So first of all, just pointing out that the projections did not occur at that time, regardless of how much of the expansion was accomplished. But um, what has happened, and what we heard tonight from the public comments, is that the agreements that the city has entered into are um, are not subject to extensive control or even authority by the airport. And so whether or not we submit comments on the draft environmental impact report or whether or not the Port of Oakland moves forward with this project, I read in the draft EIR and I've um, noted from comments that basically the it's not up to the airport. We heard earlier from, um, from the director, the planning director, that um, the Airport Noise and Capacity Act prohibits the airport from limiting the use of runways. And um, we've heard anecdotal data and data from people who live on Bay Farm Island that the north runway is used consistently by aircraft that, may, that the settlement agreement perhaps and um, actual capacity requirements would not would suggest that those aircraft should not be using those runways and so uh, this that's a little beyond the scope of the dir but it should be part of our comments so i'm going to um also agree with councilmember desog suggest or propose and and that we direct staff to immediately immediately engage technical support and technical expertise to respond to these issues, not only the issues of current usage and compliance, but the issues about 
that that are in the DEIR that are actually actually going to impact all of our residents. That, for example, that that our current letter discusses noise impacts, and um, there's a, a, a paragraph about an average noise level calculated on an average day in an average year. And in fact, if you look at the, the, the environmental report from the Port of Oakland, the noise is going to be reduced um, over the next, from 2028 to 2038, and all of the sensors are four, six, seven, eight, and 16 on Bay Farm Island. All of those sensors, according to the appendix in the report, the noise levels will be reduced. So it is just almost disingenuous to me to think that we're gonna have 16 more gates and triple the amount of cargo and passengers and, and it's gonna be quieter. And that was actually what was suggested in, um, I believe in 2001, that the use of different um, fuels and the use of more um, efficient planes was gonna make it quieter at that time. So. I want to have a more robust response to noise impacts, air quality impacts as well. There's a, there's a 37 seconds left for me. So air quality impacts and safety impacts are, are, are huge. And the transportation impacts, finally, I appreciate talking about our transportation, our city's transportation goals, but having two brand new parking lots with across this Maitland Drive and across um, Rompkown Parkway are gonna massively increase the, the transportation and air quality impacts in Alameda, and we need to respond to that. Thank you. All right, thank you. <clears throat> Councilmember Harris-Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, first, I wanna thank everyone that showed up today. It was critical that you show up. Uh, class made a request for uh, help in regards to an expert. I hope that staff uh, will respond to that. I do want to thank class. They have hired experts. They just haven't hired enough, and that's what I heard, and uh, they have been on this. I have met with staff early on uh, in response to working with class, and uh, we were try we would try to our hardest um, staff. Um, I appreciate you, um, you know, trying this, it, like you, this is like showing up, I think, the day before term papers do and thinking you're gonna be able to pull it together. There's gonna to be a lot of pressure in how to do this. Um, I did share earlier the, uh, where the backbed monitors are. I have actually spoken twice at the public meetings at the Hilton in regards to these issues. I was very clear with staff. We need to demand the air quality monitors be on Bay Farm and the main island immediately. That should have already happened. Uh, the language, I agree with my council members, the language in regards to air quality is uh, really in regards to this whole thing. It should not be a letter format. It needs to go point by point. Do we agree? Do we disagree? Where's our technical, technical expert? Um, uh, this is not, you know, I appreciate we want to work with the port. I appreciate the port doing these meetings with us. I am, in fact, the um, elected co-chair of the Airport Noise Forum. We have our meetings, and then we do hear, right, and I, we do have staff, which means staff has heard these comments. The woman that brought this paper, th this is outrageous. 
The next gen comment is absolutely true. Instead of having, what that means is everything's been essentially automated. So planes that used to be over here or over there, you know, now they're right here over your house over and over and over again. I would actually encourage staff to actually visit Bay Farm Go, you know, we had all these people. I'm sure they welcome you into the clubhouse, into their homes, and you can hear it. I have worked with Walt Jacobs personally over this for years. Um, I live on the east end. We get some of this. We get nothing compared to what all of you get. Uh, my kids went to Earhart. Um, so I, I have spent time, but it's not the same. This 24-7 planes over your house is significant. Um, so I, so I do think staff has got, you know, I don't know what you can do at this late date. Uh, we have staff that you, you all can look it up, Transparent California, how much money they get paid, 400,000, whatever it is, right? Uh, this is, I agree with Council, uh, Vice Mayor Daysog, this is the most important issue to hit Alameda since that airport was built. Why? Because you're talking about pollutants, contaminants, noise, that you can expect instead of I've only lived here 20 some years. The time I've lived here, we have planes going earlier. Um, we have more of them, obviously, but we have this next gen thing, so certain people get hit hard. They they just get pummeled. Um, uh, so, you know, I want I want experts. I actually, it's critical. We have actually real experts, and we do point by point. The draft EAR came out July 17th. Uh, they did already extend it. So we've had, this will be you know, 90 days, so we're coming in super late at this point. Um, the backpack monitors, we need to get technical letters. Oh, okay, all of you that showed up, stopoakexpansion.org. They have partners, many of whom have been on it. I encourage you to uh, work with them. Uh, they are actually, let me tell you who is opposing. Um, Okay, so I've already mentioned this, the paragraph about the air quality impacts. We need to be specific, especially in regards to the sentence, the measurement statements for existing conditions are located in Oakland, some distance from the airport. We actually have maps. We can figure out exactly how far it is. That's what we had a great speaker speak to. We do need to be specific. It says reflective of the communities that are most directly affected. That's so vague. We have residents that are adjacent to the airport. We must be advocating for our residents. So we have to be specific, my opinion. But I have shared this previously, um, and I was ignored. So I appreciate um, all of you showing up to actually emphasize why this matters. Uh, the, what they're talking about with passengers increasing, it's almost a double. Uh, belly cargo is essentially a triple. The parking lot's adjacent. Thank you, Member Jensen, for bringing that up. The, they, they are shifting the parking lots. They're gonna be closer to us, which means um, you can expect more traffic going down Fernside, uh, coming in through Alameda to get to the airport because the parking lot is actually going to be right next to our residence in, on Bay Farm. So we can all expect more traffic there. But also, it's not gonna be sufficient parking. Uh, it doesn't, it, there's more, they increased the percentage more for their employee parking than they did for uh, passenger parking significantly. Um, okay, the Stop Oakland expansion, I encourage everyone, okay, and I appreciate uh, Diego Ramirez, for, or I believe that's his last name, for Gonzalez, I'm sorry, for calling in because you do not have to count on your city to be the only one that does a response to the EIR. 
everyone that's, that your comments you can submit, and it's critical that they be submitted before this uh, extension runs out, as we heard, and I want to thank Selena Chen for being uh, transparent, that comments after the deadline are not the same way. They do not have to respond. And I really appreciate Attorney Chen for clarifying that. It is critical we get our comments in before the deadline. Um, okay, so some of these other things. Alternatives. We have to, we can bring that up. We can offer alternatives. Uh, and this high-speed rail, if you go on the Oak Exp uh, the stop oak, it's in there. That is, uh, the EIR can say we want an alternative and that is the high-speed rail. Um, so we, we can offer that. There's no reason that we didn't. Uh, employees, East Oakland, people have talked about that. It's critical that we, you know, I don't know where Oakland is on this. I don't know where San Leandro is. We've got to do our part, but it's not just for our community residents. It's actually the entire area. Um, the greenhouse gas emissions, you know, where are, Okay, Sierra Club is coming out against us. So there are climate activists and people that care about the, the climate impacts that have pushed back. So I want to thank them also. Um, these, you know, the questions that we received. Okay, Port is not a good neighbor. They try, but at the same time, their hands are tied. They can only do so much. Nothing is guaranteed. And we know, we try our hardest, but we still have serious problems. So um, I want to hear from our mayor before I've uh, exhaust my time. Thanks. Um, no, go ahead and finish your comments. I'm sorry, I can uh, continue later. Thank you. Okay, well, there's 23, com 23 seconds left, okay. Wasting my time. Um, and I will just remind council members that we are to be courteous to each other when we're in public. And so we don't disparage each other, we don't disparage staff, and we don't disparage members of the public, and that's according to the council rules of conduct. Thank you. Okay, so I wanna start with a thank you to everyone who turned out to speak today. I often tell people you are my eyes and ears in the city because I can't be everywhere. I do get out to Harbor Bay and Bay Farm, um, but I, you know, the, the things you were describing from your homes, um, especially Celia Wang, who um, sat at the front door of her house with the noise monitor on her phone, and that's amazing. And you didn't tell us, well, you did tell us, I think, in your children's bedrooms, but I, um, I, I think you all did such a good job of, of um, expressing um, the concerns, and I hope that Diego Gonzalez from the port wasn't the only uh, member of the Port of Oakland um, staff uh, listening. I, I have a feeling he wasn't. So what I want to say is, I, um, I and I also want to thank class. I have met with class over the years. I'm impressed with um, folks who have professional background that they bring, and I've learned so much from them. Not too long ago, we some of us took a tour out to the um, Oakland Airport uh, on a bus tour. We got to get out and walk on the runways, not when the planes were coming and going, but um, it's just very instructive to see it up close. And um, But what I heard over and over, and I don't want to belabor the points that my um, colleagues have raised, I would say we have um, some unanimity here, that there are health and safety concerns, and that has to do with the noise impacts, the impacts of the emissions, the sleep disruption, the um, noise that is rattling people's windows, the very um, vivid description of a white roof 
white roofs on a um, on a housing that turned black in a not very long period of time from the jet fuel overhead. So what I expect of the port, and the port can expect it of, of Alameda, is to be good neighbors. That road runs both ways. And I will say that I felt that they minimized the impact on the city, and, and, and Mr. Tai raised that in the executive summary, and oh, you know, it's just a little expansion, a little, you know, a little more here, a little more there. And actually, for the longest time, when I would be discussing a meeting with uh, port officials, and I would say expansion, they'd go, oh, it's not an expansion. And I finally said, let's just call a spade a spade. I mean, what, what do you call this? And don't keep tiptoeing around it. You've got to walk in the front door and address these issues. So we heard our city manager tell us that, um, yes, we can not ask for, but direct the port. This is what we expect. We expect funding for monitors, um, and I, I think it would be great to go back over the, the notes, and, and um, folks from class probably have a good idea, but you've got to measure that sound in real time and, and where it is and where it's impacting um, residents and um, uh, businesses and preschools and schools and parks and um, I will say quick aside a long time ago I worked for the Recreation and Parks Department when I was in high school and in college and I ran um, the tiny I was one of the directors of the what they called tiny tots at out at Godfrey Park even back then when dinosaurs roamed the earth maybe not quite that long ago but we've been we working with the children we just have to stop for when the, the jets went over and nobody could hear anything. And um, by the way, I have heard um, now directly from the Port of Oakland that the whole OAK, that's Oakland Airport Development Team, has been watching and taking notes tonight. So good, don't put your pens and your keypads down yet. Um, so anyway, there we need to, health and safety is always gonna be my first concern and it comes in so many different forms. But I also, um, the environment is the other, is the other um, key issue, one of the other key issues. And so when we were out at the tour, we learned about these, um, the next generation of, I'm not talking about the, the flight pattern um, uh, program, but these, the next generation of engines, of fuel engines, of jet engines that are quieter, they're more fuel efficient, they don't have as much impact on surrounding communities, and they also, um, are developing these alternate fuels, alternative fuels that aren't spewing these greenhouse gas emissions. And again, the irony here is that the Port of Oakland is one of 30 partners in a task force started by the city of Alameda on sea level and ground level rise and the impacts because as we often say, climate change, sea level rise knows no jurisdictional boundaries. It doesn't say, oops, here's the city limits of Oakland and Alameda or San Leandro and Oakland or oh, this is now East Bay Regional Parks District so we'll stop flooding there. No, it's gonna just rise and continue. So we're working together with these 30 different agencies including the port so let's be good partners, let's put our money where our mouth is, literally. We all have to do our part to address and reduce the greenhouse gas emissions that lead to sea level rise. So Port of Oakland, I'm looking at you to lead the way on that, if indeed you wanna do this project. The um, other thing I um, smiled when I heard some um, residents say this, because I said it earlier in an email, 
the letter that we wrote, um, and I'm a former litigator, I'm just not nearly that polite. I just, you know, I, I tell people this is what I want and this is why and this is what I think, and that's what we need to do. We're not asking permission. We're not trying to be the polite, meek party. And We are the city of Alameda. We are 80,000 residents. We all have a right to the quiet enjoyment of our property. And, and to you know, live and go about our business and recreate without all these impacts, and it's possible. So don't tell us that it's a foregone conclusion, that, oh, the FAA this, the FAA that. Trust me, we have our representatives in Washington, D.C., and we have our lobbyists. We'll talk to them, too, if we need to. But for the meantime, why don't we start and work cooperatively? Um, I think we have your attention now. But one of the, um, the questions that I posed to staff, and I'm going to ask it now, is where are the teeth? How is it that so we will say we want this, that, and the other thing. I think my colleagues have all done a nice job of laying it out. I agree with everything. What's the what? What happens if we don't get the the response that we want, or if um, agreements are violated? We've got an MOU, but what happens if it's um, not more than you know worth more than the paper it's written on? Who'd like to tackle that response? Um, city, whoops! I covered the city manager up with my agenda. Sorry, you know they're not all just diving for the microphone when I. <laughs> I'm happy to start. <laughs> All right, we'll start with City Attorney Evan Shen, and just raise your hand if you want to be heard. Thank you, City Ma City Attorney. Uh, Madam Mayor, so I'll start. I'm, I'm sure my colleagues will join me. Um, with respect to your question about teeth, if you're talking about the EIR process, obviously the ultimate remedy any commenter have in an EIR process is to commence litigation, um, and obviously we hope to not have to do that because we are going to be able to provide, uh, based on this council's direction, very robust, com hopefully, robust comments uh, supported by technical and scientific experts and consultants that um, will be hired by the staff, um, and which will hopefully, uh, along with the relationships that are being built by our staff, will um, drive to an end that uh, will be acceptable um, to the community, but if not, if you're asking about teeth. Uh, ultimately, um, if we do not get what we want, we would have to commence litigation. With respect to your question about what happens, I, I think you also had a second question, which is that if we reach an agreement, uh, and if they are, uh, if, the, if the agreement is violated, what are the consequences? Um, it will depend on what the agreement says. Um, the agreement can say any number of things, and uh, the you know agreements can be um, can can be readily enforceable with a lot of provisions that allow us to ultimately enforce. And ultimately, enforcing means bringing litigation to enforce. Um, and so we'll have to draft those agreements carefully um, to the extent that those agreements can be reached. Um, and ultimately, um, any enforcement of any agreement with two disputing parties um, will have to be done by litigation. So far short of litigation, and I think I heard my colleague, Vice Mayor Daysog, said it would be premature at this time, and I certainly concur with right. that. Um, and um, you want to jump in, uh, City Manager, go ahead. City Manager, go ahead. I can wait. Yeah, I can wait until you're done. Okay, let me let, let me jump on my soapbox for just a minute. What I want to say to the Port of Oakland folks who are listening, and and I enjoy working with all of you, 
some of you were out on the boat tour that we did on the estuary of the possible locations for the bicycle pedestrian bridge that would have no emissions involved, I might add. But anyway, um, the port is doing so many innovative things. I was at the groundbreaking or the, the celebration for the Go Port for the project. You are doing electric trucks. These electric trucks come in and going for the port to cut down the emissions for the people. And I mean, it's been real. The folks in East Oakland have borne the brunt of the um, truck traffic idling, waiting to get to onload or offload um, containers from the port. So I know what you're capable of doing. So don't tell us that, oh, there's nothing more that can be done. We're looking to you for that same innovation. Okay. Thank you. And let's go to the city manager. I was just going to say, I mean, we can also commence negotiations on an MOU, which would be, you know, similar to a settlement agreement that was done before. Um, and we can start that immediately. And that can be what we'd like to do is try to push to have that done or in good shape and bring that back to council even before the final EIR is released so that the council knows um, and kind of and the community knows where things are headed, where is where is it falling short or where are we having issues and we can um, continue to have those discussions about the MOU. And just, you know, if that, again, ultimately this project would have to get the EIR would have to get certified and the project approved by the Port of Oakland um, and and their you know their appointed officials. And so I do want to say, in addition to the um, the legal ramp, you know, ability to at that point potentially initiate litigation if the council wants to go there. Um, but we can also, you know, this community can also be at that meeting and we can also use, and our, and our city certainly can too, and be able to kind of really try to influence politically if we're not getting that traction that, that we hope that we can, you know, over the next couple months on the MOU. So um, I just want to add that, that there ultimately this project has to be approved by the Port of Oakland board. Thank you, City Manager. Who had their hand up first? Vice Mayor Desoc. Well, thank you. And um, Councilor Ravella. Just quickly, um, for the same reason that I think uh, discussion of litigation at this point is um, premature, I also believe discussion of any MOU in which there would be some trade-offs is also premature. I believe what matters the most is that we um, gather our expert testimony and submit it um, as part of the draft EIR process. And so for that reason, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make a motion. Um, could, and could possibly wait till Councilmember Vela. I call on you before her, but sure. you both put your hands Fine. up at the same time. I, I can wait. Hold that thought, if you would, please. Councilmember Vela. So one last thing, and I know we've talked about and, and mentioned uh, the impacts to traffic, but also, I mean, as part of our transportation um, demand plans that we've done, I would hope that there are similar studies that we're asking for, um, that, that very similar to what we've done for our um, developments around parking and, and um, the impact to traffic. As part of our climate action plan and part of, um, you know, a lot of our priorities as council, we've also put a put a high, you know, a lot on um, in making sure that we have multimodal transportation um, and that we aren't just kind of subsidizing parking expansion. And so I, I also hope that those those points are raised as part of this project um, and that we're raising them in terms of making sure that we're seeing actually more connectivity with our ferries um, 
to the airport with with bus with bus connectors and that and that we're looking at that first and last mile. We also have the BART station there, so it it, it is plugged in um, to to transportation. But we've also seen headway times and things like that being impacted relative to the buses. So it would be helpful if we could find a way to connect all of those things and also make the same asks that we would of uh, you know of the port that we do of ourselves relative to uh, transportation demand and parking. Thank you. Okay, um, Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, okay, so wildlife impacts, we had a speaker about that. I think we must speak to that, as well as the planes going over the bay, as well as over our homes. Uh, property values, we had someone speak to that. I think that really matters because I do think property values can drop over this thing. And then I do think I want the draft shared with the public in advance so we can all respond. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. So, um, so you, uh, well, uh, what I would like to do, if it's okay, yeah. I would like to make a motion where I move that we, this council, continue this agenda item at a special city council meeting set for Saturday, October 14th. And in the meantime, staff hires, as well as attempts to hire, because it's such a short time frame, uh, within city manager and city attorney's discretionary budget authority for each separate hire, hires or attempts to hire an, an airport planner, airport traffic planner, airport noise expert, and an airport legal counsel or whatever consultant um, to review and provide expert testimony of their analyses of the draft EIR and include as part of the Saturday, October 14th special um, meeting, staff comments to the EIR along with expert testimony and attachments um, and, and their you know, um, analytic attachments. Um, and, and also one last thing, so that would be the motion. And I would also include in the motion that we make a request for um, another 30-day uh, extension um, given the fact that when I did a Google search using Google, I came up with the EIR, but it didn't have any of the um, um, attachments, and that was the, the Google search, and because that was an early July version. Um, but then you have to go to the um, website to get the draft EIR with all the attachments. So I think I have to imagine that the public also experienced that kind of um, difficulty. So that's the motion. I think Councilmember Bella has a question. Is there a need for the special meeting to happen, or is there a possibility of staff hearing the direction, hiring the experts, updating the letter, circulating it to council, and then council giving feedback ahead of that deadline? I could, I could live with that. Say it again into the microphone. I could live with that. Okay. All right. Then what's I mean, your... So, I mean, what do other council members think? Uh, yeah. I, I think I'd like staff to be spending all their time on getting these expert reports and getting them incorporated rather than on preparing for yet another meeting. Um, well, in that case, I want to say that that was actually then Tracy Jensen's motion. So I want to be clear that I think that you were making that motion, right? The one that I made. I think she can speak for herself, but. Um, I, I didn't. Like 20 minutes ago, I think you're. 
I didn't actually make a motion, oh, okay. but well, I, had made, I had spoken yeah. in support of most of the issues okay. that you just raised. Yeah. All right, scratch it then. That's okay. my motion. Okay. Uh, but with, uh, with, with the amendment. With the feedback yeah. and also environmental experts, yeah. I think. Whatever consultants, yeah. as I said. So I'm out of time. I'd like 10 more seconds. Um, moving for 30 seconds additional. Second. It's 30 seconds. Madam Clerk, do you have a clear idea of the motion that was made? Yes. Do you want me to repeat? Would you please? Okay. So the motion is that um, the, the, well, okay, so that the, the council will, will, the staff, I'm sorry, will hire the out, outside experts that of uh, the airport planner, airport noise expert, or legal counsel, and then um, review the, their testimony, their expertise in the testimony in the draft EIR, and they'll circulate the um, revisions to council prior to the October, prior to October, the deadline. Do, by, by the deadline, I'm sorry, Vice uh, Council Member Vela, did you mean that Vice Mayor Daysog had said of October 14th or the deadline of the EIR? By the 14th. Okay, by the 14th, thank you. I just want to make sure which deadline that was. Um, the, the, those would be circulated amongst council for council to respond back from staff to, to staff, and they, there would be attachments that explain growth assumptions, adequacy of noise, adequacy of impact analysis relative to appropriate standards, and environmental. Yes. And environmental, yes. And transportation. All right. I am not going to support a motion to extend time. It is almost 11 o'clock, and we're about to have to vote on how many more items we can hear. But I only asked for 10 seconds. Um, we've gotten one, exactly one regular item, not even completed, and it's almost 11 o'clock. So I had <laughs> said to share it with public and council, not just council in advance. Oh, that's fine. Public. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Public Who needs a motion? Okay, yeah, I mean, it would be shared with the public, right? All right. All right. Okay, so the council member, Vice Mayor Daysog, I'm so sorry, Vice Mayor Daysog has made a motion, and Councilmember Jensen, was it you who seconded? No. I'll second. Okay, Councilmember Vela seconds. All those in favor, please signify by stating aye. 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 All those opposed? No opposed? Okay, that passes unanimously. Again, thank you, thank you to everybody who, um, who stayed long and listened, and I apologize to those whose nerves I got on. It's comes with the territory. All right, we are moving on. Oh no, we have to do a housekeeping. Okay, quickly, um, we have to vote. Madam Clerk, what do we need to vote on? So the remaining three items, well, you might be able to call 7B before uh, 11 p.m., but the other two remaining items are 7C, which is Trulio agreement, and 7D, which is the rules of order. Okay. And you need to have four votes to consider this after 11. Right, okay, so I would be did we really lose Councilor Jensen? He's coming yeah, she, back. She, she, she's grabbing <laughs> something. She's from the <laughs> Come on, people, don't do this to me. Um, I, thanks, everybody. Uh, so um, I think we could maybe quickly get through our regular items that need to be voted on and nothing by a, a time certain, but who's got a motion to make Councilor Vella? So I'll make a motion to extend until, uh, until midnight. I, I would just ask that if we could move the pool item last 
because, because I, I have to recuse. She has to recuse. Okay, and then you can and, and <laughs> see the bambinos. Well, um, see them fast that, asleep. That would, that would be my preference if we could move that last, just because I have to recuse. Um, I'm a member of the do, Let me just ask, do we have speakers waiting to speak on that? We don't have any in person. However, remotely, I wouldn't know until they call the item. All right, okay. Uh, okay, does anyone understand the motion? Who, okay, <laughs> interested in, and seconded. Okay, um, to go up to... Um, Midnight, here are the items, but just put B at the end. Okay, uh, we have a motion, it's been seconded. All those in favor signify by stating aye. Aye. Aye, opposed? No. The motion carries four to one. Okay, so we are going to 7C, Madam Clerk? Correct. All right, 7C. Recommendation to authorize the city manager to execute a five-year license agreement with Trulio Inc. for a software subscription for automated body-worn camera review and analysis in a total not to exceed amount of 180,000. And you need to thank Councilmember Bella just saying <laughs> for you. bumping up your item ahead of the Sincere, pool. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> Good evening. Um, Good evening. Madam Mayor, members of council, I'm Matt McMullen with the uh, City of Alameda Police Department. If I can get this. Captain Matt McMullen, right? Tonight we are asking City Council's permission to have city, the city manager execute an agreement for a software subscription for automated camera recording review and analysis not to exceed $180,000 for five years with Trulio, Inc. Organizational health depends on proper supervision and employee performance review. To be efficient and meet these objectives, the Alameda Police Department created policies to ensure officers' body-worn camera footage is reviewed regularly. On average, APD employees record 5,400 hours of video per month with their body-worn cameras. Attempting to have supervisors manually review 100% of that footage is not feasible. So APD turned to technology to help automate this task. Trulio's computer model quickly and efficiently sifts through thousands of hours of audio footage and flags high-risk incidents such as uses of force, escalation, pursuits, non-compliance, as well as contentious and other positive interactions. The system then sends prompts to APD supervisors who watch these specific interactions and make their own assessments of the behavior, language, and service delivery. After a two-year assessment of the efficiency and effectiveness of the soft so software subscription, APD recommends City Council approve a five-year subscription contract with Trulio. In 2021, APD negotiated a short-term, year-to-year contract with Trulio to help automate the review of 100% of all body audio footage. As the City of Alameda was an early adopter of this innovative technology, Trulio sought out and received city permission to use Alameda's BWC footage to conduct a year-over-year -year analysis of changes in behavior by APD police officers before and after the implementation of Trulio. On May 16, 2023, City Council considered a referral by City Council Member Herrera Spencer regarding the use of Trulio technology. The City Council's direction to staff was to return to City Council in the fall with a proposed contract extension and include alternative options to contracting with Trulio and information on how the City regulates and protects the use of City data by consultants and contractors. As previously mentioned, Trulio's computer model sifts through 100% of all body-worn body camera recordings in minutes and flags high-risk incidents such as uses of force, escalation, pursuits, and non-compliance. It also flags words often associated with contentious interactions with the public and words not appropriate for APD members to use, as well as positive and courteous interaction. The system then prompts supervisors to watch these specific interactions and make their own assessments of the behavior, language, and service delivery. 
which can then be used by supervisors to provide coaching and performance management of police officers. This regular and ongoing approach to performance management helps to reward employees' positive interactions and avoid escalating negative behavior. The Trulio system categorizes recordings into three primary groups for us for supervisory view. First, it's professional, professionalism, either high or low. Second, risk, officer or other speaker, aggressive or insultive language. And three, events, use of force, pursuits, noncompliance, or searches. The technology is also beneficial for officer motivation and mental health wellness. It records when officers use de-escalating language, politeness, which is later recognized by commanders during daily briefings. Recognizing good interactions can cause an increase in officer wellness and provides examples to other newer officers of top-notch customer service. Conversely, the system can flag when officers are being barraged with harmful speech from those they contact, thus prompting an officer wellness check-in from their supervisor. Lastly, the system flags unprofessional language by officers. The system prompts a supervisor review, which often materializes in coaching and correction to prevent escalating behavior. Sorry, got behind. Trulio, Trulio uses software within the OzGovCloud. OzGovCloud is specifically designed to follow regulatory compliance for government agencies at all levels. Following the CGIS security policy, OzGovCloud ensures unauthorized persons cannot access customer data. When analyzing the audio stream of video, Trulio software does not make a copy, nor does it store the original video footage. Instead, it only stores the audio transcript for analysis. The audio is held in temporary memory while Trulio's system analyzes and produces a transcript, labels and flags with relevant events for the supervisors to review. The transcript and analysis are stored in a customer-specific data repository. Trulio protects the audio files by using encryption during transmission and while held for analysis. Based on City Council's questions at the May 16th meeting regarding the use of city data by contractors, city staff reviewed its administrative policies and contract templates and made substantive changes. These changes are incorporated in the recommended Trulio contract, which includes updated language appropriate for this license agreement that uses confidential data. Specifically, if you'd like to turn to Exhibit 3, Page 2, Section 7B, Boy, for the details. APD recommends that City Council approve the license agreement with Trulio. However, if not, some alternatives could be that City Council directs staff to bring back an agreement with another company. It should be noted, however, that APD researched alternative options other than Trulio and no other company provides the same level of review and differentiation in speakers and analysis. Other systems are unable to identify which person is speaking, whether it's the officer or the person they are speaking with, which therefore requires significantly more manual review by the supervisors. Another option would be to not approve the license agreement and resume intermittent manual reviews of BWC footage. With thousands of hours of footage, it's not possible for APD staff to review all recordings. APD staff would only review footage if there is specific intent or at random, which is less efficient, less complete, and less effective. Lastly, council could request additional information and we could return to council for further consideration. Financial impact. Funding for this proposed purchase agreement is already included in the department's previously approved operating budgets for fiscal year 23-24 and 24-25. Funding for the last three years of the proposed contract would be subject to future city council appropriations approval. Tonight, we are asking council to allow the city manager to execute an agreement for the software subscription for automated camera review and analysis not to exceed $180,000 for five years with Trulio Inc. 
Before I conclude my presentation, I would like to turn it over to the city manager for additional information. Thank you, Captain McMullen. And yeah. where is our city manager? I'm here. Yes, she um, is. I just wanted, Behind yes. the screen. Hi. <laughs> Thank you, Captain McMullen. I just wanted to take a, make a quick comment from a citywide perspective, so not just for APD, but not only do I obviously recommend and support this software for the reasons presented by Captain McMullen, but I also want to commend Chief Joshi and his team for being innovative and trying something new. I think creating a culture of innovation across all departments by encouraging staff to try new ideas, programs, and technology is very important um, to me as a city manager. And I think not only does it allow us to be efficient about the use of our resources, but I also think it really helps us provide better services to our community. So thank you. Thank you, um, City Manager Ott. Okay, um, thank you, Captain McMullen. You had time on the clock, um, but you don't go yet. You have to use it. Did you want to add anything, Ca uh, Chief Joshi? No, I think uh, Captain McMullen covered uh, everything on the presentation. He did it well. Um, so, do we have any? Do we have any public speakers? Of course. Um, do we have any clarifying questions from the council before we go to our public speakers or speaker? Okay, let's have a public speaker. Jennifer Rakowski. Welcome, Speaker Rakowski. Hi, thank you. Um, I would like to voice my support for continued review of body-worn cameras and the contract with Trulio. I also want to recognize that this is new technology and that with new technology, um, it requires looking at where it can be improved. One key area that needs improvement is the analysis of interactions that include contact with members of the public who English is not the primary language being used. And I encourage both the chief and the city manager to work with Trulio to make sure that the review of public contact for our limited English-speaking um, neighbors and relatives and all of those contacts with the police have the same review for professionalism um, that the contact of our English-speaking residents have. Um, I also encourage um, a further um, development of the audio-video policy to expand beyond just the authorization of viewing by the supervisor to clarify expectations of staff response. I think that level of transparency is something that would help the community confidence. Um, and then finally, while I appreciate that a study was done, um, a study that is done by the company lacks the same integrity as a study that is done from a team of researchers, interdisciplinary, um, and with this technology, there is a great deal of interest from experts of the highest caliber to review this data. And I encourage the city to look into allowing access to the data and to our response from credible researchers of national um, uh, 
stature. I think it is would be a benefit to the city, a benefit to community confidence, and of national importance in um, ethics and policing. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. That was our only speaker. Okay, with that we close public comment on um, item 7C and we'll go to, uh, you know what, I will just lead because back in, was it May? Um, Chief Joshi and I were invited by the U.S. Conference of Mayors to speak at the mid-year meeting in Columbus, Ohio. And so we were part of a panel. Um, there was, well, the moderator was uh, Chief, um, well, Mayor, actually, Jane, uh, she's the mayor of Tampa. I'm going blank on her last name. Castor. Castor, Jane um, Castor, mayor of Tampa, Florida, but former police chief of the same city. And then we had the mayor of Fresno, who's also the former police chief of, of Fresno. I asked Chief Joshi if he wanted to run for mayor. He said no, but, you know, <laughs> you never know in the future. It just, you know, you can stay out late and everything. But anyway, what, um, it was really a pleasure to be able to discuss the work that this analytic software has been able to do and also freeing up the time of APD staff, in particular our officers. I think we hear a lot almost every meeting about community safety, about crimes that have happened. I don't think I have any residents who are saying, take officers off the street and stick them in front of a computer to just analyze hours and hours of um, data from body-worn camera footage till their eyes are crossed. I'm not, I'm not hearing that, and I don't think it's an efficient use of, t of time, but I like all of the uses that has been made of it. And I also, by the way, appreciate the changes that were made to the um, licensing agreement, what can be done with the footage that has to go, has to be approved by our city manager. Um, but to catch behavior, problematic behavior, before it magnifies is huge because we don't need to look too far out of our area to know there's some police departments in the Bay Area that have been in the headlines way too much with some, you know, reports of, of um, officer um, communications that just shock the conscience, quite frankly. And so I can't help but wonder if, A, if they'd had body-worn cameras, B, if the body-worn camera footage had been analyzed, could and you had the leadership in place that cared and wanted to make a difference. Could some of those situations have been turned around? But here in Alameda, California, as the city manager said, we have a very innovative chief who's trying to bring these new technologies into his department. He's got a great command staff that help, is helping him implement it. But it's not only catching the negative behavior that needs to be addressed and before it, it um, grows, but it's also catching that behavior that needs to be highlighted and called out and said, wow, that was great and just, you know, great job, that positive reinforcement. And something finally that's really important and should be to all of us are the mental health implications because we know that among our first responders, police and fire, there's a high rate of suicide. And so this an these analytics can actually catch um, interactions that can be very stressful for an officer, but also an officer's body language, the way they're responding, and so that somebody, a supervisor, can can check in with them. So I, I think this is amazing. I, you know, Chief Joshi and I talked about this in, in, um, in um, Columbus. 
Right now, Trulio is kind of the only game out there for doing the level of what you've been able to do. It's, we don't, you know, it's not that we just are gonna always have a sole source contract with Trulio, but I think they offer what we need. I think we've worked with them to get, um, to, to tailor the contract to our needs and our values in this city, so I am fully supportive of this proposal. I see Council Member Vela's hand up. Um, I'm, I'm gonna make a, a motion uh, to, um, to um, uh, approve and, and authorize um, but I, I also want to say that, you know, typically, first of all, there's a, a desperate need for this sort of um, tool um, and technology that is basically an, a, a personnel amplifier. Um, and so I think that, that that's a huge um, benefit to us, especially when we've been trying to recruit um, more officers uh, to actually do, do, the, do the patrolling and the work. Um, I will also say that this sort of technology tends to improve the more it's used. So the more people that use it, the more that we use it, the more that our, our um, supervising officers go in and kind of look at it and say, oh yeah, that is problematic, or no, that isn't problematic, and this is why, the better the technology gets. And so typically, um, technology that's like this that's been around from the beginning actually gets better over time. There might be newcomers that come in but they they really don't have the same if they don't have the same sort of basis for their algorithms and everything they don't tend to be as good. Um, so you know while there might be folks that we might consider moving forward, I do think that we want to look at like how many minutes they've that, that technology has processed and you know um, where issues have been found. Um, I, I do think that there is value in, in noting, you know, the differences that may happen with different language interactions and things like that. But I also think that looking at the technology and what it's looking at, it's also looking at how the officer is responding, right? And so, um, you know, that that should really remain the focus because regardless of kind of who or, or what the interaction is like, we really want to focus on the things that we can control, which is how our officers are behaving. Um, so um, with that, I you know, would like to make a motion to uh, authorize the agreement. Do I have a second? Councilmember Jensen seconds. Other comments, Council? Councilmember Harris Spencer. Well, I'd like to make a friendly amendment in regards to, uh, we had Jennifer Rakowski speak in regards to sharing our data with uh, other entities to be able to uh, review this, um, this work. I'm not seeing any takers for the friendly amendment, so it stands as made. Uh, I don't understand the, what do you mean by sharing? I, I mean, do we want to share or do we want to preclude sharing? The request was that, uh, th the discussion was that this uh, does not provide sufficient transparency or breadth to uh, actually be held up as a scholarly uh, review and that we should give access to researchers with expertise in AI, ethics, policing, and health. Uh, to be able to review these conclusions. So my, my concern with that is that 
we, we just asked for limitations in terms of how the information could be shared, and that's um, something that our city manager would have to review relative to that. Um, the psychometricians and the other folks that would do these sort of reviews um, can do them uh, with with requesting um, footage and, and um, data, and that request, I think, would have to go through the city manager and then be approved. So I think that language is already essentially in the contract um, and uh, would be subject to limitations put by the city manager and the city relative to its actual use because some psychometricians and, and um, uh, experts uh, you know, they'll typically sign an agreement saying we're not going to share this out to the members of the public. Um, we're going to use it for, for data and research purposes and then come up with our, our study. So there's a way to do that without actually um, having the data be, be fully um, exposed to, uh, to the public. So, um, and, and I think we were trying to address some of those privacy concerns. So I think it's addressed um, in, the, in the new language that we have actually. Okay, my questions will go to what third party has reviewed these uh, conclusions? on the case study. I'm sorry, can you repeat the question? Was there any third party that reviewed this case study? No. How can this be a best practice to put out this amount, this data and these conclusions without a third party reviewing them? Uh, can I just, Mayor, may sure. I jump in? I just wanna, yeah, I don't know if you would consider it a third party, but the police department did review their own use of force records and were able to corroborate us, um, uh, you know, whereas Trulio looks at language, the police department actually looks at incidents and they were able to corroborate some of the same trends. So um, I do want to say that we have looked at our own data ourselves outside of the Trulio to be able to corroborate some of those trends. I would also like to say that if we are approached by a, organization that's one I mean, we want this technology and the benefits from it to be used as far and wide as we can and so we are i'm open to having those conversations with a university or someone but as um, council member vela said i would really want to look carefully since the data is sensitive at, at who was doing it what was their intent what were the benefits and what are those larger academic benefits that could be could be um benefit you know could be realized from that use, um, but I'm definitely open in trying to have these benefits of our experience be used, you know, nationwide. And uh, Councilmember Vela? So again, I, I, if, if there's a, if it seems like there's a separate request to have a third party validated study, um, I also heard the same speaker say that she supported authorization and moving forward with this. We, there, Studies are, are happening all the time. I think we've heard a commitment to try to participate in a study if and where it's uh, appropriate. Um, but at this time, I, nothing is agendized to approve um, funding a study. And so I, 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 I want to stick to what's agendized here tonight. Thank you. Um, Councilmember Harris Spencer, back All right, to you. so I had asked the question. Uh, has there been a third party validation of these numbers? Uh, I'd like to, uh, city manager, you weighed in. Uh, I don't believe uh, just having officers review part is considered a third party val a study to validate. So can you confirm whether or not there has been a third party that reviewed all of this data and came up with these conclusions, for instance, a 36% decrease in use of force, 30% decrease in unprofessional officer language, uh, et cetera? 
So I'm going to... Chief Joshi, please. Oh, yeah. yeah so uh, I, I have the same response. There was not a third party. Uh, we did, as a department, look at the information, and we found we were able to corroborate the same trends. I appreciate that answer doesn't go to my question. I'm asking the city manager, can you confirm whether or not there's been a third party that has validated these numbers, looked at all the information, and came up with this 36%, et cetera? No. Thank you. So I did a referral back in April, 7, April 17, 2023. At that time, I have asked Trulio, I would like to see all of the data that supports these conclusions. I would like to see specific examples of the statements that allegedly our officers made. For instance, if you read the report, it'll say our officers said things like, or examples, it's actually examples that, uh, such as, I will kill you. That, that's in the report. And then I ask, how many times did our officers actually say that? Oh, well, that's just an example. So I have yet to receive any information that confirms any of these statements. I am very concerned that our police are being used by a company that has been unable to validate any of these conclusions. I do not think it is appropriate for our city to be using our reputation to hawk a product that cannot be validated. I have, and, and in fact, what happened, when it came to council, I did support it. It was moving forward with the request to be able to use them to move forward and look at uh, body-worn camera footage moving forward. That's not what happened. The case study, if you read the case study, it actually says that it compares uh, first half of 2021 with the first half of 2022. However, when we entered into this, the only data that would have been 100% would have been the first half of 2022, because if we were honoring our retention policy, we would have deleted many files uh, by, from, from prior, from the first half of 2021. And that's actually a problem, because you cannot do an analysis and look at, it's not, this is, this is wrong, uh, this was done wrong. It's either it's actually both. It should have been. We should have had a third-party analysis. Uh, we, if we are honoring our third, our uh, retention policy, which I actually think we are, then the um, um, uh, comments of how Trulio did this is wrong. Their description is wrong. These. So, uh, percentages I think are actually outrageous and I think it's very sad that our city is being used to hawk a product that we've not had that ha no, everyone will say it there's been no third-party verification um, I do think it is appropriate when we have the speakers say point out these concerns these are legitimate concerns because it suggests and we have had many things that have occurred during this time that could very well have impacted these numbers. Now, I personally don't think we've had a 36% decrease in use of force, unless maybe we had two incidents and now we're at one, or three and now we're at one, something like that, uh, as opposed to what someone might read when they read these, these numbers. Uh, so I'm, you know, I continue to be disappointed that we're involved with um, the selling of a product that cannot be verified. Uh, however, other departments have, in fact, uh, canceled their contracts, uh, which I actually think, uh, until we know that this is this is not a best practice, 
it's not a best practice because it can't be verified. Best practices are actually based on something that can be verified as opposed to selling a product that has not been verified. Um, so other points that I wanted to point out, um, okay, you can't confirm the results. I have tried repeatedly to get the data, the underlying data. I have never received it. I'm very sad that I actually have been unsuccessful in getting the information. I think they're fair requests. When someone puts out a number that says that is actually shared with the world, that we've had a 36% decrease in use of force, I think we should be able to know what are the statements that were made by our officers that support those com that percentage. I have never received any specific comments that have been attached to our officers. I actually strongly disagree that our officers, uh, this suggests we've had a dramatic third percent reduction in use of force. That actually to me suggests that we had had a very high number before. I don't think it's accurate. I don't think, and in fact, use of force, this is an interesting thing too because sometimes it is actually appropriate to use force and this uh, program does not distinguish between an appropriate use of language that could be uh, uh, categorized as use of force versus when in fact an officer is saying something that is uh, not appropriate. But to suggest, uh, so to me, uh, so, so something that's very, very important that we all care about, um, trying to improve policing is being um, uh, not taken seriously by this company, and I think we're getting sucked into something that has, as, as you all said, there's been no verification. But I think uh, we never authorized this case study. It exceeded uh, council's authority, and uh, I think it's unfortunate that I continue to be unsuccessful at getting anyone to acknowledge, um, you know, no one, no one can come up with specific statements. Uh, but more importantly, our good name should not be used to hawk a product that cannot be verified. So I will not be supporting this. I think it's very unfortunate, thank you. Thank you, I'm gonna make a comment and then I'm gonna call in the city manager. Part of the council rules of conduct include not disparaging staff members. So we come kind of close to the line, in my opinion, when we say I don't really believe we've seen a 36% decrease in use of force. That suggests to me that someone is being accused of um, falsification, and I find that troubling. But right now, I'm going to call. Oh, I'd like to respond on, then. In just a minute, you will. Um, right now, I'm going to call on the city manager because um, to the to the question that was repeated numerous times about uh, do we verify results, um, I'm going to ask uh, City Manager Jennifer Ott to weigh in, please. Yeah, I just want to be really clear. We do verify the results through human review and assessment. That is what this tool is used for and why we see so much benefit in it. When things are flagged, supervisors, a human being then goes and looks at that video, that video and corroborates and verifies the data and the audio that's been flagged to be able to then performance manage in both a positive or constructive way. So I just want to be clear, that is the like primary way, way we corroborate the data. If every time a supervisor were going to a flagged data and it was wrong and they were finding mistakes, I guarantee you that Chief Joshi would not be before you um, recommending this product. The second thing is that the, the 
police department went and did their own analysis of use of force, not just use of force incidents, not just language or other things, and found that there was a similar trend. So we have corroborated both through human assessment and our own data analysis to confirm that we think this is a product that's viable, that can continue to help us be very efficient with our resources and help improve performance management in the police department. So I just want to go on the record with that because I just want to make that really, really clear in terms of how we're using this. Thank you. I'm going to call on Councilmember Vela and then back to Councilmember Harry Spencer if you wish. So I just, you know, I think there's this critique of like what's the best practice and the best practice is not to collect a bunch of footage and then have nobody review it. That is actually the antithesis, I think, of what we want to see. This is a screener. It's not an actual, it's not doing the hard review. The, the rev it's screening and then flagging and then a human comes in and reviews so that are, we are making an efficient use of our staff, our public safety staff, our police staff time um, to be as efficient as possible where it's catching those, um, those uh, flagged incidents. I think if there's, I'm hearing that there's a request to not, you know, as we're looking, moving forward and collecting this data to not just provide percentages, but to provide the percentages with the, with the, um, the raw data and the, the raw numbers. Um, you know, I, I make that uh, notation in, in the request to staff as, as this is coming back to us in various updates in the future uh, to give both the percentage and, and the, um, the raw data relative to that. Um, but you know, I, I made a motion. I, I would like to see us authorize this because if we don't, then we're losing an opportunity to actually uh, screen the interactions that are happening. Okay. So we've had a motion. It's been seconded. Any further comment? I want to make Yes, Councilmember Thank you. Um, I appreciate all the input, and I uh, obviously wasn't here when this came before the council before. But um, I, honestly, I just want to say that I have full confidence in um, the chief and in uh, Captain that you have identified this product as being something that will make you make our force more effective and also give you tools to provide support. So I definitely will support the the motion. Well, I just want to briefly say I think the question for me is, you know, to have a tool that improves the way in which our police interacts with um, the public um, or to not have such a tool. Um, and I think it is better to have uh, that kind of a tool. Uh, I think uh, the questions that uh, Councilmember Herrera Spencer is raising about, you know, making sure that we validate um, claims is, is important. Um, but you know, I weigh that. Um, I, I weigh that um, analytic um, um, uh, imperative against the practicalities of having a tool, and I kind of land on the side of, well, I think it's more important right now just to have the tool. Hey, maybe three years down the line, sorry, Trulio, maybe we junk you guys and, and get someone else. But one way or another, we're going to have a we're going to have a tool. We're going to need a tool, and we've got to start somewhere. So. I'd like to make a friendly amendment that the case study be removed from Trulio's website and that our city APD name not be used to sell their unverifiable product. Comment. Council, uh, Vice Mayor Basebach. Yeah, you know, um, I, I think several months ago there was like some kind of news article on television uh, where um, the city of Alameda's use of this kind of tool um, was touted, and at that in that article, maybe there was reference to some reduction in numbers. Um, I believe I saw the the article. I, I actually kind of liked it. <laughs> I thought it was kind of 
touting the city of Alameda, um, you know, that, that we were um, making an effort to improve the way in which, um, you know, we uh, interact with the public by levering technology like, so, so I, I think in this case, Councilmember Harrison, I hear what you're saying, um, but, you know, I, I was actually fine with the um, news article that I saw. I agree with the Vice Mayor. I think that really communities would be better off if more departments were using body-worn cameras and then analyzing that data and analyzing it with analytic software such as what Trulio provides. So I, I think that it is okay to have us out there um, as an example. Uh, I think it's a, it's a positive police practice and I think it goes to making policing, especially in some very fraught situations, just um, better for everyone involved. Okay, we've had a motion. It's been seconded. All those in favor? Sorry, I'd like to comment. Of course. Uh, so I do not think we're doing a service helping policing in the country or anywhere else when we are uh, attaching our name to any study that cannot be verified. And I will continue to request the data that I've been requesting since I believe April of 2023. Uh, what are the statements that support these percentages? And, out of, and what are the numbers? And I think all of that should have been provided months ago. Thank you. All right, all those in favor, signify by stating aye. Aye. Aye, opposed? The, no way. The motion passes four to one. Thank you so much, Chief Joshi, Captain McMillan, nice to see you again. And we will move on to item seven. D. D. Uh, Madam Clerk, would you um, please introduce that item? And um, Ms. Wilder, it's me. This is your, it's you. It's it's, that's right, that's <laughs> adoption. Right. Yeah, introduce, introduce yourself if you okay. would, please. <laughs> adoption of resolution amending resolution numbers 15382, 15697, 15766, 15772, and 15875 to amend the rules of order governing city council meetings concerning the consent calendar, speaking times for the public, and reviewing, changing, or rescinding prior council actions. Um, so basically, this is just a proposal. Uh, to your current rules of order. Um, it's basically making speaking times consistent across every section instead of having different sections that have different speaking times, which sometimes confuses members of the public. And then it's trying to um, propose a new process for the consent calendar where members of the council can pull consent items for a full discussion, and then that item would go to the end of the regular agenda or council members could now take um, three minutes of time to um, make, ask brief questions or make brief comments on any item on the consent calendar without pulling it. Um, members of the public would still be able to um, address those items that the council members just ask questions or um, you know, briefly comment on as one, you know, make one public comment on the entire consent calendar. Uh, the last uh, part of this that's being clarified is um, cleaning up, or basically a lot of people have been confused about the city's practice over matters returning, and so we're just putting into the, the policy uh, exactly what the practice is and how the city does it, just to make it clearer for the members of the public. Uh, so those three proposals were coming just to try and um, you know, improve and make things clearer for the public and uh, try a new process on the consent calendar to see if we can uh, expeditiously get through. And I think I heard that it was tried in another yes. city successfully. Yes, that's yeah. true. 
it was a brainstorm idea from a, a prior city where the assistant city manager used to work. Yeah. So. All right, and Madam Clerk, do we have any public comment on this item? Uh, we do. Shelby Sheehan. Okay. Uh, if it's okay with council, we'll take public comment, and then we'll come back to council. Okay, let's do it. Uh, welcome, Speaker Sheehan. Well, I would prefer that if it's the regular way to do it, if we hear from council for clarifying questions before the public comments, because sometimes that informs public comments. Uh, okay, we could freeze the timer. Was any clarifying questions, council? Uh, none. Okay, back to you, Speaker Shelby. All right. Sheehan. Uh, am I unmuted still? Yes, oh, yes, we can hear you. Okay, thank you. Well, as you saw in the comments, the uh, League of Women Voters opposed this um, for reasons that they um, listed. And um, I just think, first of all, this should have been a public hearing because it affects the public, so I don't know why it's not a public hearing. Uh, I don't know where it's coming from. You, the explanation that was provided tonight was nonsense to me. And in agreement with the... Um, the League of Women Voters, to me, it appears to, this item appears to further impede public participation in the decision-making process. And the only thing you've heard is that the public wants more time. They want council to stop using loopholes for pet projects to skirt the process, like the things we saw tonight. And now this is an attempt, in my opinion, to further exclude public input. So. Council needs to be reminded they're public servants who are supposed to act in the public interest, and this item is not in the public interest. Uh, I still expect a four-to-one approval, as is the standard on this council, but as I said before, uh, public wants more transparency and responsiveness. Um, they want them to stop using the consent calendar to squash public debate. This one will, will effectively squash public debate. And we want the council to stop grandstanding and inserting Brown Act prohibited personal opinions into the public debate like we saw so many times today. And the censuring of uh, council member Spencer was completely inappropriate. Um, I also heard city council, uh, city officials say the public has ample time to provide input on agenda items. But the first time the public sees agenda items is when it comes on the regular calendar. And our comments are before uh, um, a lot of the things that raise questions. And then the next time we see it, is on the consent calendar. So no, we don't have ample time to participate. As a matter of fact, it's, we're prevented from it. And we never get answers to the questions that we ask, and including my questions of legality. You're passing things that are totally illegal. Uh, you know, it's, it's unbelievable what you're doing here. This is not a public process. It's not in the public interest. And um, we also saw Council Member Vela get away with an unopposed remark about transparency, even though staff admitted they didn't even attempt the minimum of contacting the ballot interested parties ahead of time. And instead, the, the food bank lease was offered in a secret sweet, sweetheart deal to an insider. So it doesn't make any sense. You guys are totally circumventing the process. It was also inappropriate for Member Vela to comment on Member Spencer's photos. The constant derogatory comments or uh, toward people that are in opposition are just completely uh, offensive. So these these examples hamper the objective and well-informed public Thank process. Thank you. And our next speaker? Todd Hickman. Welcome, Speaker Hickman. Yes, well, that was well said by the previous speaker. Um, the council has heard for quite a while now that using the consent calendar to hide agenda items 
um, is a very bad thing for public and public participation. Um, the people's right, and again, this is the people's forum. So by engaging these activities, you are effectively stealing the public's rights to speak um, and to influence the process. So uh, again, I won't repeat all those comments that were just said, but those were all very valid comments that the council really should think about answering. Um, instead of continuing to hide behind processes and then let continuous Brown Act violations happen. Um, you know, it's really a shame when I see such a talented staff and they're so hampered by a dysfunctional council and this constant four to one vote. You, you do know um, that that usually means that one voter is correct and eventually that mindset and those concepts will prevail. So again, it's very unfortunate to see this four to one majority um, continue to try and hamper the people's voice and steal our time. Um, I'm gonna go with the League of Women Voters on this one. They called it out very well um, in their letter. Um, also the other Alameda um, Citizens Group, they called it out very well in that, their letter. So um, again, you should be going the other direction instead of continuing to attempt to steal time and thwart the process and hide agenda items in the consent calendar, we should be going the other direction. Um, it, it's ridiculous that we continually um, have to have these items pulled, thank, thank goodness to, um, to, to uh, you know, the council member, the one lone council member that does that. But again, if they're that important to be pulled and talked about by the council, and yet the citizens get no time to speak on that. So it, it is effectively an agenda item hidden in the consent calendar. However, the public does not get to participate even when it's called out and pulled. Um, there is some benefit by that process, but without the public's participation, it completely disenfranchises the public from their right to speak and their right to comment. So what we're really talking here is about the process, the procedure, the Brown Act, just following, following the laws on this. And it just appears that, that this four to one majority is continually trying to take more and more from the public and thwart our time, thwart our right to speak and, and disenfranchise us. And, and some of the, um, well, just the treatment too of some of the speakers tonight, it was very, um, well, it was disheartening that, that this is allowed to continue. Our next speaker. Uh, that was our last speaker. Okay, with that, we will close public comment on item 7D. And I do have a clarifying question. Um, Count, uh, Madam Clerk, we heard some reference to the League of Women Voters letter correspondence. I actually read it a couple times and was actually a little confused by it myself. Can you help us put that in perspective? Yes, so um, basically the council members would have to announce which items they want to pull up first because that would be pulled for a full discussion allowing public comment and we'd have to know those items so that those members of the public could know that they can speak later instead of on the entire consent calendar. So it is opening it up for the public to participate in that discussion rather than commenting just once on the entire consent calendar. So the public could potentially get to comment on that pulled item and then still get to comment once again on the entire consent calendar. So it's actually an offering and it is doing exactly what the League of Women Voters is asking. That's what the proposal is and it's allowing the public to, to speak on that item. Thank you for that clarification. Councilmember Vela. 
So I, I'm going to correct the record because I don't remember or recall ever commenting on, yeah. on photos. And so um, rather than just let uh, a mistruth stand out there um, based off of some sort of editorial that is uh, not based in reality, I want to correct the record. Um, also, uh, you know, I want to clarify, the city attorney is, is not, in fact, public counsel. The city attorney's client is the city itself. Uh, not not even any singular council member, but the the, the entity of the city, um, and so it would be inappropriate for the city attorney to be providing public council representation or advice. Um, I suggest if if folks are looking for for counsel, they either secure their own legal counsel um, uh, or seek uh, public counsel. Um, you know, additionally, um, we have a limited period of time for council deliberation. It's actually, we can't talk to a majority um, on this council. Um, and with five members, it means that, that actually, in many cases, we don't talk to each other um, at all before our, our you know, our, the, the public conversations that happen at our meetings. Um, it is the people's time, and we are doing the people's business. And, and in many cases, that involves deliberating, and I think in fact, tonight we've seen the deliberation where we've had conversation and discussion and kind of move forward um, in ways that maybe, you know, I think in many ways that have been informed by some of the comments um, and questions of our colleagues up here. Um, there is, uh, in some jurisdictions, even less time uh, for public to weigh in. In, in. I would say in many jurisdictions, they don't have the same uh, posting requirements in advance. Um, <laughs> <laughs> That's when council gets to see the agenda items that are available to the public. That's um, when we get to see the, the staff reports and, and everything that gets attached. Um, just like many of, of uh, my colleagues up here, we ask, uh, I ask a lot of questions of staff. Uh, if I need clarification, try to read um, uh, all of the, the exhibits and um, uh, uh, items uh, in full that are uh, posted go back to staff with, with questions and try to get answers actually ahead so that I'm not using up all of my minutes um, asking questions and getting information that would be available before the meeting. And that is something that's available to members of the public too. They can reach out to us, many of you do, um, in emails or ask for meetings and um, ahead of meetings. And uh, I think that that uh, helps us in terms of formulating um, our opinions ahead of uh, making a, a vote at the meeting. Um, and the consent calendar, there's there's lots being said about the consent calendar that, that we have rules in terms of what qualifies to just go on consent uh, without being put on the regular agenda. And in fact, many items um, that are on consent, uh, it's their second reading and they've already been on the regular agenda, which means that there's two opportunities for, for public um, at a minimum for those items. So. Um, you know, and I, I thank the city clerk for uh, clarifying uh, what this item does. I, I think there was some confusion where folks were asking for exactly what this does. Uh, and for that reason, um, I, I will be supporting this resolution tonight. Thank you. Other comments, questions, council, motions, or second, whatever. We got one more item and we've wanna, got 16 I, I also minutes. appreciate the, 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 this and I um, wanted to, to um, really agree that I think um, that the public commenters will actually benefit from this uh, change. And I um, I actually was looking at um, the where Farish 
where free speech began, the city of Berkeley, and they, their rules are even tighter than ours, and they actually required that three members of the city council must vote to, uh, to take something off of the, the consent calendar. So we, are, uh, we allow for anyone to pull something from the consent calendar, and I appreciate this um, opportunity, the, the change, so that I can make a, either a comment or um, get some clarification about something without having to pull it and having to have staff wait until the item is um, brought up. So I'm gonna support this, but I also wanna ask um, for, uh, I'll make a motion right now, and I'm gonna um, make a motion in support, but I also wanna support the, the item and ask that it be done for a um, six month trial period and then come back to council for approved for reauthorization. So we can get some input about how it's, how it's doing, how this is um, working with, uh, with our, in full transparency with our, our um, constituents. I, I'm gonna second, um, but I just wanna clarify council member Jensen that this would go for six months and then there would be time for a staff report and for Absolutely. it to get agendized and yeah. then in the, in the, and still be done, still be followed during that period of time so that we're not actually doing this for three months no. or two after months. After six months okay. there would be, uh, and not to stop it, but after six months the city clerk and other staff would do a, um, would provide some data and regarding the implementation and um, we could then hear from, when that report's provided, we could hear again from the public. Thank you. Um, I would appreciate if we could take a quick vote on this because we still have the swimming pool lease and we had so many commenters and I know they'd appreciate if we voted on that tonight. Council Member Harry Spencer. Thank you, Mayor. Uh, so I would like to speak on the item. Uh, we used to have rules such that when someone pulled an item from consent, it could actually be a member of the public or a council member, then it would be treated like a regular agenda item, such that instead of giving the public uh, two minutes to speak on the entire consent calendar, that they would then be able to speak just like a, a regular item. So um, I would like clarification in regards to, is that what's being proposed, that we go back to what we used to have? Close. Um, the members of the public would be able to speak on the polled items. That part is returning, um, but it's still the council who polls the items now. But would they be able to speak for the entire, um, what, I, what I think is now two minutes? Uh, how much time does the public get on regular items? So the, it would, that, that's one thing. It would make every public comment uniform across all items under this new um, section. So the, it would be uniform with consent calendar items, public, uh, regular agenda items, oral communications, it would be consistent. But so it would be, you know, done consistently across every type of item. Okay, well the regular agenda item currently says the first six members get up to three minutes. Would that stay the same? Oh no, the, there's also a change to, to, yeah, to lower it to five, up to five. Uh, so instead of allowing the first six, it would be the first five up get to five. up to three minutes? Yes. Okay, so, um, uh, and that, so, okay, and we're not, so if I pull an item then from consent and I put it on the public, then myself, uh, I currently get a different time amount. I get like five minutes on consent, but I get nine minutes on regular. So as a member of the council, would, is that, would, would that also change? No, that would remain the same. So when we pull an item, why would it be treated differently for a member of the public than a member of council? 
I think we were trying to honor that council tried to differentiate between speaking times for the consent calendar and regular agenda items, and I wasn't trying to uh, propose something that, you know, uh, changed that practice. I was just trying to make a simpler, cleaner method to allow council comments on items and to make public comment uniform. Okay, well, was we the effort. Okay, we also received comments in regards to, uh, as a member of the public, they have to prepare two speeches. They don't know if they're going to get two minutes or three minutes because until that night. I, I would note that typically what I've observed is a lot of members of the public are used to the two minutes now, and sometimes when we're up to the three minutes, they don't even take the full three minutes anymore, but that's just what I've observed. I haven't really done an in-depth study of it, but... I think they've been good at adjusting down to the two minutes is what I've. Well, we received comments from the league as well as the Alameda Citizens Task Force in regards to this issue. And we're doing exactly what they're asking, except for the, there's a slight difference with the Alameda Citizens Task Force, but, but what the league proposed is exactly what this is doing. Okay, so in regards to the one proposal was to do allow all speakers two and a half minutes versus three and then two. Uh, why isn't that being recommended? Well, that, that came up after the fact, and that was ACT's you know, different proposal, but the other part that they suggested about having them be able to speak on the item is what is being proposed. Okay, and then if an item gets pulled, it's my understanding it would then go to the back of all of the regular items? Yes. And how would council vote to change that? Would we have to have four votes yes. to change that? Uh, okay, so why are we doing that? Because we were trying to, the, the not spending so much time on the consent calendar to get to regular items was kind of the goal of, you know, where we were trying to move with this or what I was trying to facilitate. So ACT had commented that quite often uh, these items that are put on uh, consent actually are a priority in regards to the second reading. But that too would go to the back of the calendar then if I pull it? Uh, let me ask the city manager, do you really think that, that you're recommending that? City manager, I, um, did you hear the question? You can unmute. You are unmuted. No, please tell me the question again. Okay, so we received, uh, my understanding the policy that's being uh, recommended is that uh, if I pull an item from consent or anyone does, any council members that it then goes to the to the bottom of the calendar, unless there's four council members that then, um, I, and I don't know where it would go if four council members want to override that. Do you know where it would go, or do you recommend that? Because the, the issue raised by ACT was that quite often uh, these items are second reading, or somehow have some time significance. I mean, I guess if the council overrides it. Wouldn't, could we just do it the way we do it now and just have it be heard after the remainder of the consent is approved? Just do it the way we do it now? Is that... Cause I'm, you're just basically, I'm just asking what's your recommendation? I mean, that would be my recommendation is if you override it, we'll just do it the way we do it now. All right, thank you. Um, but I'm, I mean, I'm open to the city clerk, and I know Assistant City Manager Woldridge was involved in this. So if there's other, I mean, that that was my that was my understanding. Okay, um, I also would like uh, 
So currently we offer two minutes to the public speakers for all of the consent items. Tonight we had 10 items on consent. So the public speakers only had two minutes less than, I mean, it's so many seconds for all the items uh, to speak. And my understanding is that, um, uh, you know, in the past, they would get more time, uh, three, I think it was three minutes for all of the items, but so I do want clarification. So if I pull these items, then for every item I pull, then the public gets uh, two minutes per item as opposed to two minutes total. That is correct. And it takes the one council member then to pull it. That's, that's what you're offering. Okay. Okay, so, okay. thank okay. you. Good. All right. Did we have a motion um, uh, made yes. by yeah, Councilmember Jensen, seconded by um, seconded by Councilmember Vela? Okay. I'm sorry. I have another question after you. Um, I have a comment. Okay. Um, and I will just tell you that after this is over, um, I am going to make a motion for us to go just a little bit later to hear the pool item. That one should be fairly straightforward because. We have an awful lot of families that have written in and so wanting this to be done. So um, go ahead, speak as long as you'd like. Vice Mayor. Uh, thank you. Um, I'm actually fine with a status quo. And if, um, if, if there's too many items under the status quo that are being pulled, you know, we always have the option of exercising, rearranging them. I think the difference now is what's being proposed, it's more of a, um, you know, it's more streamlined as to how that happens. I don't know. I'm, I'm fine with the status quo. Well, as long as we're commenting, I'm not. I'm seeing it um, be um, abused. I'm seeing items that are pulled to record a no vote, but to just, you know, put a lot of other things into the record at the expense of items. We had, I don't know how many speakers, well, how many people in the audience, they didn't all speak, but we probably had two dozen speakers on the airport issue, and we didn't start till, you know, after eight o'clock. And so, um, that, and anyway, I think I, that's fine. We all have our different opinions. Let's take a vote. We've had a motion. It's been seconded. All those in favor, I'm please sorry, say I had asked to be aye. able to make. I still have time. I'd like to continue my comments. I I never do quite know when you're done. So um, you go ahead and talk for as long as you'd like. Uh, well, as long as it's not more than five minutes and 22 seconds, Council uh, Herrera Spencer. All right. So yours. so I wanted to know. So uh, currently, when a council member pulls an item and puts it on consent then as far as I know, uh, council cannot then come around and vote to put it back on consent. Is that w what's being proposed that we continue, if a, any council member pulls an item, it does go on consent. There, there's no way to override that by council. I, I don't think that's true because the rules of order have that you can, one item, one member can pull, but council could by four votes override that and yeah. it would be overriding the rules. And that's not a change. Okay, and I, uh, uh, in regards to the mayor's comments of the abuse of pulling items, I think that that uh, could actually violate our code of uh, whatever the code is that keeps being used against me. 
I, when I pull an item from consent, I do it because I have uh, listened to the public and I have questions or I have questions myself. I do believe that we put many more items on consent uh, than is appropriate. Uh, and um, I, I do not think that every item that's been put on consent is routine and customary. Uh, and I just want to share for the public knows that uh, council, other than the mayor, has no input in on the agenda. We do not have any input on what's put on consent versus a regular item uh, at all. We see the agenda come out like everyone else in the public. Uh, so I, I do believe that items um, have been placed on consent that are not appropriate, that the community actually cares about, and that I have questions. Thank you. Anything further, Council? Where's Tracy? Uh, Council Member Jensen. Oh, here she is. Here she is. There she is. Okay, now you're Okay, let me try it one more time. Um, we've had a motion. It's been seconded. All in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Opposed? Opposed. No. The motion passes three to two. Thank you. Okay, now what I'm going to ask for, Council, is a motion to go just to the end of the next item to, that we're going to hear. We will finish 7B and we will call it a night. But I really, you know how many correspondences so we had. Okay, we've had a motion by Council Member Vela, seconded by Vice Mayor Daysock. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 Opposed? Aye. Motion passes five to nothing. Aye. All right, but yeah, so, we're going to have a recusal. I, yeah, I know that there's 28 people that are, are tuning in. Um, this is Councilmember Vela. I am recusing because I am a member of the Alameda Pool Association. My family and I are members, so I'm unable to vote on this item. So, night, night. Good night. All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Oh, no, we won't see you tomorrow. It's almost tomorrow, but <laughs> leave before it is. All right, Madam Clerk, could you um, introduce item 7B for us, please? Absolutely. Introduction of ordinance authorizing the city manager to execute a lease agreement for four years and 11 months with the Alameda Swimming Pool Association for operation and maintenance of the pools at Franklin Park and Lincoln Park and adoption of resolution amending the Recreation and Park Department fiscal year 23-24 and 24-25 budgets uh, to appropriate 15000 in each fiscal year for reimbursement to the Alameda Swimming Pool Association for lifeguard training certification and financial assistance. <laughs> I'm so sorry. I got to read the sequel language too. This yes. lease agreement is exempt from the Environmental Review under the California Environmental Quality Act pursuant to sequel guidelines section 15061B3, common sense exception, and 15301, class one exemption. All right, and so is that you, Ms. Wooldridge? That is. Assistant City Manager, Acting City Manager, Amy Wooldridge, take it away. Yes, thank you. Um, so next slide, please. Uh, so uh, yes, I'm Amy Wooldridge, Assistant City Manager. I'm, I'm presenting this to you um, because I, as previously Recreation and Parks Director, I took these negotiations um, to where they're at now for the last two years. So to give you a little bit of background, um, we are talking about the pools located at Lincoln Park and Franklin Park, respectively. The land was provided by the city in 1959, and uh, the Alameda Swimming Pool Association, ASPA, built those facilities and have operated and maintained them since then. Uh, the city does not generate revenue from this uh, existing lease, um, but it is the city is reimbursed for the water utility costs. Uh, so there's no net cost for this lease. 
after extensive negotiations with ASPA, the lease before City Council tonight is approved by the ASPA board and is a significant uh, improvement from the existing lease terms and generally meets the previous council direction to increase equity and public access, especially for those who can't afford it, ensures certified lifeguards on deck, increases marketing, continues their on long long going uh, kinder swim and making uh, operational hours accessible. Next slide, please. Uh, so for some background, I'm, as these pools really do play an important role in what I call the continuum of aquatic opportunities in Alameda, and that's the spectrum of aquatics here in Alameda. They're a small, com very community-based program, volunteer-based program, um, as opposed to the private clubs that people can access, and also as opposed to um, the city-run aquatic pro programs provided by the Recreation Parks Department, which provide a large number of activities and opportunities for thousands of people annually, so it has less of that you know, small community-based feel as, as ASPA has, but instead provides uh, to a, a large segment of our, our population. Um, for many years, uh, in addition, as I mentioned, ASPA's offered the free Kinder Swim and Senior Sim Swim to open to everyone in the community. Next slide, please. Uh, so, as I mentioned, these terms are approved by their board of directors um, and are an improvement from, for the broader Alameda community. Uh, next slide, please. So jumping into the lease agreement terms, um, it is four years, 11 months um, due to the Surplus Lands Act. Um, this is a 59-month <laughs> agreement. Um, rent and utilities has not changed from the, the previous uh, lease. There's no rent and the, they would be continue to reimburse the city for all water utility costs. Um, in terms of the facilities, the city would, uh, it would require the city to approve any um, alterations, improvements to the facility over $50,000. Um, and then ASPA will continue to be responsible for all maintenance and operations. Um, it also in regards to the facility, the Alameda County Health Department um, conducts site visits for facility compliance and the city will be able to access those reports upon request. Uh, we also ask them to increase their liability insurance to $4 million per occurrence given that lawsuits uh, for pools can be quite expensive. Next slide, please. Additionally, under access, access and equity, uh, they are providing 400 vouchers uh, for non-members uh, annually, and each of those vouchers is good for family swim times for up to four people in the household with at least one adult, so it could be an adult and three kids. Um, air, what will happen? Assistant City Manager, I just want, you said 400, but I just want to make, did you mean 100 vouchers? Oh, I'm sorry. I said 400. Thank you. Oh, it's a hundred. It's a hundred vouchers for four people for up to four people for each voucher, um, which would be up to 400 people total. Um, the process would be the ARPD would receive the vouchers, those hundred vouchers annually, and would distribute to local ARPD would distribute to local organizations to hand out to their constituents, such as the Housing Authority, Boys and Girls Club, Head Start, Alameda Point Collaborative. Um, ASPA would also provide at least three swim sessions uh, annually to various uh, Alameda nonprofit organizations, as approved by the city. Um, additionally, financial assistance um, is is required and this approval tonight includes city funding in the amount of $5,000 per year for this two-year budget um, to provide this assistance and then ASPA would be required to provide backup documentation for that financial assistance. 
Uh, also marketing reports, this requires an, now an annual report, including the number of members, number of non-member participants, um, number of people who requested membership, and the number who were accepted or denied, as well as a complaint list that's reviewed quarterly with the city, um, and then city staff and ASPA would collaborate to resolve where possible. Um, and that complaint process could be done by email as well as um, through the city website portal. Um, and the city would, through ARPD, would um, really help to market uh, Aspen, and so they need to give the city that information, what their programs are, how can you become a member, um, things like that would be on, directly on the city website. Next slide, please. Uh, as I mentioned, they uh, will continue their Kinder Swim, uh, which is free for all non-members. Um, for members and non-members, um, and they need to provide it for at least 120 children annually. They do offer it twice a year um, with the goal to serve at least 30 at each site twice a year. Um, they will continue to provide senior swim for folks 50 plus and people with disabilities. Um, and this puts, uh, in terms of lifeguards, that is an existing term that they have not met in their current lease. However, this now has very uh, specific um, implementation schedule, which they have already started um, for January 1st, 2023, to have um, uh, lifeguards for kinder swim and youth swimming. And I'm not going to go through all of it, but what we really did is prioritized the lifeguard coverage for higher risk activities first. And then by spring 2025, um, they would have lifeguards on deck for all uses of their pools. Um, part of the, the funding tonight is for the city to fund 10,000 annually just for the first two years, and that's really to help them fund their um, lifeguard certifications, okay. specifically to do train the trainer so they become, become self-sufficient, so they can have um, long-standing volunteers with the Swimming Pool Association um, become certified trainers to then train up, then ongoing they can train their guards, at, uh, new guards at no cost. Uh, next slide, please. So in terms of next step, this lease does require four votes for approval. Um, if not approved, uh, Swimming Pool Association would continue on a month-to-month -month on their existing agreement terms uh, unless a council, this uh, came back to council and a council majority could approve to terminate their existing lease. If council approved terminating their existing lease, um, you have before you options that staff has identified. One would be to identify another operator. Staff feels that's very unlikely given the condition and constraints of the site. Um, the city could, oper could operate the pools. It's also not recommended by staff given site constraints such as parking um, and given constraints of staff, time and resources. Um, staff has uh, expanded, as you know, our pools, our aquatic programs um, tenfold and in recent years and is also very focused on designing and constructing and operating the city aquatic center. Um, the last option, which I think is definitely not recommended, um, but is an option is to demolish both of the facilities and conduct a public engagement process to determine how those park areas should be programmed. That would require significant funding um, that's not identified um, to both demolish, design, and construct any new park improvements. So last slide, uh, our staff recommendation, um, as mentioned originally, is to uh, approve the leases presented. Um, that lease is approved by their board of direct directors um, and presents a significant improvement for the broader Alameda community and the points uh, raised by council and directed by council in previous meetings. And that concludes my report.
Thank you so much, Ms. Woldridge. And I want to compliment you on your perseverance over these last, how many years? Two plus. Two plus years. And also I want to commend the ASPA board because I know it was, uh, it was a long um, negotiation, but you just kept working at it both sides, and I'm, I'm very pleased with what's um, come out of it. So um, thank you for that report. Council um, colleagues, any clarifying question before we go to public comment? I wanted to clarify in regards to your presentation. Uh, the presentation only says that uh, people that are senior citizens get access twice a day. But when you said it, you said uh, disabled plus uh, seniors. So I want to confirm that it includes both. Yeah, twice a week they have what they call senior swim. It's for seniors that are age 50 plus and for people with disabilities. Thank you. All right. Other clarifying questions? Public comment, Madam Clerk. Uh, we have three speakers so far. Uh, the first is Sh Shelby Sheehan. Welcome, Speaker Sheehan. Hi there. So um, I'm kind of excited about this uh, uh, pool item if it increases um, public access because I remember when my children were little, we had to rely on our friends that had um, that had memberships there and we loved the pool and still do. So um, I hope it does that. The, um, and then I do have a, a problem though with Mayor Ashcraft's insistence on trying to move the other items along and influencing the other members on council. That's a violation of All the right. code. Um, um, Speaker Sheehan, we're just commenting on the pool item now. I am. I am. I'm commenting on the pool item. Um, because the brown you are to the observe. ones that voted. You are the ones that voted to move the item to the end. So in consideration of this item and all of them, they should all be treated equally and they have to wait because that's what city council did. So um, asking for others to rush along is improper. So um, I, would, I would direct the mayor and other members of council to look at their code of conduct um, and there's an ethics section that you can refer to. This is about the pool, the lease with the. Um, it is. It's about properly handling the pool lease. Okay. Anyway, that's it. Please go ahead and read those things. Good night. Our next speaker, Willis Calkins. Welcome. Are you there, Speaker Calkins? If I'm saying that correctly. They're unmuted. Um, Zoom update. Um, we have three more speakers now, so we okay, could always. Well, why don't we go to the next one and okay. we'll come back. Uh, this one is, they haven't identified themselves. They're just on an iPad. So um, let's see if they. Good evening, iPad speaker. Hi. Um, Hi. Can you hear me? Yes, welcome. My name is Kristen Levides. Um, good evening, Council. I am commenting to ask you not to approve a nearly five-year lease with ASPA for managing the pools in Lincoln and Franklin Parks. While these pools have long been treasured by a small handful of Alameda families and have worked well for them, the membership model means these pools are private exclusive facilities inside public parks. Far too many in our community do not find that the ASPA setup works for them or simply do not feel welcome. 
Since this issue was last discussed in council, I know ASPA has made some updates to its policies in answer to the city's requirements, but the improvements offered are not substantive, not a significant improvement. They are performative, meant to make everyone involved in this decision feel good about a change that isn't meaningfully there. It remains unclear how ASPA members join the ASPA board, when the board meets, or how they make decisions. It remains unclear upon what criteria prospective fam member families are accepted or not, and I know a family who was not, so this does happen despite how ASPA tells it. The narrative that ASPA's membership model in some roundabout way offers as much access as do the setups of other public pools is laughable. While I understand the city is not in a position to take over management of these pools right now, committing on behalf of all Islanders to five more years of ASPA's doing largely as they please is not in service to the people of Alameda. ARPD has said it is dedicated to availability and accessibility for all. Please send ARPD and ASPA back to the discussion table to come up with a better plan or at minimum a shorter lease in hopes of a time in less than five years when we can all usher in a new, more equitable chapter for these beloved pools together. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. We'll go back to uh, Willis Calkins because they've re-raised their hand, so hopefully they all can right. speak now. Welcome, Speaker Calkins, I hope. They're unable to unmute themselves, but then we can't hear you. Um, oh, I think I hear something. Yay, yay. Hi, hi. Oh. oh, hey there. Okay, uh, I recently moved to a home adjacent to Lincoln Park um, and was interested in finding a place to casually swim with my eight-year-old son uh, a few times a month in the summer. Um, but when I went to Gator Pool at Lincoln, I was I you know saw the form on the, the wall and um, was surprised to see the price of $540 it's no longer $450, it's been raised in the last couple of years, I think, to this uh, private organization for six months. So, um, plus there's also mandatory volunteering and there's no daily rate. Um, you can also be a key holder for some undisclosed higher price, I'm not sure what it is, that can apparently swim there at any time when there are no programs scheduled. Uh, I found this price exorbitant and financially exclusive for what I imagine is the large portion of Alameda's population, especially casual swimmers who uh, aren't going to swim every single day because um, $540 is approaching hundreds of dollars a month um, or $100 a month. Um, and the hood, uh, by comparison, is uh, $81 for a pass or $5 per visit, which is much more in line with other Bay Area public pools. Um, so, you know, for people who can't afford 50 to $100 per swim, um, they have to go to Emma Hood. Um, and, and while I'm sure, you know, given these admission rates, the association's probably a great steward of the pool. Um, I think the condition's probably very good. Um, but I'm disappointed that my tax dollars are not being used by the parks department to provide public swimming at reasonable rates for everyone. Instead, there's these pools that are, you know, uh, someone mentioned small community-based, um, which I, it sounds a little bit exclusive to me. Um, <clears throat> I, I do also appreciate that there were improvements negotiated, but um, it feels like a lot of these are workarounds to what should be a uh, straightforward publicly run park akin to Emma Hood, which which has reasonable rates, 
Um, and, and if there's a problem where the city is not able to operate these pools on public property, um, I would recommend maybe some sort of audit into why, um, because this is a pretty standard thing. It's been done in Hood. It's been done, you know, at cities across America. Um, and, and we should figure out why the the city cannot run these and what sort of actions need to be taken to uh, to allow for that for more equitable, accessible uh, pools for Alamedans. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, uh, Alex Spear. Welcome, Speaker Spear. Good evening. Can you, you can. hear me? Yes, we can. Excellent. Um, I think this lease is too long. Um, almost five years is a really long time. And as other speakers have said, um, the public access is just not there. I mean, great seniors can go swimming, but there's a lot of people who aren't seniors. Um, I tried taking my kid to the swim lessons, but we were over, she was in TK at Ruby Bridges. They get out 10 minutes later than the other schools, 10 minutes to drive home, get swimsuits on, get over to the pool by then, it's halfway over, forget it, it doesn't work. It's too tightly time scheduled. Um, there really needs to be some kind of just a fee for a swim. As a parent, I just wanna go pay my 10 bucks, 20 bucks, 40 bucks? I mean, what does it take? I, I don't really wanna pay 500 bucks for you know, a one-time swim thing, but I just wanna pay and swim. Um, so I would like there to be better public access. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker, James. Welcome, James. Good evening, Council. Can you hear me? Yes. Thank you. I um, appreciate the opportunity to speak. I um, am a member of the ASPA, a, a recent member, moved to Alameda about a year ago. Um, I'm currently teaching my uh, six-month-old daughter how to swim. It's an opportunity I've never had before. I didn't realize I would have when I moved to Alameda, but was delighted to walk to Lincoln Park and be able to see that there was a swimming pool, what I find to be uh, an actually affordable swimming pool, because I know uh, from other uh, swim clubs that I've tried to join before, it's actually a lot more expensive. But ASPA is actually run uh, by a lot of volunteers, um, and the pool uh, gets by minimally with, um, with, with, what, it is, with what it has. Uh, so I find it actually very reasonable for the uh, service that we're getting. So please, I encourage the council to uh, approve a lease that I thought was actually pretty short and I thought should have been longer uh, so that I can continue with many other families uh, and hopefully our, uh, our children's children as well someday uh, to teach our children swim lessons and have them continue to learn to swim on an island. Thank you. Thank you. Our next speaker. Peg Magarian. Welcome, Speaker Magarian. Uh, hi, City Council. I'm a longtime member of the Alameda Swimming Pool Association, longtime resident of Alameda. Um, I think that the, uh, I'd like to correct the gentleman who said that it was $540 for six months. That's for a year. So it's $45 a month to swim in, at, at the pool. Um, for that, I think it's a huge benefit. You can go swimming whenever you want. Um, that includes the key fee. Um, you have to be able, uh, you have to get red, you have to get lifeguard certified to have that key. Um, the onerous um, volunteering that he's talking about is to volunteer for two, two and a half hour shifts a year. So not huge. 
Um, the board members are uh, pretty friendly and accessible. We all talk at the pool about what's going on at the pool. Um, I have never, I've, I've never seen it be exclusive. So I, I don't really, I've never witnessed anything like that. Um, I think the only requirement to be a member is that you're an Alameda <laughs> resident. That's a longstanding 70 year rule. I hope that the city council approves the motion to renew the lease. It's a, it's a great community place to hang. It's a great place to hang out in the summer and all year long. Come join us at the pool. That's it. Thank you. Our next speaker, Madam Clerk. That was our last speaker. All right, with that, we'll close public comment on item 7B, right? Yes. Okay, all right. Um, and I did appreciate the clarification from the longtime member, so I didn't even have to ask staff to do that. Council, question, Councilor Jetson. Um, in the budget, uh, I just want to confirm in the budget that we approved, we had said that we the council would reduce reimbursement to the Alameda Swimming Pool Association, and this is a change to that direction, right? Yeah. Good memory. Um, what we did actually is in the first council workshop, we originally had that in there and there was some questions about it. So what we did is we oh, yeah. are showing in that presentation that you pulled that we took that out of the final presentation, uh, presented budget to council because we decided we wanted to wait and bring it with the lease rather than ask you to approve it prior to hearing about the lease. Great, and thanks for all the hard work on this. Thank you. Wanna make a motion? I think we have more comments. Well, you can still make a motion. I move approval. Okay. All right. Who wants to go next? I'm going to just go down the line, if that's okay, uh, Vice Mayor Desong. Um, well, I don't have much to offer other than to say, you know, I appreciated the public comments. I appreciated the comments um, where one individual thought that it was $500 plus for six months, and another individual indicated that that's for a whole year. One individual thought it was a lot of um, uh, volunteer time, and another individual indicated that actually it was, I think she said, two, two, um, twice a year. Um, so I thought, you know, on balance, um, uh, we got a great set of information, um, uh, as well as what has been in the staff's report. Um, and for that reason, you know, for the reason that I supported it in the 1990s, I will continue to support um, um, uh, this. Now. So, um, but you know, uh, no, I'm not. I mean, if if, if uh, Councilmember Harris Spencer um, uh, desires to second it, um, I'm fine with that. So All right. Councilmember Harris Spencer. Thank you. I do have a question. So, the, all of the public speakers, I appreciate uh, your comments and staff working with ASPA. Thank you very much. Um, I do have a question though in regards to the speaker of if they want to just do drop in $10, something like that, what options do they have in the city of Alameda for that type of what I consider free swim? Uh, the options for drop in swim are only through Recreation and Parks Department programs, which is available currently at Alameda High School and Encinal High School. On both ends of the main island, and that, that that is available. So I, I, so I just want to confirm that is available. Two different high schools in Alameda. 
for that type of use? Through the city programs, yes, that's correct. Okay, um, and I also appreciate your comment earlier in regards to this continuum of um, access to swimming pools, that this is just one, this is one, actually two pools that complement these high school pools that are also available currently for uh, drop-in. Um, so thank you for that because uh, I, I raised four kids in this town. So ARPD swimming lessons was too expensive for my family. We did look into it and it was, uh, maybe you know, um, Assistant uh, City Manager Wolderidge, uh, what is the cost for, I believe it's six weeks, uh, the, the classes are for swimming lessons with ARPD? I could look it up if you give me a minute, but I don't have that off the top of my head. Okay, well, I think it's about 60 or $80 per child for uh, like a half hour lesson, 20 minutes maybe, um, uh, because um, that's actually significantly more uh, than what's, what's available through this ASPA. Um, and so we did the, uh, the lessons for the children, my children, to learn how to swim at these pools. I was always, and I am very impressed that, um, that the city offers this, but the only reason we can afford this is because of the volunteers that have um, really worked really, really hard to keep these pools going. They are, uh, maybe, um, is there someone from the staff that knows how old these swimming pools are? They were built in 1959. So, coincidentally, okay, I should know that. Uh, <laughs> that's the year I was born. <laughs> okay, so I can tell you, uh, they're over 60 years old. Uh, it is very, very hard to keep uh, pools going that are um, that old. They, it just is. It's very hard. And the only reason that we have that the ASPA has been able to keep the rates so reasonable, and I actually think they're to offer the free lessons for uh, every child in this uh, district. And I do get that there's different times. I appreciate that comment too. And I don't know, you know, I would actually, maybe they can, uh, that is a valid concern. Um, I know that these pools, at least when my kids went, mostly part, um, uh, uh, volunteer run. Quite often it was a student that had uh, grown up through the program and had been trained on how to do, honestly, all the safety that needs to occur, as well as cleaning up the pools and putting back the covers and, and doing them properly. Um, uh, but I would uh, suggest you know, reaching out to ASPA because they are, honestly, m members of the community, just like every, you, the, the caller. And they try, I think, really, really hard. But uh, myself, as a, as a mom with, uh, for kids, um, we could not afford uh, ARPD, and I do think the volunteers did a, a marvelous job uh, to offer uh, uh, the free swim for the lessons, and then as well as for disabled and the senior citizens. That is actually, I think, a heavy lift, and it's something that um, uh, does, I think, in fact, complement what is offered through ARPD. I also wanted to, um, so I do want to thank our volunteers. Uh, I appreciate you know the clarification of the cost. I do have a question in regards to, uh, I believe an issue had come up, the $45 a month, does it have to be paid all at once or do they accept 
monthly payments? They do not accept monthly payments um, because they don't have an online registration system. Um, and so it's too, uh, they take payments by check still, so it's too onerous for them to do it on a monthly basis. They do, will do payments on a twice a year basis. Um, I also just want to correct for the record, the uh, Recreation and Park Department group swim lessons are $40 per person for a four class session. $40 per person for four classes, is that what you said? Correct. So then that's $10 a class? Correct. Uh, is that the same cost for the swimming lessons? For what swimming lessons? For uh, swimming lessons through ARPD? That's what I just quoted is the group swim lessons for ARPD. Oh, okay, okay, so, and that's, okay, so that's four classes and is it half an hour or 20 minutes? It's not 20 minutes actually, I believe it's, I believe it's 45 minutes. Okay, so I can just tell you my personal experience is I don't think any of my kids learned to swim in four uh, lessons, um, which means that it was cost prohibitive. Um, so, so I do think this complements uh, what's available. Um, and so, you know, I, I will be supporting it. Anything further? Not at this time. Not at this time? Well, I could wait. If you had any further comments? Uh, not at this time. Okay. Well, um, this just makes me want to go swimming <laughs> to the pool. Um, and I, again, as I said earlier, I really thank uh, Ms. Wildridge and the, the board at ASPA for pulling this all together. And so I'm anxious to see how it all unrolls. And um, we have a motion, but it hasn't been seconded. So if we want to vote. Uh, I'm happy to second it. Okay. I have a motion. It's been seconded. Shall we vote? All let's vote. All those in favor signify by stating aye. 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 The motion passes four to nothing. And this meeting is adjourned and we're adjourning in memory of the late Senator Dianne Feinstein who passed away last week after an illustrious career, the longest serving uh, woman to serve in the U.S. Senate um, and our own San Franciscan. All right, good, after, or good evening or good morning everyone. Uh, travel home safely. Thank you and thank you so much to staff and all the members of the public. All right.